Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is a special Sunday program. We are not on Sunday very often. We also don't start at this time very often. It's uh, just before 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Usually we start much later than this because this show has a West Coast bias. But this week, we're actually starting earlier than usual and on a different day than usual. So the good thing is we actually pick up some different live listeners when we're on alternate days because some people just can't make it on Wednesday night, you know, kind of 8.30, 9 o'clock Pacific time. It's uh, inconvenient for many, but uh, I think we might actually get more people tonight. I don't know because it's, it's not a night people are used to, so that always brings the live audience down. But on the other hand, people can make this show like on the East Coast or uh, those that cannot listen during the week. So it'll be interesting to see. And if you like this Sunday show, then you'll be happy to know that we will have another Sunday show a week from today. That'll be the final show before the World Series of Poker starts. And then the schedule really gets crazy because uh, I have to work around the World Series of Poker events I am playing. And that can be tough to do, especially in a year like this one where I am playing a lot of events. So... If you're listening live, it's, uh, I'm glad to have you here. If you're listening in the archives, then that's great as well. But if you're listening live, you have an opportunity to win some money. $450 is being given away. $450 is being given away in the cash-free roll tonight. We have a cash-free roll every week on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Just about all the money comes from listeners. And I appreciate that. We have some people who donate a whole lot and then some who donate occasionally, but I appreciate them all. This week we have $450 to give away in cash. And the free roll starts at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. So you actually have more than half an hour to register to get in there. However, as always, to qualify for the free money, you need a separate account and the No Fraud Online Poker Room where it takes place. And you need to be validated by Belly Buster, who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need to PM him on the forum, Belly Space Buster, to get validated if you're new to the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Furthermore, you need to know the rules for qualification for the money itself. And that's at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll to understand the rules. If you don't follow the rules for the free money and you win, then you won't get paid. It's that simple. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. Again, reminder, I don't run the No Fraud Online Poker Room. That's run by Belly Buster. He makes all the decisions. If he's not available, sometimes I'll approve someone, but don't count on me to do it. If you're not getting approved somehow and I haven't been answering you or whatever, don't don't get mad at me. This is something I will do occasionally as a favor to someone who I believe should qualify, but uh, don't come to me if he says no or ignores you. It's his room, up to him. He pays for it. He runs it. He puts out the effort to run it. So it's his decision who qualifies and who doesn't. Nobody has a right to free roll money. So this is the way the prize pool breaks down. Actually, before I tell you that, um, let me give you the schedule for the upcoming shows we're going to have in case uh, people don't know. I announced it last week, but it's worth announcing again because the schedule is so 
weird and different for the next month and a half. So, of course, today we started uh, shortly before 6. Next week we are starting at a normal time, but uh, it's on Sunday again. Sunday, May 27th is the next show at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Next show will be Wednesday, June 6th at 8 p.m. Pacific Time. The next show after that will be two weeks later almost at uh, June 19th, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, another earlier start. The next show is a tentatively scheduled show, June 26th. And the reason it's tentative is because if I'm in an event that day, I mean, I'm going to be playing an event earlier that day. If I have not busted from it by the evening, there will be no show. So if you want a show on June 26th, you need to root for me to lose that day. I'm not even kidding. I go ahead and root for me to lose. I don't care. I don't openly do it. Don't don't text me that you're hoping I lose. Don't don't text negative things to me or or, or uh, tweet negative things to me. But you can quietly hope that I lose very badly on June 26th and go out really fast. So then there can be a show. Because if I make it to like 11 p.m. or something, there probably won't be a show. If I make it to like, uh, you know, it's the, the show is scheduled for 8, but if I go out at like 8 or 8.30, I'll probably just start it late. If I go out at 11, I probably won't do it. So tentatively, it's scheduled for June 26th at 8 p.m., and if that doesn't happen, then there's just no show that week. The next week, Wednesday, July 4th at 6 p.m. is the next show. Yes, the 4th of July show. I'm, uh, I, at least I think that's going to be the date. I, I may have plans on that day, but at the moment it's scheduled for uh, the 4th of July. And as we get closer, I'll let you know. And then uh, whether or not that show happens, there will be one on Sunday, July 8th at 8 p.m. Pacific time. But, of course, check PokerFraudAlert.com's – or actually check uh, PokerFraudAlert Twitter – that's twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information on schedule changes because there easily can be schedule changes during the World Series. But for sure, a week from today, there will be a show at 8.30 p.m., May 27th. In case you don't know who I am, I'm Todd Dandruff Wotelis. This is Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We do this every week, and we have a free roll every week. And we usually have one of three co-hosts, or often two of three, or sometimes three of three co-hosts. We have Trey Daruski, we have Cal Watt, and we have Brandon Drexel-Gerson, who sometimes comes in the second half of the show. Trey Daruski said he will be here tonight. In fact, he, he will probably be able to make a lot of the show, because he's not going to fall asleep from the tea, as he usually does, since we're starting earlier. Cal Watt is three hours later than we are. He's in New York, but... Believe it or not, the show's actually too early for him, which, which shocked me when I, he told me this last week. I always thought that starting the show as late as I did on Wednesdays, that it was putting him out, it was a burden for him. But no, actually starting as early as this is also bad for him because he's spending time with his family. So I guess he's waiting for his wife and kids to go to sleep. And it, it should happen soon because it's after nine there now. And then he will come on. He said he's going to come on probably around... Uh, 7 o'clock Pacific, so he'll be here for most of the show. Let me tell you about the free roll, and then uh, do the rest of the intro, and we'll get going. Someone messaged me, can I recover my password for the poker room? You, you can't do that right now. I'm sorry. Um, I'd love to help you, but I'm not going to hold up the whole show to recover somebody's password. That's something you got to handle beforehand. So, 
normally I would say to sign up new and play, but you can't do that anymore, so uh, I'm afraid you can't play. Unless you can find your password somehow. I, I know it kind of sucks you can't recover your password through there, but uh, that's, that's the way the software works. At least I think you can't. You can try. I've never tried it before. Maybe you can. It's not my poker room. So the free roll this week, $450 cash is being given away. I can pay you by bank transfer. I really can transfer it to any bank. I can send you Zelle, which is uh, another form of bank transfer. I can send you Bitcoin. I actually just bought a few thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin through somebody who was uh, once on this show. I won't say who it is, but uh, a former guest of the show just sold me some Bitcoin. It was a successful transaction. Um, if you see me at the World Series, I guess I can give you cash if I have it on me. I, to be honest, I'm telling this to everyone who might think of mugging me. Uh, don't bother because I don't carry around much cash at the World Series. Um, it's not even a fear of being mugged. I just don't feel a need to because I register for the event and then I don't need cash at the event. You know, I'm, I don't need cash to play tournaments once I have my ticket. So I don't bring much cash. I only bring a very minimal amount. But, you know, if, if you tell me you'll meet me down there or something, I'll make sure to bring your cash if you want to be paid by cash. Otherwise, no. And, of course, I can pay you by a certain other method electronically that you might be able to think of, it, a method that's been around for almost 20 years where money can be sent or where you can shop online and send money that way. I, I won't name the service, but you might be able to guess it. So if you win the free roll and you are eligible to win the money, email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or PM me on the forum, that's Dan Space Druff. I actually prefer the forum PM. Dan Space Druff on the forum to claim your money. The prizes are as follows. $222. 222. First place. Two, 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 two hundred twenty-two dollars in your pocket if you're in first. Second place is not bad either. You get a cool hundred bucks. Third place gets sixty-five dollars, which is better than first place money most weeks. Fourth place, forty-two dollars, still not too shabby. And fifth place gets twenty-one dollars. We often don't pay fifth place. In fact, we usually don't. So. The money for this free roll came from two sources. We got an anonymous contribution of $300. And Eric Benzamokin gave $150. So thank you to him. Thank you to the anonymous person. I know who they are, but uh, they prefer to remain anonymous. And that's our prize pool for the week. If you want to call into the show... It's the same phone number as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID or the phone system will not let you through. You'll probably get a busy signal or something else weird like that. So just show your caller ID. Make sure your your caller ID is showing. I will keep your phone number in confidence. We just uh, have that in place to prevent uh, stupid phone calls from getting through. You can make a stupid phone call. You just got to show your number. Uh, if you want to call the Mount Charleston line, we have a second number into the show that's based on top of Mount Charleston. I have a cabin in Mount Charleston. There's an old 70s rotary phone sitting in that cabin that forwards to me wherever I go. You can't text it because it's a rotary phone number, but it's a 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. 
if you're going to be in Vegas during the summer, the hot summer, and you want to cool down, if you're, you're tired of uh, either being indoors or out, outdoors and roasting, which are pretty much your two options in Las Vegas in the summer, you can drive to Mount Charleston. It's 30 degrees cooler, approximately, than the Las Vegas you know, pretty much all year round. So if it is 110 in Vegas, it's probably around 80 in Mount Charleston. If it's 100 in Vegas, probably around 70 in Mount Charleston. And it's a very different setting. It's not desert. It's uh, it's mountain. See pine trees. You'll have no idea you're in Vegas or near Vegas. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. If you want to listen to the show, but you do not have a smartphone or a data plan or you don't want to waste your data, or if your signal's not very good, what if you're driving in the hills and you have like one bar? You can't stream the show that way. What if you're just tired of buffering? What if you hate buffering like I do? What if what if you just want to listen to the show without any stupid pauses because your connection hiccups or whatever? You don't want that. Like you just want to listen. You want it to be easy, right? Then you can use the call to listen line. The call to listen line is a lovely phone number you just call up and you listen to the show and there's never any buffering. It does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan. If you have a data plan, it won't cost you even one byte of data. Any phone in the world that can dial can call the call to listen line. And you can listen to the show. And when we're not live on the air, you can still call it and listen to streaming reruns where it just picks a, re- a random rerun from our library of more than 275 shows, runs it in full, and then when that's over, it picks another one, runs that in full, over and over and over again until we come back live on the air. That's the call to listen line. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. It just works. It's easy. It's simple. 712-775-8162. If you forget these numbers, don't worry about it. Just go to the radio tab near the top left of PokerFraudAlert.com, and they're all listed there for you. If you call the show and I don't answer, don't panic. Just try back 15 minutes or so later. It's best to call in between segments or when I ask for phone calls, because if we're in the middle of something, we probably won't take your call. I do ask that if you call in the middle of a segment that you're calling about that segment. I hate when we're in the middle of something and I answer and I hear, Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I want to ask you a few questions about UB. Like, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to interrupt segments. In fact, the co-hosts in the past have gotten angry at me for this. I used to have Brandon yelling at me for this. I used to have Daredevil yelling at me for this. And I thought, you know what? They're right. So only call in the middle of a segment if you're calling about the segment. If you're calling about some other topic, then call when we're not in the middle of a segment. And don't call during the intro either. It, it, it irritates me when I'm doing the whole intro and someone thinks I'm going to answer their call. I'm not going to. Otherwise, I appreciate the calls, though, especially if you're a new caller I haven't heard from before. I enjoy hearing from new people, but old callers as well. Let's see what else. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I don't know what it is. What am I forgetting? Oh, the chat room. You can chat in the chat room. You need a Flash-enabled device. You need a forum account in good standing and validated. But if you're listening live, you can go into the chat room. 
and you can chat with others during the live show only. Nobody will be there otherwise, but during the live show, you can chat with others listening to the show in the chat. <coughs> I don't read it very much myself. Apologies for the cough right there. I, I still have a cough from this long-running cold. So if I abruptly cough during the show, or if I have to mute it and pause for a second, that's why. I'm an old-school fan of radio. I've been listening to radio since I was a kid. So I know that dead air on radio is like a sin, even though this isn't traditional radio. This is internet radio. But in broadcasting school, they tell you never, ever let dead air appear on the radio. You've always got to be talking. There's always got to be something on there. Either you talking or you playing something. But dead air is a big no-no in radio. And for that reason, I am very paranoid about dead air. Like, I, I do not want dead air on the show. But there might be tonight while I cough. Like that. I'll try to find Trader Ruski in a second. And uh, then we will get going. The show is in the archives every week. If you can't listen live, there's many ways you can go listen the recorded version of the show. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. You can go to TuneIn. These are all different apps, of course. Google Play. You can get the RSS feed directly from the site, if you know what that is. You can download the MP3 file directly or play the file directly. Like iPhones, they don't need a, spe a special player. You don't even need iTunes to listen to the show if you have an iPhone. You can just go directly and click on the MP3 file, and it'll just play in your iPhone, even an old iPhone. So you can do all that. Just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com near the top of the screen, and you have all those options right there. You just click on the one that you want, and it'll take you there. Or you can just get the associated app that you want and get the show that way. A lot of ways to listen. And then there's Amazon Alexa, too. If you have Amazon Alexa, all you have to do is say, and I'm sorry if I trigger your device by doing this, but you have to say, Alexa... Play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play the live show, or whatever's on the call to listen line at the moment. If you just want to hear the last recorded show, you say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast. So if you add the word podcast at the end, it plays the last show. And then if you say, Alexa, next, then it'll go to the previous episode. It's it's backwards, actually. You have to say next to get to the previous episode and previous to get to the next episode. But it always starts with the last episode. So try it. It'll work. A lot of ways to listen. If there's some way you want to listen that you think I might be able to provide, then let me know, as long as it's not too much trouble and as long as it does not cost me money to add because I'm a cheap Jew and I refuse to spend a dime on adding additional listening methods. I've spent enough here. This is a low-budget operation. I do run the site at a, at a loss. That's the truth. But uh, it is low-budget. This is probably one of the lower-budget shows and sites that you'll find. So the, the site pretty much uh, runs in my image. I'm a cheap Jew, and for that reason, the site is low-budget. But, you know, it gets it done. It works, right? I want it to be functional. I... I just because you're a cheap Jew doesn't mean you don't want it to be functional. I give you more ways to listen to the show than I think anyone does. Do you know any other show with a call to listen line and all these different 
methods to listen in the archives. Just think of how many different ways there are to listen. Think of how many different ways there are. Because I want to make it easy. I want to make it to where if you want to listen to the show, you can without hassle or trouble. Okay, here's the agenda, then we'll get going. Free roll starting in 14 minutes. There's 25 minutes of late registration after that. I'm going to make an announcement regarding my World Series of Poker pieces for sale that I talked about last week. We have a winner crowned for the Poker Fraud Alert 2018 Spring Heads Up Classic. I lost in the first round there to Jay Searles, embarrassingly enough, and really choked. I mean, I I had him on the rope. He was just about done, and I, and I lost. But anyway, we had a winner who did not choke and who went through several rounds and ended up victorious, and he's getting a trophy, and the tournament was actually dedicated to a former listener of the show who passed away. And we'll talk about that, and we'll hear from the winner who I believe is going to call in. The main topic for tonight, however, is, you might be able to guess, the sports betting thing. Yes, the Supreme Court has struck down PASPA, that's P-A-S-P-A, known as the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. A 26-year-old law, it has been struck down, it is gone, and there's a lot of things to talk about regarding that. Sports betting is going to radically change in the United States, not immediately, but very soon. A lot of different things to talk about in relation to that. If you want to know about what that law, what the change in the law is going to mean for you as a sports better, or if you have any interest at all in betting sports, or if you're just curious about it, or if you're wondering how it's going to affect online poker's legalization. I pretty much have everything that you ever are going to want to know about this in that segment we're going to do. I've done a lot of research on it. There's a lot of confusion about it, a lot of things people believe that are not true. So by the time you get done listening to that segment, you will know everything about this, and you can correct your idiot friends who have the wrong idea about it. And I guarantee you have a lot of idiot friends who have the wrong idea about it. I do. I have a lot of idiot friends who have the wrong idea about it. So a lot to talk about with that. And I'm personally pretty excited for the whole thing, but excited yet skeptical, I shall say. But we'll get into all that when we do our segment. It's going to be a long one. That's going to be the main segment of the show. I have an update on the massive Vegas hotel worker strike that might take place on June 1st, right as the World Series begins. We talked about it in the last show. I have an update regarding uh, what is likely to happen. A poker player playing a tournament at the Venetian found his car with all four wheels stolen when he returned to the Venetian parking lot to drive away. Came up to his car, all four wheels were gone. So I'll tell you about that and what Venetian's response was, which might surprise you, but it also might not. Jason Kuhn, two things happened with him of significance 
at the Triton Super High Roller event in Montenegro, which is in Europe. It's a former Yugoslavia. First, he won over $3.6 million at at what was known as a short deck poker tournament. I'll explain what that is when we get to that segment. And second, he lost a very large pot in what was the largest televised poker pot ever uh, following that. So we'll discuss that hand and how the pot got so huge, aside from the game itself just being huge. If you like esports, which are pretty much video games, then you'll be happy at this World Series because the WSOP has a new partnership, a new marketing partnership with a company called UMG. And there's going to be esports events on the stage in the pavilion room while World Series events are taking place. So we'll talk about that when we get to that segment. A Florida poker pro was involved in a fatal car crash. He was not the one who died. In fact, he was healthy enough after that car crash to get out of his car and run away. <laughs> I'm not sure if he ran away or drove away. I'm forgetting. When we get to that segment, I, I will see for myself what that is. I'm forgetting that part of the story. But whatever it was, he fled the scene. And when he was caught, he blamed pot edibles for causing the whole thing. So I'll tell you who that was and... Uh, where he stands right now, legally, over that whole matter. Finally, back in February, I talked about the Horseshoe Southern Indiana getting flooded to where they had to close for a while because they're actually right on a river. They're literally on a river. They're technically a river boat, even though the boat doesn't go anywhere and it's permanently attached to the dock of the river, but it still gets flooded when the river gets high. They're finally going to be able to be allowed to get off the river and move inland. I'll tell you why they are and why they were on the river in the first place. So those are our topics tonight. Free roll starting in eight minutes. Now I'll try to find Trader Ruski and we'll get going. And, uh, Someone just tried to call in. Okay, whoever's trying to call in here, I think I know who it is. So whoever's trying to call in, uh, wait till I get Trader Ruski on the line, and then you can call. Or let me attempt to get him on the line. I'll either get him on. Here What's we happened to Josh? Trader Ruski, happy, happy to have you here. And uh, whoever was calling there before, if you call within the next few minutes, then we will have you on. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait. If it was an accident, don't worry about it. Oh, you can text the show, by the way. Same as the main phone number, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show. You know who's been texting me again? I, I hope he doesn't mind that I say this. I'm not going to read his texts. You should tell me, by the way, before you text me not to read your texts. But I'm not going to read this guy's texts because I know he doesn't want that. But uh, Larry Laffer, he's not... Completely gone. Larry Laffer actually texted me, and I, I know Cal Watt likes to joke that he's gay, but uh, Larry Laffer actually texted me a picture of him and his girlfriend hiking, and his, his girlfriend is not bad looking, so good for Larry. Yeah, get Larry back on here. I miss him too. I, I do miss Larry. You know, like, uh, uh, there, you know, there was a disagreement between him and Brandon, and it really escalated quickly. It was over something very minor. It just escalated, and 
you know, then he left the site. And uh, I, I liked Larry personally when I met him last year at the World Series, and uh, I, you know, I spent some time with him there, and I, I thought highly of him. And Larry actually told me something interesting. He said I was the tallest Jew he's ever met. He's a Jew also, and he's he's short. So he told me I'm the tallest Jew he's ever met. Which surprised me. I, I am very tall for a Jew, but uh, I, I've met Jews taller than me. Text from the 720. This is side effect. I want to add 20 bucks to the free roll pool for Friday's free roll and 20 bucks bounty on Gordman and Trederuski. Total of 60 bucks. I'm, I'm very confused. <laughs> He's saying for Friday's free roll, but which Friday? Like, does he mean last Friday? How can you add retroactively? I'm very confused. I should just not read my text. <laughs> uh, oh, saying today. Uh, let's do this in advance. Just, just I'm going to leave it the way it is. Four hundred fifty bucks this week. That's it. You, for next week's, you can uh, just PM this to me, and I'll make sure it gets done. Too much, too much to do on the spot here. I mean, I know I, I produce the show during the show. That I do, but this is even too much for me. Okay, so quick note about my World Series of Poker pieces, then we'll get on to the main portions of the show. It's sold out. It's done. So as soon as I mentioned it on last week's show, there was a, a flood of people who wanted pieces of me. Before that, it was very slow because uh, I hadn't been on the show in like two and a half weeks because of my cold. So I came back from the cold and announced the Pieces were available, and all of a sudden, like, it got snapped up very quickly. So if you didn't get a piece, I apologize, but that's it. And I, I can't sell anymore because I've already sold the maximum I want to sell. Otherwise, I don't play for enough of myself, and that kind of defeats the purpose of being there. So uh, I've sold the maximum, and that's it. If I've told you that I've accepted your piece and I'm still waiting for payment, that's fine. But if we have not communicated about this, then... You're not going to get a piece. So apologies for that, but next time be faster. <laughs> and I'll probably do it again next year, so you can buy it next year, but uh, that is that. It's one of these things, first come, first serve, and it's all gone. But thank you to those who have faith in me and have bought pieces of me. My first event will be on May 31st. It's only 11 days from now. It'll be an Omaha event. The Poker Fraudler 2018 Spring Heads Up Classic is over. It's finally over. And we have a winner. The winner is Hooded N, which I I know who it is, and I like him. Though I have to say, for the image of Poker Fraud Alert, it's not the best that the winner of our big contest here is a guy who goes by Hooded N. <laughs> now, I I will go as far to say we don't want we don't know what the N stands for. The N could be the first letter of his first name. The N could be many things. It could be Hooded Nincompoop. We don't know. I know what some of you might be thinking, but that might be your fault for thinking it that way. Maybe you are the racist for thinking that N means 
what you think it does. But that's who it is. Hooded N ended up winning the free roll. Or not the free roll. The, the, the spring heads up classic. And I didn't realize this was going to happen. But a trophy was made. An actual physical trophy was made that's going to go to him in addition to the prize. And it's a very nice trophy. And it's especially nice for a certain reason. And that is it was dedicated to someone. And I thought it was a very good and appropriate dedication. The trophy says the Burt Delaware Enslin Memorial Cup 2018 Spring Classic Champion. It's a very nice trophy. It's with actually a cup on the top, you know, like a championship cup. Very nice trophy. And for those of you that don't know, Delaware whose real name was Bert Enslin. He's been a member of our community since like 2004, 2005. He goes way back. And he went from site to site, and he listened to all these shows. He loved the show. He called in here. In fact, it was really creepy after he passed away. Not too long after that, I was listening to the Call to Listen line. And of all things, I hear a call from him, the very last call he ever made to this show. And I'm hearing myself speak to him. And it sounded so real because I was listening on a phone. So it sounds like a phone call on my phone with his voice. But as I'm listening, I'm hearing him sound very lifelike, but in reality, he's dead. And the even weirder thing was the other voice speaking to him was mine. It was really weird. It was like I was transported back in time to see him alive again or hear him alive again. Anyway, he was a very beloved figure on these sites. And uh, I thought it was very nice that this uh, tournament was dedicated to him and that uh, his name was printed on the trophy. And Brandon went above and beyond just that. Brandon actually contacted Bert's granddaughter and wanted to let her know about this. And he asked her if she's related to Bert Enslin. And she said, yes, Bert was my grandfather. He raised me from six months old till I was 18, which I, I didn't know till today. I didn't know that he had a granddaughter that he raised. And then Brandon said he was part of our poker forum and website I was uh, for over 10 years. We just had a tournament. I thought you'd like to know we named the tournament and trophy after him. And then he showed her a picture of the trophy. And she said, oh, that's awesome. Thank you, that means a lot. So, thank you, Brandon, for all of this here. And thank you, China Maniac, for putting together this tournament. Thank you to everybody who donated prizes to this tournament. And, uh, you know, maybe Delaware is, is watching from somewhere. And he's very happy that the 12 or so years he wasted in this community may not have been such a waste after all. So I thought that was very fitting. And I know that uh, he would have really liked the fact that this was dedicated to him. And uh, by the way, this, a lot of the money from this, some of the money from this at least was sponsored by 
the JSIP repayment fund. This is JSIP who scammed Poker Fraud Alert members about five years ago. And some people on this site were very persistent and tracked him down and basically told him they're going to expose what he had done to everybody in his present life if he doesn't make good. So Jacob not wanting to ruin the business he had and you know he had things going on at that point like legitimate he was part of a legitimate restaurant and all that so he the last thing he wanted was to uh have that occur so he started making payments and it added up over time and the money was collected the problem was a few people could not be reached through our best efforts we could not reach certain people who Jason had scammed and we tried for years and these people were unreachable so at some point we had to repurpose that money so this is a a very nice ending to the whole thing that this very popular and exciting tournament we had was put on and that the jacep scam money was repaid and some of it went towards uh, the burt delaware enslin memorial tournament so congratulations to hooded n and hooded n if you're listening you can call in right now seven 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 one two now I'm confused. 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355. I, I was confusing that with the call to listen line. 775-372-8355. I like a bad guy wrote uh, wrote to me, uh, maybe next time support something fun on your site. <laughs> I am supporting it by... It, it's on my site, so therefore I'm supporting it. I mean, I appreciate that the listeners... Are supporting. We're trying to take the call here, by the way. The Skype is freezing up. You may have to call me. You know what? Um, Hooded Ant's trying to call in, but I'm going to... I'll call you. I see your number here. I'm going to call you. What's wrong with Skype here? Jeez. What a pain in the ass here. Okay, I'm going to call him back. I tell you, Skype is sometimes terrible. What's even dumber is Skype is saying internet connection problem is a problem with the internet connection between you, you two. Hold on while we try to get the call back. It said that the whole time, though. But maybe that's what our issue is here. Even though Trader Ruski is like totally on just fine. Okay, I'm going to start this whole thing over. Uh, Trader Ruski, let me call you right back. Okay. What a joke. This is so frustrating. How terrible Skype is. I mean, really. Why must it be this way? I just I just want everything to work. Like the call to listen line. That works. Skype, like, never works. It's still showing an internet problem. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, Hi. Let me let me try to connect them one more time. It's still claiming I have internet connection problems, which aren't true. Otherwise, we couldn't be talking right now. But uh, I'm going to try to connect him on. Otherwise, I may need to restart Skype or something. I don't even know what to say. It bothers me when this stuff happens, though. Let's try to get him on here. I think it may refuse to connect anybody as long as it thinks I have no internet connection. 
This is how dumb Skype is. Like, here we are on an internet phone call between me and you. So it, it works by definition. And then it's telling me I have no internet connection. How would you be able to know it said that if you had internet connection? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, the, it, the, the software is telling me as if it just can't make a connection. But then what does it think we're doing right now? Does it not see we're actually on a call? Amazing. Okay, I'm going to have to restart Skype. This, this, this is a joke. I'm going to... <sighs> this pisses me off. Like, why should, it, why should this be happening? Why, why would Skype tell me there's no internet connection? It doesn't require advanced programming to be able to see that it has completed a call between myself and somebody else. If a call is ongoing, then there is an internet connection. It's impossible for that not to be the case. Yeah, I'm not I'm not connecting through my imagination. I swear, if it says this again, I'm going to be so pissed. It's trying to get me to update Skype. But I'm resisting that. But sometimes they force you to where this type of crap happens. Okay, so it's not giving me the warning this time, so maybe we're in better shape. Let me try to connect him now. Skype would be a perfect platform to use for a radio show if it weren't for crap like this. But Microsoft just keeps ruining it. I wish I could just go back to the old Skype. Even the Skype from 10 years ago would be great. I'm not even kidding. Oh, here we go. We have Hooded End on. It's working. Hooded End, welcome to Poker Fraudler Radio. How's it going, Jeff? So, uh, I don't know if I should even ask you this, but uh, the name Hooded End, is this something that you'd like to tell us how you came up with that name? Uh, so, it's not racist. Okay. That's I good. can say that. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, so the N stands for the first initial of my name and, uh, the hooded was just, I don't know, something intimidating. I used that as a gamer tag when I was younger and I just kind of, kind of kept it. Okay. I was always wondering about that and uh, I thought, well, on this site, it's, yeah, it's a free speech site. So that's allowed on the oh, site I anyway. So I, I wasn't worried about it, but I'm like, you know, of all, I wasn't disappointed you won, but I was like, as far as the image of the site was concerned, like, what do I do? I go around the World Series. Yeah, oh, we just had a heads-up series. It was won by Hooded End. <laughs> so, okay. So, anyway, congratulations. And how many rounds did you have to win to get there? Uh, I think it was six. Yeah, six. You're right. So Everything. it was, um, yeah, six. Yeah. Yep. And uh, who were you playing in the final round? I played China Maniac. Actually, uh, both of us are from uh, Massachusetts, so... That was that was pretty cool, but it ended up that way. And and it went to seven, uh, the best of seven, right? It went to seven games. Yeah, game. Yeah, went to game seven. I I, I won the first two, and then uh, he he won three in a row, and then uh, I came back and won the last two. So yeah, it was very uh, riveting matchup, and uh, I wanted to try and get it a like a more prime time matchup so people could watch, but uh, that that was just the time that worked out for the both of us. So now, so, yeah. Are, are, do you play a lot of normal? Do you play a lot of heads up, no limit, normally, or just uh, you just did this here and happened to, to work out for you? I, I don't play a lot of it. There's not a lot of places to play it now. Um, you know, I used to play some back in the day, like on Full Tilt and uh, and Poker Stars, but nowadays uh, there's not a lot of heads up action out there. So 
I even played some back on the Merge Network back right after Black Friday, but uh, mostly now just play tournaments and stuff online. Yeah, because I'll be honest, I, I played very little of that in my life, so I got to just kind of wing it because I just that's just yeah. something I, I haven't had occasion to play. So there's only been a few times ever I've played Heads Up No Limit Hold'em. So anyway, uh, congratulations to you. Uh, of course, China Maniac, he's a, he's a limit player, so he got pretty far despite just being a limit player. Yeah, and he he was definitely my my toughest opponent. I mean, um, it was yeah he he played great and uh, he's a very good player. So mm-hmm. it was it was fun though. I mean, uh, big shout out to him and to Drexel for running it. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and I hope it comes back in the fall. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I, I'm looking forward to play it again. And the yeah, I didn't know. I, I had no idea that China Maniac had this this talent as a limit player in Heads Up No Limit Hold'em. Very different game than, than Limit Hold'em. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I, I, I think he's probably just an all-around solid player. It, it seemed that way, at least. Like, I, you know, I would understand if this was a Limit Hold'em tournament and he got to the final. I, I know he played a lot of that, but uh, a heads-up no-limit tournament to make it uh, far and take it seven games and gets the accolades from the winner. So anyway, good job, good job, Shiny Maniac, too, for finishing second and, and also for running it. And now you... Said that uh, you want an undertitle now for uh, for winning on the forum. Yeah, yeah. Um, I well, I, I thought I think that that was part of the. Oh, it's part I of the. I, I, I think someone wrote it on the forum, but um, but yeah, I'll text you. We can we can figure that out. Okay, we'll figure out what your undertitle will be. For those of you who don't know, on the forum, there's actually an an undertitle. It's like a just something that's printed under your name on the forum. For me, it just says owner. Which I just put there to make it clear to everybody that uh, who isn't that familiar with the site that I'm the one who owns it. But for everybody else, there's there's default ones like like bronze and silver and platinum and stuff like that, and then there's some custom ones that we've done for people. And so he, he gets a custom one for winning this, and he'll pick it and put I'll put it there. So anyway, it's a, it was a fun tournament. I'm glad we uh, got to do this. I thought that was a very good usage of the money. And even though we won't have JSIP money. For the next one, there were enough donations this time that I'm sure we'll have donations again, and people will uh, uh, enjoy playing again. And uh, I assume it's going to remain the Bert Enslin, uh, Bert Delaware Enslin Memorial Tournament, unless somebody else dies. No, we've had a number of people dying. Actually, that's the sad thing. There's a we've actually had a lot more listeners die who listen to you know from this show. Than I would have expected. There's a number of people that have passed away over the years, and yeah, we've been at it for over six years. But especially like the last three years have been kind of tough with that. Like I, I would think with a, yeah. we have with the audience we have, which I estimated last at about fifteen hundred people. With and and a lot of them are, most of them are like middle aged or older. So with that audience, and, and Delaware, he was one of the older ones. I think he was around seventy. So. With that audience, yes, you will have some that will die over six years. But we've still had more in recent years than I've expected, and some of them were not even that old. That was the saddest part. So, uh, it always, even listeners I don't really know, when I hear that someone listened to the show a lot and that they're gone, it's uh, sad for me to hear. But uh, anyway, I'm glad we could do that to memorialize Delaware and 
Congrats for winning. What, what was the top prize in this? I don't even remember. I think it was it was four hundred, two hundred, and then uh, the 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 guys who made the final four got a hundred, and then fifty for the for the eight. Okay, so it was a good prize. It was a good prize pool. Very good. Yeah, good prize pool, and a lot of people donated to it, and uh, it was good. And we even we even brought back Garrett. I, I got to decide what to do with Garrett. So Garrett, we brought him back to Poker Fraud Alert for this tournament. In fact, matched him up with Sonatine. and Garrett, who was banned before. For crazy behavior, so Garrett was brought back for the duration of this tournament. Then, I, then after he got eliminated, I banned him again and said, "Look, you know, a deal's a deal." Because the, the the agreement was he would be unbanned if uh, he'd be unbanned if he won the tournament. So once he lost, it's okay, a deal's a deal. I got to ban you. But then when I banned him, people were actually upset and saying, "No, no, no, let him stay till the end of it." So I, I unbanned him, and I have to say, Garrett has behaved well since he was unbanned. And people have trolled him. People people troll Garrett all the time. And despite the trolling he's received, he has not reacted to it. Like, he's actually been very calm about the whole thing. But I don't know. I don't know what to do. Part of me wants to just leave him unbanned, but then, you know, there was this deal. And then we, you know, we have had issues in the past with him just kind of flipping out. If, if we had calm Garrett all the time, there would be no question that he should stay unbanned. I just, I just don't know if calm Garrett will be a... Someone who remains, or if we get the other version of him, which I don't like very much, so uh, I don't know what to say. I think I think I think you should leave him unbanned. You should leave Garrett unbanned. Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask around on the forum and ask certain people I respect about it. Like in these situations where I don't have a strong feeling either way, uh, I, I will consult people on the forum who've been around a long time, whose opinions I respect, and uh, and also I'll ask the general user base what they think, and then that will often influence what I do. Like like. When I banned him, and then during the tournament after he was eliminated, and then people were upset, saying, "Come on, unban him until the end." I said, "Okay, I did. I did it because people asked me to undo it, and I, I didn't feel strongly either way. So I went with what the users wanted. So I'll, I think I'll treat it the I, same way." I just think it's fun to tell him to shut up. Yeah. Well, I'll say this: when he's not going crazy, uh, not only does he sometimes make some informative posts like he doesn't just shit post he actually has made informative posts that are decent I, people laugh when I say that but he really has and he actually if, if he's not in crazy mode like even when people troll him he takes it very well like better than most people do actually when they get trolled but he gets trolled by a lot of people but uh, but he, he's been taking it very well since he came back now he might be on his best behavior because it's like a short term thing it's, I, I don't know what to say so we'll, we'll figure out what to do about Garrett. He, he even once co-hosted this show, and he did a decent job. So it's like, yeah, I, I remember that. He, I remember that episode. He, I, he was, he seemed pretty normal on on the radio, but yeah, he did. Uh, and, and I heard, know, when he when he gets in one of those moves on the forum, he can uh, go go a little crazy. Yeah, and and in fact, I heard that episode again uh, like six months ago, nine months ago, when I was listening to the call to listen line. And I, I heard him, I go, wow, yeah, he, he sounds totally normal. You'd never guess from listening to this guy that he freaks out on the forum sometimes. So if, if, if I just heard, I was, I was listening to the call to listen line the other day. Do you remember when, uh, Weissman hosted one with you? Yes. That one was, that one was good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that too. Oh yeah. That was a good episode. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. just random. I mean, all the, all the different people you've had on with you over the years, you know, it's, it's funny. Like when you catch one from, 2012, 2013 on the call to listen line, just the people that have been in and out of the co-hosting, it's 
Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's it's a revolving door. We've even had some regular co-hosts that have uh, come and gone, like Vowels, like Daredevil, and uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we don't lose Calwatt and Trader Ruski though. They've been pretty stable. Trader Ruski, you can you yeah, they're to, good. You can disappear on me anytime soon. Or are you going to stay around? I'll be here for a while. <laughs> so you know, and, may, and maybe that should be a prize for the next uh, <clears throat> the next tournament. The winner gets to unband whoever they want. Well, but. I'll have to make a few exceptions, but yeah, maybe, maybe they can. That's that's not a bad idea. Free free fluffer. Yeah, like fluffer. I to say no. It's all right. Uh, anyway, uh, hooded end. Uh, congratulations, and I'm you know, of the people who won, who could have won. I have to say that uh, I, I was fairly happy to see you had won. Like there are certain people on the forum I, I like less than you. That had they won, of course. Uh, I would have congratulated them too, but but secretly I would have helped, hoped someone else won. But uh, when they saw you won, I was like, okay, good. You know, I, I like him. So I was happy for you that you won it. Thanks, Jeff. All right, so. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, are you, can I ask you, are you going to be in Vegas? Um, I'll be there from June 10th to the 16th. Are you going to be there during that time? Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. A lot of people I know seem to be coming from June 10th to the 16th or around there. And it happens to be the week I will not be there, but I will be there on the 16th itself. And, uh, and I'll be there on the 10th also, but I may not be available. So, uh, I, maybe I can meet you before or after, you know, something like the very beginning or very end of your trip, but that's unfortunately the week where most of that I won't be there. All right. Well, maybe we can set something up. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I would like to meet you. So anyway, uh, thank you for calling in. Anything else you'd like to say before we move forward to the sports betting topic? Nope. Just uh, another shout out to China and Drexel for putting on the classic and uh, was fun. Yes. Yeah. Thank you to both of them. And uh, they, they did a great job. And like, even little things like the trophy that uh, yeah, I would have never expected it to end up being part of this. And uh, I, I thought, I thought everything was very well done and a very great touch at the end. And, uh, Whole thing was very well executed. So thank you to them and congratulations. Thanks, Rob. All right. Good evening. So that was Hooded Ann, who clarified that he's not a racist. He's just a hooded N period, pretty much. N being the first initial of his first name, which I know, and it does start with N. So he's not just making up excuses. So. We're going to move on to our main topic, and that is the sports betting topic. And that is a topic which I personally have a lot of interest in. Not only is it something we need to cover on this show, which is about Las Vegas and is about gambling, and there's a lot of people in poker who also bet sports, but I have become very interested in sports betting, especially in the past, uh, I'd say, six months or so. And that is because starting the 2017-18 NBA season, I basically remade my betting strategies and really took the whole thing seriously. Rather than just kind of firing from the hip and saying, oh, I think think this team's going to win and betting that way. That's what I was doing before. I was not a super regular sports better, but I was a recreational sports better. And I had my winning streaks, especially... uh, in 2016, in the summer in baseball, I had I had a nice streak going. But overall, when you add it all together, I was a losing sports better. 
because I, I didn't have a carefully orchestrated scientific method to approach it. I was just approaching it the way a lot of people approach it, and that was just to say, hey, I think this is who's going to win. I think this is a good value line, and I'd bet on it. And I, I, I was betting on some prop bets that were suggested by Daly, and those did very well. So I thank him for that. And, but as far as my own picks, uh, overall, I was losing because I wasn't approaching it the right way. So starting this year, not this year, this starting this past NBA season, I think it was in the very beginning of November 2017, I decided that uh, I was going to, if, I said, if I'm going to do this, I've got to approach this in a more intelligent fashion. And that was the way I approached Blackjack, by the way, back in the year 2000, where I said, you know what, why am I going to play Blackjack and just losing my ass overall because it's a negative expectation game, and I know that. Why don't I learn how to count cards? So I went to go learn how to count cards, and I became a, a positive expectation Blackjack player. I don't really play much Blackjack anymore, but uh, I approached the sports thing in the same way. I said, I can't just approach sports the same way everyone else does. A lot of people approach sports very arrogantly, like, oh, I know so much about sports, I'm sure I can be a winning sports better. No, you're not. You're not going to be one. You may think so. If if you're just approaching it like, hey, I'm just picking this game because I think it's going to win, you're going to lose overall. The house juice is going to eat you up. So I approach this in a different way, and I got off to a great start in the NBA. Cowwatch trying to call up here. Uh, Trader Risky, let me let me connect Calwatt on, and I'll, I'll connect you. So I'm going to drop you, and I'm going to answer Calwatt. Calwatt, hello. How you doing, Drop? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, it's kind of distorted. Is it? it it's, right. it's better now. You're a little bit. You kind of came out loud, like vroom, vroom, can you hear me? But now, now it just right when you said "is it," it got better. Yeah, I'm on a totally new computer and a new setup, so if it's awful, I can go to another one. Uh, it's not awful, it's just a little bit, uh, it sounds like maybe your volume's a little too loud or you're speaking too close to the microphone. It sounds like I'll it's... Call you back. I'll call you back. Okay, you'll call back. I'll probably have to remake the whole Skype call at that point. <laughs> anyway, uh, I got Trader Ruski back on. So, glad to see Calwad has shown up, in fact, slightly early, and... Anyway, uh, I got off to a great start in the NBA, had a very good first two months of the season, had a spectacular record, in fact, that was uh, better than I could have ever expected, better than anyone I knew. Then reality set in and variance set in, and the fact that my early season strategy wasn't working very well for the mid and later season, and eventually I gave up towards the late season, just saying, okay, well, the strategy I had, it looks like it was great for early season. I'm going to pretty much bring the same strategy for the 2018-19 season for those months, but then I'm going to have to revisit it kind of around January 1st because things kind of change around then. So I found something good, but I just stuck with it too long. Overall, I ended up with a winning record in the NBA. And when I say winning, I mean even if you, have, even if you take into account the house juice – I still had a good enough record to where I, I won. But I'm looking to do better next year because the second part of the season I didn't do that well. So it negated the great first two months I had. But now we're on in baseball season. I, I've been on a few NBA playoff games, but that's very hard to bet profitably. So I've been on a few, but for the most part I'm out of that. 
But I've been concentrating on baseball. And that's gone quite well. That has gone quite well so far. In fact, that's gone about as well as my early NBA season went. So I will be monitoring to see if uh, in June, July, August, if this strategy works as well as it has in April and May. But uh, I've done quite well in that. So, and I put, I've put a lot of time into it. And in fact, in some days I'll wake up early when there's early games. And uh, I've put a lot of time and effort into it. I haven't bet large sums of money yet. I've bet moderate sums of money. I'm not betting 20 bucks on the game. I'm, be- I'm betting something substantial, but just not something huge. Not something that's going to uh, make me a ton or lose me a ton, no matter how well or poorly I do. It's been tempting, but I, I haven't gotten there yet. I've, got, I've still got to get the confidence that uh, everything is as solid as I think it is. So, anyway, the reason I'm telling you all this is not to brag, but I'm, I'm telling you guys this because I've been very interested personally in sports betting since around November. I did it before, but this is when I've got much more seriously involved in it. And I have been doing this almost exclusively through online sites, which are not legal. It's not illegal for me to bet on them, but it's illegal for these sites to run. And, of course, there's always the chance they could shut down and screw me. Now, I'm I'm betting on long-established sites with a good history. But still, they're not regulated. They're not in the U.S. They could disappear, and I would have zero recourse. I have thought about, wouldn't it be nice if I could just bet legally on a fully licensed and regulated site located in the U.S.? Wouldn't it be great if I could just do that and not ever worry about the site shutting down and me getting paid? And Because something, I, I don't want to leave a very large bankroll on these sites, even the established ones. So, like, wouldn't it be nice to have, just be able to load these sites up with a lot of money? And just start betting from there? Hey, Druff, how are you? Yeah, it, it sounds better so far. Let me add Trader Ruski back. For whatever reason, whenever I have Trader Ruski on first, I can never add someone to the... So I'm going to do it backwards. But uh, so far, you sound better. It better be better is what I'm normally doing. Yeah, it, it sounds like that. Okay. So uh, anyway, Trader Ruski, welcome back. And so I did we get through the agenda yet, or what's the deal? Uh, we're about what's half. Up, we're about half through. The much, ag- about half through the agenda. We'll we'll get to the end shortly. But all right. No, I'm just kidding. We're we're, the, we're just starting the sports betting topic. So so anyway, I've always I had always wondered, especially in the last several months, what it would be like if I didn't have to use these illegal online sites, and if I could just load up a licensed and regulated site with a bunch of money and. And bet that way. Well, it looks like that fantasy is, is, is coming true. But it's going to be a little time, but not too long. It's looking like everything is uh, chugging along. And it's because of a very surprising turn of events that really no one expected, which occurred six days ago on Monday, Monday, May 14th, which will go down as a very historic day in sports betting, May 14th, 2018. Something no one expected. And unlike Black Friday and poker, which was seen as a very negative day that was unexpected and historic, uh, this is a positive development in the world of sports betting on May 14th, 2018. So are we going to be racist about it and call it like Black, White Monday or something? I wouldn't say it's racist. You can call it White Monday. <laughs> well, associating white with good and black with bad, you know? 
that's your interpretation. I could just say that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, could, I could just say that uh, it means it's, it's representative of what the colors people would wear in old time movies, like in westerns, where the good guys wearing white and the bad guys wearing black, but they're both white people. Again, maybe for the same reasons. Could be. Anyway, uh, white Monday. You know, I, had a, I had a buddy of mine, Druff, who was uh, talking about this whole Papspa thing, and he's like. Well, you know, do you think that that means that we're going to get legal online poker world, you know, nationwide now that they're doing this? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> that's one. That's <laughs> one. So. That's, that's one. Of, that's one of our topics. But yes, that, that's. Okay. I've, I had the same question from people. Yeah. So, All right. so the PASPA that you're referring to, for those of you that don't know, it's the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. This was a weird law on the books, a federal law. Which it's it's very unique in that I've never seen anything else like it. In that it gave preference to one state over everything else. I've never seen a federal law like that that says you can do this, but only in this one state. The other forty nine can't. I've never seen federal laws applying differently to different states. The whole point of a federal law is it applies equally to all fifty states and all the U.S. territories usually, but here. It was a federal law that applied equally to most states, and then a few had some minor exceptions, and then Nevada had a full exception. The reason this law was passed back in 92 was basically to prevent sports from being corrupted by organized crime, for point shaving, for game fixing. The assumption was, since Nevada did not have any professional sports teams, that uh, and it only had one amateur team, and that was uh, UNLV. Actually, I guess probably one in Reno too. But it didn't have it didn't have any kind. Of, other than that, there were no other teams that anyone would be wanting to bet on. In uh, as far as sports betting was concerned, so the assumption was that organized crime based out of Las Vegas would have a lot harder time influencing and reaching players in other places if you just confined it to Nevada where there were just about no teams playing that anyone would want to bet on. This is a tw- this is 26 years ago, almost well, 25 and a half years ago. It was effective October 28th, 1992. And it made it legal to have full sports betting only in Nevada, and then a very, very limited form in Oregon, Delaware, and Montana. But uh, when I say very limited, like you couldn't even bet straight on games. You couldn't just say, hey, I, I'm betting on the Dodgers to win today. You couldn't even do that. So the, it, it, for all practical purposes, there really wasn't sports betting in any state except for Nevada. New Jersey wasn't happy about this because New Jersey is where Atlantic City is located and they were pretty much the Vegas of the East Coast, especially back then. And they could not offer sports betting like Vegas could. But that's the way it stood for many years and in recent years there have been attempts to challenge PASPA and to try to get it overturned. These were spearheaded by New Jersey and every time, it just kept running into a wall and failing. We talked about it before on the show, various episodes of 
the numerous attempts by New Jersey to try to get PASPA overturned, and every single time it ended in embarrassing failure. I even said, I don't see this happening. Like, it was so discouraging. It wasn't even like it was close to happening or maybe happening. Every time it just seemed like no, 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 and no chance. That seemed to be the answer. So if somebody had asked me before May 14th whether I thought that PASPA was going to get overturned anytime soon, I would say, no way. All the signs were there that it had no chance of occurring. And that is why it was very surprising when on uh, May 14th, 2018, that exactly happened. The Supreme Court, which had accepted this case in uh, June of 2017 and heard oral arguments in December 2017, uh, but it just it didn't seem like it was going well. Everything was pointing to that it was going to fail. But uh, the Supreme Court ruled by a 7-2 decision, wasn't even close, on May 14th, that PASPA was unconstitutional for the same reason that I had always thought it was, that it commandeers power from the states. That this is not the way our country is supposed to work, where the federal government can make something legal only for certain states. The federal government can say, this is illegal federally, nobody can do it. But the federal government can't say, they can't basically act as the state government and say it's going to be legal in this state, but not this state, this state, this state. So either they've got to leave it up to the states to make it legal or illegal, or they've got to make it illegal entirely. I mean, that's the theory, but they do that anyway by manipulating states with budgets and that kind of thing. Yeah, but but this is, you know, they, if you don't do this, you're not going to get this federal money. Yes, you know? yes, it does. It does happen, but I've never seen, aside from this, any kind of specific law. Saying this right. is this is illegal everywhere but Nevada. I've mean, never seen any law similar to this, and I, I it, it made me wonder. I said this before on this show how this could have occurred, how how they thought this was constitutional. It just it goes against the entire model the United States has of the, the federal government and the, and the fifty individual state governments operating under that umbrella. So as I said, it can make something illegal federally to where it just can't be done, period, in any of the states, but to to say this can be legal in this state but not the other state, that, that seemed like a total violation of states' rights, and that's what ended up being the decision by a 7-2 to margin, which these days is pretty uncommon. Usually the, the Supreme Court goes by uh, party lines in one way or another. 7-2 to two is a, a pretty wide margin. That means there's a bipartisan backing on this at the Supreme Court. So that's been done. And this was a big news story that day to where even people who don't follow gambling news or sports news or anything like that, they heard about it. This is the, the lead story of May 14th. And pretty much everyone heard about it. I had a number of people who knew that I was into sports betting and that I was into gambling in general uh, come to me asking questions about it. And a lot of people were very uh, misinformed already or, or made incorrect assumptions. In fact, many erroneously believed that uh, 
it just was instantly legal and you could just go place legalized sports bets the next day. And that's not how it works. In fact, today, six days later, May 20th, uh, it's no different right now. There, there's, there are no additional legal sports bets you could place today that you couldn't a week ago. But it's a process that has gotten started. Basically, all that has happened so far, though it's a very big development. I don't want to minimize this. It's a very big thing, but it's a process. This is only step one of the process that has occurred. And that is the federal government has decided that they're staying out of it. That's all. The federal government has said, we are no longer going to interfere with sports betting. So if your state wants it, they can write their own laws and regulations around it, and they can have it. If they don't want it, then they can prohibit it. We're not going to get involved anymore. It's up to each of the 50 states whether they want it and how they're going to do it. That's all that's been done. So this is not... Some, the federal government is not licensing and regulating sports betting. They're not operating sports betting. Sports betting hasn't just suddenly become available everywhere. There's some people who believe, oh, now you can bet on, on high school games. This is awful. No, not, not true. That's not going to happen. Each state is going to write its own laws and regulations on sports betting. And I guarantee not any of the states that are interested in doing this are going to make betting on high school games legal. You're not going to be able to walk into your, your local Indian casino and bet on a high school game. It's not going to happen. So if you have fears like that, don't have them. It's going to be something similar to what already exists in Vegas. We already have a model for it that's existed for many decades. So if you think of sports betting in Vegas, that may come to your state a, a very similar version. Not identical, but a very similar version of it will come to your state. And instead of having to go to Vegas or somewhere else in Nevada to legally sports bet, now you'll be able to go to a casino closer to you if you're in one of the states that chooses to do it and bet that way or even bet online through an app. And that will be legal as well if the state chooses to do so. That's another misconception some people have both ways. I had some people saying, well, this is great, but uh, when, when is online wagering going to come? When's that decision going to come down? Well, it already has come down. It's uh, It exists. Right now, you can bet legally using an app. You can bet sports legally using an app if you're physically located in the state of Nevada and if you've set it up in advance. You can't just decide on a whim, oh, I want to bet online now through an app and do it. You, you have to have already set it up, and there's a process to it, and it's kind of a pain in the ass, so it's not really good for tourists. But like, if you live in Vegas and you bet a lot of sports, you definitely would want to set that up. And then, yes, you can do it with an app. In fact, Brandon has showed me the app that he has used to do that. He has a few apps that he does this with. And it's legal. This is through Vegas casinos. It's legal, and he does this without leaving his home. So that's already allowed. You just have to be physically standing in Nevada to do it, and you have to set it up in advance. So that likely is coming to every state or just about every state that's going to uh, legalize sports betting. So that will be there. You will not have to go to a physical casino to do it. 
every state will have their own decisions and, and, and uh, requirements for this. And the, the setup process may be a pain in the ass, but it's like a one-time thing. So, you will be able to do it online. So, uh, some people thought that online wasn't going to be possible with this, and, and some people uh, also thought that the other way, that now this is passed, now you can just go online and do it, for you know, and it's legal, and it's not like that. What about existing online sports books that are not in the U.S., like like Bovada, like Bet Online, like Five Dimes? Are, are they going to be legal? Will they get licensed and regulated? No, no, they're going to retain the same status as they've always had. In fact, there there may be a stronger effort to go after them because they will become the competition for many states, and these states are not going to like that. So there may be more of an effort to bust. Bovada and Bet Online and Five Dimes and Bookmaker.com and all these other large online sports books. So watch out for that. You're not going to get busted. If you're using them, you're not risking anything yourself other than your money. But they may have some tough times ahead. Uh, as, so, so when will this become legal and which states are, are considering it? Which states want it, which ones don't want it. Now, I will admit, I don't have a full list of this, but there are some states which already uh, have the process going. Others which uh, are likely to get it going pretty soon. Others which haven't started, and others which have no interest at all. So it is estimated right now, and just, just an estimate, that uh, 32 states will have legalized sports betting in place within five years. You may say five years, that's a long time. Well, it is, but I said within five years. There will be some that will have it ready very quickly, meaning probably within the next few months. Others that will probably have it sometime next year. Others which will be further down the road. It, it depends how important it is to these individual states. It depends how much they've done already. Some of them have done just about everything already in anticipation of this day happening at some point. The, what happened on May 14th, a few states actually got ready for it. Of Hey, what if it gets legal? What if, what if the prohibition on this is lifted? Will we be ready to go online very quickly? So there were a few states that did that. And I'll tell you about them in a second. So there's there's a lot to do if they haven't gotten started yet. They have to draft the regulations and laws surrounding sports betting, which takes a lot longer than you think. They have to issue licenses. The platforms have to be built to do it. It's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of work on a lot of ends to get this done. So if there's been nothing done yet in your state, then it'll be some time. There are some states that are not going to want it. Utah, no chance. They're not going to want it. They, they have no gambling in Utah. Hawaii, no chance. They're not going to want it. They have no gambling there either. There are other states that are probably unlikely to have it. Wyoming's one of them. I know there's not many people there, but uh, still. Uh, if you think about any state that just does not have a lot of gambling, the only two states with no gambling at all are 
Utah and Hawaii. But any state you could think of that doesn't have much gambling probably will not legalize sports betting. So here's the here's a, a list, a partial list of the states that are uh, expected to legalize sports betting. Uh, let me first tell you about the ones that are likely to get it online quickly. So New Jersey, of course, they're the ones who are behind this whole thing. They are definitely going to be one of the first. They've been pressing for this for years. and This has been their dream. They needed to revive Atlantic City. Atlantic City has been rapidly declining because the, there are many other choices to gamble on the East Coast used to be that you had to go to Atlantic City if you wanted to gamble on the East Coast. Not anymore. There's a lot of different places to go. So New Jersey really wants to bring this in to prop Atlantic City back up and also just to make revenue for the state. Delaware. They already currently have a sports lottery that has uh, NFL parlay bets. They, they have one of the... Uh, they were one of the states who had limited sports betting. They are likely to be ready pretty quickly. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, Mississippi and West Virginia. They have also put a lot of effort into uh, getting ready for this. So if you're in Mississippi, if you're in West Virginia, uh, both of those states uh, are likely to get it going pretty soon as well. How soon? I don't know, but uh, those will probably be the first four. New Jersey, Delaware, Mississippi, West Virginia. The only one of those four that's kind of surprising to me is West Virginia. I, I didn't know much about a gambling scene in West Virginia. Mississippi, sure, there's, there's a lot of casinos there. New Jersey and Delaware, they already have online poker legalized, so that's not a surprise. New Jersey, of course, they've been pushing for this, so the least surprising. Five other states at least have some laws that are ready to be enacted. So they're a little bit behind, but they at least have some laws already passed that will take effect pretty much immediately now that the federal ban has been lifted. Those five states, uh, well, there's West Virginia and Mississippi, I already mentioned. But then there's three others. Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and your state, Calwatt, New York. So those are the states who, who, who have done something first. These, these are states that have actually done something in preparation for this. New Jersey, Delaware, West Virginia, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New York. There are 14 other states that are considering active bills that have been proposed to legalize sports betting. So these ones are the, the next ones probably to get it. But they haven't officially done anything yet. They've just, uh, they have active bills. They haven't passed any laws yet, but they're already on the way. California, Louisiana. South Carolina, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Iowa, 
Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, Maryland, Rhode Island. Some of them are surprising to me. Like uh, Kansas surprises me. South Carolina surprises me. Uh, Kentucky surprises me. The rest of them... I, I, I Rhode Island kind of too, but it, it just kind of it's so small. That's the reason I'm a little surprised by them. But and I haven't heard of much much of a gambling scene there either. The rest of them all have enough of a, a an existing gambling scene where it doesn't surprise me. But those are the uh, 14 states that are considering active bills to legalize sports betting, but haven't officially done so yet. So. Those are just 20 states that I've mentioned. What about the other 12? I don't know. Where did I get the number 32? I got it from an article on Bloomberg and another article I read somewhere else, but who knows? That just That's just an estimate of within five years, there will be 32 states offering sports betting. Could be more, could be less. It's on the internet. It must be true, Drew. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, but the 20 I mentioned, again, New York, or sorry, New Jersey, Delaware, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Mississippi, California, Louisiana, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, Maryland, Rhode Island. Those 20 are probably likely to have it in not too long, some faster than others, as I've already mentioned. But there's a lot of more, a lot more work to do. For example, in Connecticut and New York, they have not established any kind of law yet regarding mobile betting. What I was just talking about—that uh, if you want to bet from your phone using an app—that uh, they haven't even begun to establish that in Connecticut and New York. West Virginia and Pennsylvania are going to allow it for sure. Mississippi, you may not be able to do it on your phone. They're, right now, they're leaning towards just having it at casinos and then seeing where it goes from there. They're not 100% against it, but they, it seems like they're going to want to take it take it uh, from casinos and then see how that goes and then see if they want to add mobile betting as well. And it's going to be up to each state. So the laws will probably differ from state to state regarding what is allowed, what isn't. So don't expect it to be uniform across all the states that legalize it. Will you be able to bet in some of the states that are just about ready, like New Jersey and Delaware, will you be able to place legal sports bets, say, this summer? I don't think it'll be that fast. I Maybe late summer. I don't know the exact timetable, but I'd be surprised if they didn't have this online by the end of 2018. At least New Jersey and Delaware. Now... A state that was left out of that whole thing, what I just read you, is there's two states that surprised me that are not on that list. Oregon and Montana. Because they have what they call sports lotteries in these two states, as well as Delaware. They have uh, that very limited type of sports betting I was talking about in Oregon, Delaware, and Montana. But for some reason, Oregon and Montana were not mentioned as states that were actively looking to legalize sports betting. But I wouldn't be surprised if it does become 
fully legal in those two states as well. But PASPA is done, and sports betting can proceed. And now it's just a matter of putting it on place. Now it's a matter of the states getting the regulations and the laws and the licenses in place to where it's offered. And of course, for matters like the mobile platform, they have to get all that online and get all that approved, make sure the geolocation services that prove that you're really in the state when you're placing your bets are all functional and certified as uh, as working. So there will be some time for all that. But it, it's, a, it's a very good uh, development here. And unlike the situation with poker, which has been very slow, we're not likely to see the same thing with sports betting, because it's actually much less complex. Poker, there's, there's a lot they, they had to worry about. For example, in California, what they do about the bad actors like poker stars. Do they allow them? Do they not allow them? A lot they had to deal with with, with online poker, where online sports betting, not, not just online, sports betting, they're not going to have to worry about that, at least not to a large degree. They're just going to be issuing licenses to existing casinos. But it will be some time, no matter what state you're in, unless you're in Nevada, where it's already legal. Now, you may have heard, either on this show or just by reading the news, about the obnoxious 1% quote integrity fee. See, for many years, the major sports and the NCAA, which governs amateur sports, were very against gambling on their sports. They felt it would corrupt the game. They felt that it, it uh, was too much of a temptation for players and for uh, officials. They just didn't want it. They felt that it was a burden on them. They were very anti-gambling on their sport. As the years have passed, they have changed their stance for the most part. Because they realized that when people are betting actively on a sport, they become interested in the sport. They want to watch the sport on TV. They may even become fans of the sport where they weren't before, because now they can bet on it, and it becomes more interesting to some people. You you imagine if it's the, the Gelfond equivalent, and the, the sports teams, their names were only a particular thing for 24 hours? <laughs> <laughs> and then they randomly changed? <laughs> It's a good thing he's not running the the sports leagues here. I know it's a different, totally different thing, and it's a cheap shot, but it's still funny to think about. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe there'll there'll be a maybe the logo for each team will, will change every time they win or lose. <laughs> oh, dear like God. The, yeah, the, there's there's no more score. There's no score. There's just a face that shows a, you know how they feel they're doing versus just, the other just a the face. Like the the, the, uh, the Cleveland Indian gets angry if if they're losing. Right. <laughs> Or he he falls asleep if they're not, if they're not scoring. All right, so 
uh, getting back to the thing with with the leagues and how they feel about it, and this how it is going to affect this law. So a few months ago, I think it was a few months ago, they came up with a very obnoxious proposal called the integrity fee, where basically Major League Baseball and the NBA said, okay, we are for legalizing sports betting. We're for it now. But with one catch, with one catch, we're still afraid that legalized sports betting will... It has the potential to corrupt our sports, and we don't like that. So we've come up with, with a solution. Even though sports betting already exists in Las Vegas, they keep forgetting that. They they keep pretending like this is a new thing, like it's never been tried before. It, it's been going on for decades in Nevada, but they claim somehow allowing it elsewhere will change everything, and now it can be corrupted. So in order to prevent this corruption, they wanted a 1% integrity fee to be introduced, which would be payable to their respective leagues. <laughs> so what I mean by that is if you were to bet $100 on a baseball game, then $1 off the top would be sent to Major League Baseball, win or lose. You're, basically, your $100 bet would... Uh, um, a dollar of that would have to go to Major League Baseball simply because a Major League Baseball bet was placed. Now you may say, okay, 1%, that's nothing, who cares? That's actually a lot. That is actually a lot. Because of the profit margins that exist in sports betting. Because if you think about sports betting, there's a side that wins and a side that loses. And the way the sports book makes money is by charging juice on the bet. To where... Uh, they, they're basically keeping a percentage of the bet uh, that wins. That, that's how they make their money. Trev, do you have like an AC unit going on there or something? No. There's no AC unit. Is, do you hear, you hear a, a noise like that? that? There's nothing here that's making a noise. It's really, it's like this trippy effect. Anytime you start talking, there's like this. Really? Oh, well. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask the chat room for help. The chat room... How do I sound? Is it just uh, to Cal what I sound like? Uh, I have an AC running behind me, or what about uh, Trederuski? Do you hear an AC running behind me? I do not. Okay, maybe it's just Cal what. Uh, it, it's possible. It's because I've got headphones on, so I can really hear it. But it's weird. Like when you're talking, it sounds fine, but when you trail off, there's like this kind of afterglow. Like whoosh, okay. I don't know. It's really bizarre. They're all saying it sounds fine in the chat room, so I think I think we're good. Can, can you? Yeah, I must have had something weird in my Coca Cola tonight. <laughs> maybe it, it, maybe it's just you, just in your head. Yeah. Is it tolerable? Is it really bothering you? Or you're just oh no no no, okay. it's not bad at all. Okay. okay. It was just it was just kind. Of, it's kind of trippy. As as long as it's just you, I, I'm I'm okay. I with thought you might have thought you might have upgraded your budget and it's some kind of cool special effect that you got going on. No no. In fact, even if I did have an air conditioner running here, it, w- it wouldn't be running today because it's a cool day. I don't, it didn't reach 70 today here. So Anyway, I'm glad that everybody else is not hearing this. It, it doesn't bother me if, if you're uncomfortable, only if the rest of the uh, the audience is. No, it's really not bad at all. And, okay. it, and when you're talking, again, it's clear. Okay. It's that space between when you trail off and then when you start up again that there's like a... Well, that's good. It's it kind of cool. It, it it's kind of cool. It, it makes you want to wish for me to keep talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
I don't think I need to wish for that. I think it's going to happen. So anyway, this this integrity fee to take one percent off of every bet, winning bet, losing bet, that is going to kill the casino's margin. Because remember, they have operational costs too. It's not like the the piece they take of every bet is just pure profit. They they have costs. So now this is going to take this one percent is going to be a fairly large percent of their profits. So who do you think is going to have to pay for that? I don't think it's going to be the casino. Technically, they'll be paying it, but they'll be getting the money from you. And the way they'll do that is they will make the house juice greater. So let's take an NBA game, for example. The way NBA betting tends to work, the the typical NBA bet where you just bet on a team, it has a point spread to make it to where it evens out for a better team versus a worse team. So let's say Golden State is is playing Denver, and Golden State, uh, being the better team, uh, they're given their eight-point favorites. So the way it would work is you'd be betting Golden State minus eight, meaning if Golden State wins by nine or more, you win the bet. If Golden State either loses or wins by a margin of 1 to 7, you still lose the bet. And if they win by 8, then you tie the bet and just get your money back. That's what Golden State minus 8 would mean. But, how much money do you win? Well, you'd be betting it usually at what's known as minus 110. Minus 110 means you're not getting even money. Minus 110 means you're getting paid 10 to 11. So if you bet $11, you would win $10. And typically, both sides are betting at minus 110. So let's say you bet Golden State minus 8, and your friend bet Denver plus 8 with the same casino. You're not, bet, not betting with each other, but you're, you're both betting at the same casino. Okay, So you're on opposite sides of the same bet. And let's say you bet, let, let's say each of you bet $110. And then let's say Golden State won by 12, so it covered. So you betting on Golden State, you'd get paid $100 plus your 110 back that you originally bet. Your friend will have lost $110 that he bet. He just tears up his ticket at that point. So the net result, your friend lost minus, your friend lost 110, you won 100, the casino made $10. That's how it works. But, let's take a look at the 1% integrity fee. If that were in place, a dollar ten would be taken from your bet and your friend's bet and sent over to the NBA, which would be two dollars and twenty cents. So all of a sudden, that ten dollars that the casino made gets reduced by two twenty, and it becomes seven dollars and eighty cents. So that just cut. That just added a, an expense of twenty two percent there. Just what kind of integrity are we talking about here, Druff? A lack of integrity. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. So so that 1% all of a sudden becomes 22% of the casino's profits. So that's a very simple and pure example of how bad this 1% will be. So what the casino has to do at that point, because they're not going to just take a, a 22% hit in their profits at the sports book, or it's not even just a 20% 
it's not even twenty two percent to hit. It's, it's worse than that because there again you have to subtract the operational costs from this. So let's do that too. Let's just say uh, the, uh, of that ten dollars they made, they lose uh, six dollars in operational costs. So they've actually only made four dollars here. Then you take away the two dollars twenty cents, it goes down to a dollar eighty. They've they just cut in more than half their profits. So th- that's the problem. That's why that one percent was so terrible. And the only way that they can compensate for this is to change that minus one ten to minus one fifteen on both sides, or minus one twenty. So minus one twenty would mean you'd have to bet twelve dollars to win ten on either side. Is that a big deal? Yes, it's a huge deal. It is hard enough as a sports better to overcome that ten to eleven payout. It sounds like it's not a lot. If you say, okay, you know what's what's the big deal? You get paid ten eleventh what you bet instead of the even money. Big deal. It's pretty close, right? It's not. In the NBA, for example, let's go back to the NBA. Nobody's picking sixty percent winners successfully in the long term. Nobody. I, I had a period I was like at sixty two percent and I was I was thinking I was great. Well I knew that wasn't gonna stand. I knew my sixty two percent was not gonna stand, and it didn't. So if you can pick like fifty seven percent in the NBA, you're you're great. You really really, seriously, if you if you pick fifty seven percent winners in the NBA in that in that fashion, you're a very good NBA handicapper. So what do you need to break even with that juice? You need to pick 52.38%. That's the magic number to be a winning NBA better if, if, if you're betting minus 110 each time. Which is, again, harder than you might think. And, of course, the f- farther above you get from 52.38, the more profit you make. But the point is here, once you change that minus 110 to minus 115, minus 120, this, it becomes unbeatable, even for, for very good handicappers. So as soon as this 1% integrity fee was proposed, where the NBA and Major League Baseball were saying, hey, well, we'll get behind you guys. We're going to get behind you guys in overturning PASPA, but we want that 1%. If you want our cooperation, we want that 1%. The sports betting world was very, very unhappy with this. Instead of saying, oh, great, they're supporting us now, the sports betting world was outraged and pissed off. Now you might say, what can they do about this? What can they do about this if the state says they won't pay it? For example, there's no integrity fee in Nevada. The Nevada sports books don't have to pay anything like that. So these new sports books, what if they these new states allowing sports betting, what if they don't allow it? And the answer is uh, there's not much they can do. But some may choose to do it anyway just to get the leagues off their back. Or in some cases because the leagues will convince them that this is necessary to protect game fixing. So they may tell the state, it's important that you guys pay this to us so we can use this money to keep the games honest. And if we can't, 
you may end up with organized crime in your state, fixing matches. You don't want this, so so trust us. You you want to you want to take this and give this to us so we can do the job we need to do to keep the integrity of the sport intact. This is BS, by the way. This is BS because they already have a motivation in the professional sports leagues to keep the integrity of the game. You, you think major? You think as it stands, Major League Baseball is okay with having the games fixed, or but by, by organized crime, or the NBA is okay with having the games fixed by organized crime? There's no chance. And, and by the way, game fixing in these major sports is pretty much a thing of the past because the players make so much money. Now, yes, there's been a few cases semi recently where refs are caught. Uh, in point-shaving scandals, but it's, it's, it's harder for the officials to do it, first of all, than the players themselves. Yes, the, the officials can have an impact, especially in a, in a close situation. But it's very difficult to get to the players at this point with all the money they're making. They're just It just would never be worth it these days for a Major League Baseball player or an NBA player to risk everything, to risk the tremendous paydays they're getting to get a little extra bribe from organized crime. They wouldn't do it. So that's a thing of the past. Now, the NCAA, the, the college sports, that's it's, it could still potentially be vulnerable there, but again, these the, the players who really have the ability to influence the outcome of the game, which of course are the best players, they're looking forward to a pro career. And if they get caught in a point-shaving scandal, they may not have their pro career anymore, and they may not make the hundreds of millions of dollars that they could have coming to them. So this is really a concern from the past, which doesn't really apply very much today, and there's no reason to take 1% from every sports sports bet placed, which would be huge. That would be huge money. So this is just the NBA and Major League Baseball being greedy. Unfortunately, it looks like they are already having an impact. They might be having an impact, which which is bad news. Because I can tell you, if this 1% integrity fee or anything similar to it becomes reality, and then the sports books have to pass the cost of that down to the better, these legalized sports, the legalized sports books will be useless to all but the very casual better who doesn't understand what they're doing. So if you want to have any chance to win long-term or even medium-term in sports. It has to be very similar to the way it's currently offered in Las Vegas. If the minus 110 lines become minus 115, minus 120 in order to accommodate these fees, it's going to be unbeatable. It would be like in a poker game, them raising the rake to some ridiculous level that you couldn't beat. It's the same thing. So West Virginia, which I mentioned before, as one of the states that already has laws in place and is going to be one of the first ones to get going. They claim, or at least the governor of West Virginia, Jim Justice, claimed that there's a tentative agreement between the state's lottery commission, who I guess is going to be uh, in charge of this, and the state's licensed casino operators, and what they call the Sports Consortium, which includes all the major sports leagues, and that the agreement is about the integrity fees. 
And this is what Jim Justice said, governor of West Virginia. I insisted from day one that no part of an integrity fee for sports betting would be paid by the state. I demanded that the entire fee be paid by the casinos. Great. That means by the players. It's going to be passed down to them, probably. This was a difficult negotiation because many different parties, between many different parties, but the outcome will be very good for the state of West Virginia as well as the sports leagues. The additional dollars received by the state from sports betting will be utilized for the benefit of many of our residents. However, all of this is a moot issue until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on the legality of sports gaming across the country. This is before May 14th, by the way, he said all this. And he said that uh, the state will be working on ways to implement the integrity fee and will determine what, if any, legislation is needed for codification. However, one of the casinos in West Virginia, Penn National Gaming, said there is no agreement. There are the bones of an agreement. There are concepts that both sides are discussing further, but it's still at the conceptual phase. There's no agreement in place. So, but this is bad news that it seems like the states only care that the money doesn't come from them. The state, West Virginia's position is, look, uh, as long as we can pass it along to the casinos, uh, we're cool with the integrity fee. We'll, we'll write it into law for you, probably. Just don't make us pay. Make them pay. And then the casino will go, okay, well, we got, we got to pay, then uh, we are going to have to pass that cost down to the betters. So that's a disaster. Now, it's just one state. It's just West Virginia. Maybe the sports books there will find a way to just eat that cost and still offer the games at minus 110. And they'll still be offering the, the baseball games at what's known as the dime line. The dime line is what you're betting. In baseball, it works differently. You just bet on one team or the other, and then there's a um, odds of what you get paid. So, for example, if one, if one team is much better than the other, uh, then... For example, it'll be called like plus 200, where the the underdog is plus 200, meaning you get paid 2 to 1 on your money. And then it would be minus 220 on the other side, meaning you'd have to bet at $2.20 to win a dollar. So the dime line is what's known as... It's it's, uh, the spread between the two. This is, again, the house juice is 10 cents uh, if, if basically for every dollar there is in in the odds. So, for example, if, if, if one team is minus 150, the other would be plus 140. If one team is minus 180, the other would be uh, plus 170. And then once it gets over 200, then it's a, a 20 spread. So plus 200, minus 220, etc. And again, the, what those mean is what you'd have to... The plus means what you'd get if you were to bet a dollar... And the minus means what you would get. Actually, I guess a hundred dollars. So the plus means what you would win if you were to bet a hundred dollars. The minus means what you'd have to bet to win a hundred dollars. So plus two hundred means if you bet a hundred, you win two hundred. Minus two twenty means if you bet two twenty, you win a hundred. So they had to raise the spreads there in order to pay for this. So instead of plus two hundred minus two twenty on a game, it would be plus two hundred minus two forty. And that hurts the that hurts the better. You're just getting paid less to win, is what's happening. And that really kills you, because you're dealing with small margins. As a sports better, you're dealing with small margins when you win. So, you may, have hear, you may hear of people who 
have great sports winning streaks. In fact, you're hearing one right now. I have won 10 of my last 11 baseball bets, including some underdog bets, which pay better than even money. I've won 10 of the last 11, and uh, the last I looked, I was about to win 11 of 12, because the the one I had today was winning. Just about over, and uh, I'm about to win. Okay, So provided that doesn't really screw me, I will have won 11 of my last 12 bets. But that's not going to maintain long-term. There's no chance. I'm not going to even win two-thirds long-term. So yes, you can go on a run. Yes, if you're winning 11 out of 12, yeah, of course you can handle bigger house juice, but I'm not going to maintain that. I'm going to go through losing streaks. I'm going to go through periods where I'm kind of breaking even. So every time the house juice is worse, it hurts me. You're dealing with small margins. So hopefully that does not become an issue. And we're still seeing where that goes. Hopefully this is all not for naught. Because if we have house juice that's unbeatable, why even bother betting? Then it's all useless to anyone except for people who don't know that they're uh, betting at very bad odds. Now, there's a theory that perhaps the casinos will have to find a way to offer odds like they are offering today in Vegas because they're still competing with the offshore sites like Bovada, like Bet Online, like Five Dimes. But I don't know about that. A lot of people are afraid to bet on those sites. That's why I believe sports betting will get much bigger in the U.S. I believe it will become much, much more popular to sports bet in the U.S. once it becomes fully legal and regulated. So I think at that point, they're not going to worry that much about competition from these online sites. And in fact, they may actually put out more effort to bust them and get them out of the U.S. market entirely. Where they've been kind of lax with that up till now. So, in fact, they may not mind the fact that the better sports bettors, the ones who are who know what they're doing, stick with the online sites where, where they can still beat them and, uh, and, and stay away from the casinos. They may not even want those customers. So, there's actually an article on Forbes, which you may want to read. It was written on May 18th, so a very recent article called the NBA and Major League Baseball's Challenge in Convincing States to Award a Sports Betting Integrity or Rights Fee. So that, that's basically what they have to do, what they've, been, like what, they've, what they've been doing with West Virginia, is they have to go to the state and they have to convince the state to collect this fee. And the way they do it is by saying to the state, you don't have to give it to us, just have the casinos do it. Force the casinos to do it. It's in your best interest. You won't have organized crime influencing the games in your state. Otherwise, you might. And then idiot uh, legislators or idiot regulators may fall for it. The American Gaming Association estimates that about $150 billion is illegally wagered on sports every year between bookies, between online sites, $150 $150 billion, it's a much, much bigger market than poker. This is a much, much bigger market. It's something that appeals to a much broader group of Americans than poker does. Poker is very niche, especially now. Sports betting is not. Sports betting is something a lot of people do or want to do. 
I mean, this is one of the few chances I have to really use this sound clip and mean it. $100 billion. I mean, it's more than that. That's $150 billion they're claiming. They're claiming $150 billion. So they, they want that. I don't know if that number's right. But this is the size of the market we're talking about. This is the, this is the illegal sports bets being placed. Can you imagine you're going to have that plus bets placed by all the people who have wanted to sports bet but haven't wanted to get involved with these illegal online sites or with bookies? So this could really transform the way sports betting occurs in this country if it's done right. Sports betting could be so become so much in the mainstream. You'll start seeing advertisements on television. The line of each game will be discussed much more on uh, sports on sports shows, maybe even when they're announcing the games. It's going to really become woven into the fabric of American sports. And probably done by a very large number of people. And not just people hiding in the shadows now doing it with bookies and and online sites. It's going to become something very mainstream. Similar to how poker became very mainstream in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. but, But on a much larger scale. So that's this is going to have a very big impact, especially given that the states that are interested in doing it are some of the large states like California and New York. So the problem is the professional sports leagues, they're asking themselves, well, wait a minute, what are we going to get out of this? I mean, yeah, maybe people will watch the sports more and become more interested, but we want more. We want a bigger piece of this pie. So, hey, why don't we scare the states into charging this BS integrity fee. And then we're going to, if we get 1% of each bet placed, we're going to make a fortune. For example, take this 150 billion number, 1% is 1.5 billion. By the way, when they say 150 billion is wagered, what they mean is that uh, that's the total number of bets placed. So, to give you an example, if, if I bet. Uh, $100 today, or I bet $110 today, and I win 100 and I bet $110 tomorrow, and I lose it, I'm down $10, but I've actually just bet $220 in the way that's counted, because I've actually placed $220 worth of bets, and in those $220 worth of bets, I'm down 10 So that's how they're counting it, the total bets placed. But still, that's the way the integrity fee would work, where it would come off the bets placed, not the bets won or lost. So now, Calwatt, uh, how do you feel about this whole thing? Are you, you're not that into sports betting, right? Yeah, I don't really give a fuck. You don't give a fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I don't care. You, you don't care about it. now. Now, about this integrity fee. Do you think this is? Uh, do you think do you agree with me? That this is BS, and that the the state shouldn't be paying it. I mean, of course, because you're you're definitely right that that's going to be passed along to people. And, you know, for the, it's kind of like the fish and poker for the, the recreational sports better. They're not going to care. You know, they're going to place the bet anyway. Um, but for people who are actually trying to make a living, I mean, that, that's actually kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah, it's a huge deal. 
and it'll it'll hurt the fish too because they're they're just getting paid less for for every bet they're winning. Yeah, there will be people placing the bets who won't know the difference. Who will just say, "Hey, I want to bet on this team. I don't know what minus one twenty means. Just you know, I, I want to bet on it, and whatever I win, I win." But uh, the average sports better isn't that stupid. The average sports better understands what all this means. They understand that minus one twenty is much worse than minus one ten. Uh, they just don't go about it in the right method as far as being winning sports bettors. But they understand all of it. They understand the, the mechanisms of sports betting and what all this means and, and, and why bigger house juice is worse for them. And it's a lot worse. So I just hope the and states... just by calling it that, Truff, isn't it implying that there's not integrity now? Right. And this is what's so stupid is that these sports would have so much to lose if there wasn't integrity in these games. If, if People wouldn't want to watch these games if they were fixed. So they're acting like they, they have to now make sure that there's integrity in the games. They've already been doing that. It's very important to them that there are not scandals of point shaving and fixing games because you know people invest all this time and, in, and also money in watching these games for a full season and if, you know, many full seasons and playoffs and all that, and they do all that. And then they find out the whole thing was rigged in the first place. They'd be furious and give up on watching the sport. So they're, they're very careful in this. So basically what, what they have to do is convince the states to pass laws with these integrity fees. If the states won't do it, then I don't believe they have any kind of recourse. It's going to be up to the states whether they want to agree to this. I do not believe that the leagues will have any power to legally compel them to do so. They may try, but I do not believe that they will have such power. They were demanding 1%, but the rumor is that uh, they are okay with accepting as low as 0.25%. It's only a rumor. It may have been a negotiation position in the first place where you demand something high and then come down to make it seem like you're you're being fair. So this way, if they came out with 0.25% in the first place, then... You know, maybe the states would try to negotiate them down. Here, here they feel like they're coming down, or they, it looks like they're coming down from 1 to 0.25, and they look like they're being nice or reasonable. The fear is that the states will fall for this. The fear is that the states will have a feeling of security and comfort that the leagues are making sure that there's no shenanigans going on in these games as far as fixing or point shaving. 0.25% would still suck. That's still way too high. If it was like 0.05% fine, I still think it's stupid. But that's small enough to where it's not going to affect much. But even 0.25% is high. Sounds like it's not high, but it is high. 1% is crazy. But everybody wants to get their piece. Everybody wants their profit in the situation. Daily, hello and welcome to Poker Fraudulent Radio. You know, Druff, I know this place has run out of loss. But I think you're going to need a Skype integrity fee soon. I would pay good money every month for for like a working Skype. As as cheap as I am, if someone could give me a Skype that didn't malfunction in this way, and that the sound effects always worked, and that it didn't do this BS with not being able to connect phone calls, I, I would pay good money. I'm going to propose that to Skype to sell a premium version. There, there could be the basic version, which is full of bugs and doesn't work well, like you'd expect from Microsoft. And then there's the premium version, which actually works and functions like it's 2008. That's what you do, like charge charge uh, extra money to 
run the 2008 version. That's all I want. I just want the 2008 version back. Okay, so Daily, welcome to the show, and thank you for all the prop bets you've posted in the past, in the present. A lot of people have made a lot of money from those, and you're usually uh, surprisingly accurate with these uh, with these props you bring to Poker Fraud Alert, and just from the goodness of your heart, you're not even making any money by posting them out here. And I know you're, of course, very interested in this whole topic as well. So, uh, from what I've discussed so far, do you have any comments? Well, um, first of all, absolutely no problem. It's my pleasure to do it. We've got a we got a hell of a community here. So, um, I mean, what I want to know is is this integrity fee. You know, does this go back and cover a situation like in two thousand and two when a swarm of Wisconsin Badger fans descended upon Las Vegas and took their game against uh, Nevada uh, that afternoon from a six-and-a-half-point favorite all the way up to 14-and-a-half, which basically meant 99% of the money was on Wisconsin that day back in 2002. And at halftime with Wisconsin up 40-odds to nothing, the power went out. Is that the sort of integrity we're talking about here? Are we talking about a different type of integrity? Yeah, I mean, um, I I think there's going to be no change. I think the money's just going to be pocketed, and that's it. They're they're they'll just whatever they claim they're already doing for integrity is what they're going to claim that they're spending the money on, and they're just going to pocket it. I mean, that's that seems pretty obvious to me. And uh, it's just a it's a complete sham. It's it, there's absolutely nothing that any of the professional or collegiate leagues. Um, that they aren't doing today that they're going to do tomorrow. Absolutely nothing's going to be improved. And I think somebody else already made the point on the show. Um, does that mean that it's not, there is no integrity today? Uh, it's a pure money grab, pure and simple. And I think, honestly, at this point, I think it's something that doesn't even need to be talked about anymore. They can issue as many press releases as they'd like. There's no path to any of these sports leagues getting their hands on the money. Um, at this point, just because of the Supreme Court verdict, um, honestly, it's it's the state's greed that I'm more concerned about. Well, what about the states? Aren't and you aren't you concerned that the states may be bamboozled by this and and agree to this, and then there will be an integrity fee, even if it's 025 percent? Well, it's it's certainly a possibility because you know states aren't exactly the most efficiently run, um, you know. Uh, groups in the world where where i'm given pause is is i look at this and i look at you, you hit the nail right on the head i, I each state is going to be handled on a case-by-case basis it's I, I think in 10 years there'll be consortiums of states operating together kind of like they do with powerball from a lottery perspective and I think in today's, the way that the states are structured today, the entity within the states that are most prepared to deal with this would be each state's lottery. And being a petroleum transfer agent back in the day, and some uh, I could tell you how corrupt and full of bureaucracy the Massachusetts state lottery is. And it's not taking a 1% integrity fee in giving it to, you know, Sport X that I'm worried about. 
What I'm worried about is, as an example, just because I hail from there originally, the state of Massachusetts saying, let's have sports betting, and we're going to give it to the Massachusetts State Lottery. And the state lottery is run, um, you know, county by county within the state of Massachusetts. I don't, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know how many counties there are, but within each county there is a main building. And in that main building there is the district manager. And under that district manager there's five other managers. And those five managers, they operate, you know, a division. One division will be the information technology part of uh, the lottery. Uh, another one is sales and marketing. Another one is finance. Uh, another one is human resources and other overhead. Um, it costs a tremendous amount of money to run a lottery. And if the sports books end up in that framework, they're going to need the same bureaucracy. And as far as the state's concerned, it's all net new revenue to them. So whether or not they collect uh, you know, $5 million or $10 million in return, um, you know, whatever fraction of it back to the people, they don't care so long as they're going to get an opportunity to keep and collect that money. And, you know, you did some back-of-the-envelope math earlier. You know, on a, on a typical NBA game, if they collect, say, $110 million on the Celtics to pay out, you know, $100 million if they win, they collect $110 million on Golden State if they win, that's a total handle of $220 million. Naturally, one side will win, the other side will lose, provided there isn't a push. That means, you know, that they will end up paying out the $110 million of the posted handle, the $100 million of profit, and it'll leave the $10 million behind. Um, the extent, and that's the, the $10 million there. What I'm worried about is, is the operational expenses that the states are going to um, look at that $10 million and say, this is, this is all net new money. It doesn't make a difference. We have $1 million, $2 million, $3 million left over. This is all what's going to go to the schools or the state uh, for, for other purposes as a, a net revenue increase. We can take, you know, seven, six, five million dollars $5 you know, and, and again, you know, have buildings and jobs and all sorts of other red tape that that money's going to go to. And I don't think... In my, you know, I, I use nice big round numbers. I don't think the handle at the individual state level is going to be big enough to support a 10 cent line. I think we're destined for 15 or 20 cent lines. And, um, I'll pause there, but I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if that is in fact what happens. Who's going to bet via the state and who's going to keep betting offshore and he's going to start uh, continue to bet with local bookies well here's a question nevada they're they've been doing this for decades they have this 10 cent line what's going to be different in these other states why are these other states going to be different than nevada if nevada is already doing it why would they reinvent the wheel and and not be able to operate under that same margin because nevada's got a dedicated framework that's been around forever and it's very efficient, and they knew that they were um, operating in an environment where there's kind of an organized crime that would be able to do the same job at a, a cheaper cost. Nevada couldn't have 20-cent lines because somebody would just go down the street. Um, and then, again, I mean, it, they pretty much outsourced the licensing to be able to do that to the casinos. This is a whole new framework. There is no... 
there is, I, I can say this, there is no casino in the state of New Hampshire. So they can't outsource the sports betting within the state of New Hampshire to a casino that doesn't exist. What they do have are thousands of lottery terminals at every 7-Eleven and Cumberland Farms or Wawa or whatever you have down the street from you. And I think that's the vehicle they're going to use to offer the sports betting. So you, you think people are going to have to sports bet uh, either through an app or through like lottery terminals in some of these states? I think so because the infrastructure is not there. Yeah, I was actually wondering that for the states that didn't really have established casinos, how they're going to handle it. Because I was thinking about like states like California where they can just base it out of casinos, but then there's some states that don't have that, and uh, as you said, there's no infrastructure. So it will be interesting to see. You know, the other derivative. I was going to say, Todd, the other derivative to this conversation is, is we're also assuming that the states are going to take the Nevada model and have that be what they perceive to be legalized sports betting. There are, and I don't know, I don't know about, as much about this as I should, but I believe in Canada they do offer sports betting, but it's only on a parlay basis. You can't take, as an example, you know, the Celtics to beat Golden State. You'd have to say the Celtics are going to beat Golden State, the Bruins are going to beat the Maple Leafs. you got to put three, four teams in there to win. Um, you know, so that's – obviously you're talking about different odds, different calculations, what's the, the holdback or, or uh, profit margins. Um, you know, what, what does this do to daily fantasy? How does this impact the prop market? I mean – this is going to be we're, – we're really entering the Wild West here um, because we really don't know, nor can we say at this point, what individual states are going to mandate out of their sports wagering programs. Well, you're right there, but okay, now, like the thing with the parlays you were discussing, that's actually what they had going on, uh, at least le- legally, what was allowed by PASPA in Oregon, Delaware, and Montana. You couldn't do straight betting there too, but there were these uh, parlays allowed. Uh, I, I don't know how much they were actually utilized, but uh, that was what was allowed through PASPA in those three states, and then the other 46 states and D.C. couldn't do it at all. Of course, that's all out the window now. Uh, I My opinion is that they will allow straight betting because that's what most people want. And if they say, okay, here's sports betting, but no, you've got to do these parlays, a lot of people are going to be turned off by it. It's going to get uh, very underutilized. So I, I, my guess, and you're right, we don't know, you're right, we don't know what we're going to see. But my guess is they will take Nevada as a model. But I, I do see your point that they may not be able to do it as efficiently and they don't have the framework there already to where they may feel they just have to charge more. And maybe they don't even mind losing the people who would refuse to bet because there's not 10-cent lines. Maybe they say, well, those are the more savvy bettors in the first place. We just want the casual bettor who doesn't know what he's doing. And we're fine with losing the business of those who may be more savvy in, in the first place and maybe even could beat us. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that point, Todd. I, but again, it's it's my opinion, and it's it's I guess an educated guess. I don't think there's going to be enough money in the pot, or perceived to be enough money in the pot at an individual state level to justify 10 cent lines. Um, and that's, that I think really is the big story here in my mind. Obviously it's a dynamic story. You can talk about it a hundred different ways, but 
I think what's going to be awful interesting is, you know, the, the day before the Supreme Court announced this decision, there was a whole underground, well, and out in open as well in places like Las Vegas, um, you know, sports wagering industry. And I'm just curious as to, you know, the people that are going to bet with states, assuming they do adopt the um, Las Vegas model, Nevada model, are they going to be incremental new players that are, you know, people who work nine to five and say, hey, I'm going to throw, you know, $50 on the Chicago Bears this weekend? Um, or is there going to be a turnover from that pre-existing, um, you know, underground model in all the other states other than Nevada? And I, I again, what I'm, what I'm most fearful is, is that there's not going to be enough received money left in the pool for the states, and they are going to go ahead and they're going to screw the unsophisticated uh, sports bettors, uh, and they're going to end up paying 15, 20 cent, 25 cent lines. I, I think that is a real possibility. Yeah, and that, that would make me very sad to see because this is something that this decision that just came down on May 14th has excited so many people who are sports bettors, and then to have that be done only to have it be useless in practice to where they've just got to go right back to betting through the illegal means they've been doing all this time would be very disheartening. I, I would feel like if I heard sports betting's coming to California, legalized sports betting's coming, you can do sp- straight bets. It's oh great, finally. Oh, but it's 15 cent lines. Oh, but it's 20 cent lines. Well, I, then I wouldn't use it. I would absolutely never use it. So... I hope that's not the case. And who would? Yeah, and I and I hope that uh, you know, selfishly, I say, if this is going to happen, maybe the bigger states, the ones with the big population, like California, will be able to offer the ten cent lines because there will be a, a much greater volume of uh, of betting taking place. But yeah, maybe the smaller states, uh, maybe they will not be able to offer that. Maybe it just won't be enough regarding. Uh, I had said the day of the announcement in the forums that the happiest person in your neighborhood today is the neighborhood bookie, and I stand by that. And I think what I think may end up happening is State X will offer a Nevada-based um, betting system. You know, pick a side, uh, minus uh, a certain percentage, and, you know, Joe, the, the plumber, so to speak, is going to go down the street, bet his or her $50 on, you know, the New England Patriots that particular weekend. And because of the state's greed, it'll be 15 or 20 cents. So, you know, let's assume it's 20 cents. They'll, they'll end up spending $60 uh, to win 50. And I think there's going to be a lot of people excited and everyone's going to say how great this is and what fun this is. And everyone's going to get that sports betting um, bug. And then in week four, they're going to be at their local lottery headquarters and they're going to be putting down their $60 and someone's going to tap them on the shoulder and they're going to say, hey, buddy, how'd you like to only pay 55 <laughs> So I think what's going to happen is they're going to start collecting money to state. They're going to put it into a marketing blitzkrieg to get people excited for sports wagering, and it's going to be a net increase to the amount of people gambling on sports, and I think the existing 
underground structures are going to be very happy with the results. Unless unless they start to clamp down on the existing underground structures and start busting them more aggressively than they were before, then that, that could be a problem for them. Well, it could be a problem for them, but, you know, last I heard they were trying to get rid of drugs and prostitution, too. Yeah, I know, but it's it's uh, the thing is there that uh, if if they aggressively go after it, and I'd say I, there aren't as many bookies out there as there are drug dealers. I think it would be an easier thing to get a handle on, especially in in markets where they're not as established. The the bookies, so uh, I, th- I I don't know what the future is for bookies. I understand the reasoning that you have here that. If people are frustrated with the twenty cent, fifteen cent lines, but uh, are uh, yeah, more interested in general and sports betting because of uh, how it's going to enter American culture a lot more than it already has. Like, like look at poker. Poker was around since the eighteen hundreds, but it had its boom in two thousand three when it appeared on TV. So something could be around a long time, and then have. That become a fad anyway. A fad doesn't have to be something new. A fad is just something that becomes popular at the moment. So this there could be a big sports betting fad, in fact, or it could even be here to stay. There could be where uh, it, it just becomes really, really ingrained in sports culture much more than it is now. And, and the question is... It's hard to say that a $150 billion industry is capable of, of a fad, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think it's going to incrementally grow. Yeah, that, that's that's what I think. And that brings me to my next topic uh, connected to this, and that is about the tout situation. And for those of you that don't know, a, a tout is someone that claims to have winning sports picks, where they're selling you what they say are winning sports picks. So this way... You don't have to do the research yourself. You don't have to be good at sports handicapping. You just need to know someone who is and then pay them to give you their picks. And it helps that everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people who sports bet, especially ones who lose, which is most people, they have this idea in their head that there's just certain people who just really know what they're doing who just really know who's going to win every game, just magically know, or just a, or just have amazing analytical skills or access to information or even insider information that they, do, that they don't and never will. And if only these people could share their picks with them. And if, if only they could get the, the winning sports bettors to share their picks with them. And that's, the, that's what these touts have taken advantage of for decades, where people spend a lot of money on sports picks from people who claim to know everything, from people who claim to have insanely good records. But in most cases, the whole thing is a scam. In most cases, uh, they don't know much more about sports betting than you do. In fact, in many cases, they know less. Uh, in some cases, these touts are addicted sports bettors themselves who consistently lose, and this is their way of funding it. There have been a number of high-profile cases over the years of touts that were exposed to be complete scams. But despite that, 
they get suckers to pay very big money for the supposed exclusive winning picks. And they engage in time-tested uh, slick marketing practices, calling things locks or talk about five-star picks or uh, or this guy's on fire, this guy has, uh, uh, effortlessly wins. And unfortunately, a lot of sports bettors buy into it and will pay these touts, even ones who otherwise aren't stupid in other areas of life. And the cost of these services is extremely varied. There are some cheaper ones that are, you know, that are less than a hundred dollars a month. There's some that are even uh, substantially less than that, and then there's some ridiculously expensive ones which cost thousands. In many cases, they will, or most cases, they will actually try to seek out the high stake sports better. Because the high-stakes sports better feels if they could just throw an extra, you know, thousand or two over to the bookie, or not the bookie, the, the, the tout to get a winning pick, that's worth it to them. So they get those people hooked. Then they've really got something big. They only need a few of those clients to clean up. So that that has existed for a long time. We've talked about some of them on this show. But I am concerned that there's going to be an explosion of these scam tout sites because there's going to be a much bigger audience for them. And I can only imagine once a lot of these states, especially the bigger states, legalize sports betting, I think you're going to have a lot of new people who are searching for answers, searching for those elusive winning picks. And often it doesn't take a lot to convince people. And there's a lot of tricks they can utilize to make it seem like they are winning. For example, um, I could set up five different websites under five different names and post various combinations of picks, some of them for the same game opposing each other. And of those five fake handicappers I make up. I just post, you know, I just pretend it's five different people, five different services, but they're all actually run by me. And then after a few weeks, there's going to be one of the five that's doing pretty well, especially if some of them are opposing each other. So I could just take the one that's doing better, that's been providing its picks for free, or maybe even selling them, knowing that some will lose and some will win, and the ones that are winning will really get people's confidence, and then they'll... uh They'll jump on it and say, this guy has the answers. Let's even look personally at me. I've won now 11 of my last 12 baseball picks. If you're only watching my last 12 baseball picks and you don't have a lot of knowledge on how sports betting uh, works as far as the expected win rates of even the best handicappers, You'd see me winning 11 of 12, and if I told you that I'm, I'm the one who has the, all the answers in baseball and that I effortlessly win, you'd probably believe me. You'd probably believe that I could maintain something like 75% of my picks winning on, on games that are, and I'm not talking about huge favorite games, I'm talking about 75% on games that are roughly even money or underdogs, that I, I, I could somehow maintain that if I could win 11 out of 12 when you're watching. So people see something in the short term like that, 
And as I said, tricks can be used, like creating multiple websites, multiple personalities, where you just they just get rid of the ones that are are uh, not doing well and keep the personalities that are doing well, but uh, the picks are really really pretty much just random, or even opposing each other. And then people get hooked, and people will spend a lot more money. And uh, I think this could become a real problem. And I think eventually, if this does become a real problem, and sports betting is legal in many states, I think at some point there will be a clampdown on the scam tout services. In fact, I'll tell you, most of the tout services that are out there right now are scams. Most of them are scams. Now, Daily, how many? What percentage would you think are scams? Are the, all the tout services that are out there right now, if you just had to take a guess, what percentage would you think would be your scams? I need to. I need to bifurcate here. Are we talking about sides and totals, or are we talking about props? Oh, we're talking about sides and totals. Ninety-nine <laughs> percent. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, just about every single one of them I look at, even without, I don't use any of them. But if I were to use them, like just from looking at the website, I can tell it's a scam. Just with how gimmicky looking the website is. Uh, this is uh, now some are outrageous. Some claim to have winning percentages, which are just impossible to believe. But even the ones that don't absolutely correct. Even the ones that don't. And if, you, if you know anything about how the sports betting. Uh, landscape is right now either not not so much in vegas but you know if you're using local bookies they don't service winning players end of story this is not 20 years ago the landscape has completely changed over the past five to ten years if you are a winning player for more than a few weeks you will get shut down nobody wants sharp action anymore and it's very easy to tell who's sharp and who's square and just very simply, if you're a sharp person and um, you know, and you have winning plays, you're not going to sell those picks to other people to put them in um, unless you're actually you know using them as mules. Uh, because why would I give away my picks so that um, you know to other people? So I only get a small percentage. And, you know, even if you're a, a very sharp person, we're only talking about percentage points here. We're not talking about someone that's hitting 80, 90%. You're talking about somebody that's hitting, you know, 57, 58, 59% versus, you know, something less than that, which makes you a loser. Um, there's not enough room in the margin to share your picks. So nobody who's a winning player is giving their or even selling their picks. It's just, it's not something that's existent. Anybody who's selling picks for sides and totals, they're selling you a dream. Well, in my experience, well, maybe, maybe there's somebody out there I'm not aware. Well, of. I, I, I agree. I, do not I, I, that to be the case. I agree with you somewhat there. I, I think that, uh, that there. Let's talk about theoretically about the the benefits of why someone could legitimately sell picks that that are winning, that are expected to win, uh, and, and that it's not a scam. And the person's not exaggerating. They're, they're legitimately selling picks that are legitimately. Uh, probably positive expectation. Uh, th- there could be the, the just they want to prevent variance. They don't want to, you know, make picks that are positive expectation, but then just get screwed by luck in in several games and end up uh, losers. It it could be that they uh, th- they did have their action shut down or reduced to where it's very hard for them to get much action down. 
so there's there are reasons I could see where people would sell winning picks. The problem is that uh, in most cases, uh, those that are selling picks are just scamming. They're, they're scamming. They're just making it up. They're just making up their records. They're just picking off the top of their head. And and as I said, even making multiple uh, multiple sites opposing each other. There's a lot of different tricks. And the reason they can do this is because there's no official body monitoring each handicapper and how successful they are, or even monitoring that these are real people who are selling them. So the scammers have no disincentive not to do this. So even if you have some legitimate ones in there, the problem is there's so many illegitimate ones, it's hard to separate it. And uh, so in general, it's, it's, it's good to stay away from these. And I, but I, you yeah, know, I completely agree. And, and the other part is, even if they are as part of the small percentage that you would perceive as being legitimate, they're not on at 5.30 in the morning on, you know, Sundays at some random cable station. Uh, they certainly wouldn't be uh, trying to sell you their picks in that, uh, in that form. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, – there's a lot of – the more gimmicky it looks – on the website, the, the the higher chance it is that it's a scam. Uh, I I even used that rule of thumb for other businesses. Uh, sometimes where I, where I live here, we have an ant problem in the summer. So far, we haven't had it yet. Even though at this time of year, there's often a lot of ants. Uh, so far, we haven't had one ant here, which is fortunate. But some some years are worse than others. Last year was a particularly bad year. I think it's because Southern California got a ton of rain uh, compared to what it usually does. So uh, anyway. When I've looked for exterminators, I found myself very frustrated because the the websites are so gimmicky that I could tell the whole thing's kind of like a semi scam. And when I say a scam exterminator, they they like to try to pressure you into 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 contracts for six months or twelve months for them to come by and spray. N- none of them just want to come by and 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 do the job once and leave because that's that's not worth very much to them. What they want to do is get you on the hook for a long term contract to quote prevent bugs from coming back. So. If you try to get them to not do that, then they either don't want to come or start telling you all the reasons why what they're going to do doesn't is not going to work on a one-time visit. And then not being an expert yourself in extermination, you don't know if they're telling the truth or just trying to hook you into a long-term contract. So what I started finding is like every time I found a gimmicky exterminator's website, I, I would just close it. I didn't. The more gimmicky it was, the more likely I saw that they would be uh, – trying to scam me and what my conclusion ended up being was that all of the local exterminators were some you know scammy to some degree and i ended up just doing it myself as well as i could so i i had uh i remember thinking i wish i could just come across one that just seems like he's honest and just well yeah i know it's just coming and doing the minimum of what he needs to do and that's it but i couldn't find one i trusted that way and i i think these touts are, are, are the same way and unfortunately, the flashiness and the gimmicky stuff, that, while that turns me off and that would turn someone like you off, the, the average gullible sports better, they like seeing that they're buying locks and they're buying uh, five-star picks. That's what they want. They don't want the boring person who's uh, um, not promoting the hell out of it everywhere and not uh, not acting like they've got the greatest system ever, but just, hey, look, this works. They, hey, I have, a, I have a good solid record that's been... Uh, uh, 
working very well based upon these type of you know, methods and that, uh, you know, the, the intelligent sports better would approach it that way and look for someone like that. If they're looking for a top, the, the average person looks, looks for gimmicks. The average person looks like, looks for something that's eye popping. So I'm, I'm just afraid there's going to be a lot of these that will get going. And, uh, and a lot of the people are going to get scammed. A lot of the people are ripped off. I wouldn't be surprised if in future years of this show, <laughs> there's been a lot of discussion of these that keep getting busted. And, and I, I hope if, if there is an explosion of them that the government will, that these various state governments will, or even the federal government, if necessary, will crack down on this industry, which long needs a real crackdown because it's uh, most of it is just pure scamming. So, but what? Yeah, and I think you'll find that there are some existing touts that have been looking forward to this date. Uh, you've got somebody in Las Vegas who you've covered on the forums and on your shows before, Steve Stevens. You can't get in a uh, Las Vegas cab right now without seeing. You know, a little 10 second video about stopping by there and getting some expert, uh, picks while you're there for the week. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's definitely ripe, uh, for basically uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot of shady shit happening and a lot of people losing money, uh, by some real scumbags. Yeah, that's, uh, I agree. And that's, that's what we have. I think it's we have to, one of the things we have to look forward to with this uh, sports betting legalization around the country, and I, I I don't know how big those will be, but you know whatever, wherever there are a large number of potential victims to scam, scammers will always show up to do the deed. And there's a lot of dreaming in general from those you know, who who are. In, involved in sports betting, who, who engage in sports betting. Even the people who are casually doing it. Now, the guy who's betting $50 a week is not going to spend thousands for picks, obviously, but uh, they, they can operate on many levels. They can have the cheap ones that you can just you know, ha- have a, a website email you or text you, whatever, every day, and they, it's pretty cheap. They have the ones that, that are claimed to be high-end that are aimed just at the, at the chosen few who are willing to spend, spend thousands of dollars. But uh, in general... It's just one of these things, I think it's even human nature, just when you're losing, to think that somebody else must be winning. Someone else must be doing better than you. Someone else may must have the secret formula, the secret knowledge that you don't have. If only I was friends with such and such type of person, you think. And here, he's not going to be your friend, but here you can you can buy access to him. And that's uh, it's very tempting for people. It's, it's very tempting, especially if you're going through a slump. If you if the last 15 bets you make, if you've lost 13 of them, it's just—it's very tempting to say, "I wish there was just someone who could guide me to win again." So, you have to admit, though, the wormhole tout service has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. The CMC money wormhole. <laughs> that's, yep, that's that's true. So, uh, and and uh, daily, since I have you on here with with uh, prop bets, now prop bets—that's one area where the expectation to win can be higher but uh, the biggest challenge is finding places that will offer the bets and ones that will offer enough money to get down on them other than something very small and token so I've seen you write before on the forum that uh, the hardest part about prop betting is not finding winning props but finding action on them yeah, and in my experience, that's 100% true. 
uh, because it goes back to my previous comments. Um, this is not 20 years ago. Uh, if you try, if you are a winning player, you will get shown the door. You do not, people will not take your action. I've found that to be the case, uh, dealing with some local people here. Um, it's been several years since I've been allowed to prop that at, you know, Sportsbook AG and Bovada and Bet Online and, uh, Five Dimes and just a, I, I've hit the whole laundry list. You know, I've, I've had people act as mules before and, you know, it's the same thing. They'll let you go. Although, you know, a few years ago, they'd let people go for, you know, a year or nine months or six months. But now it's just, they, they've, they're onto the game at this point. Uh, the online books are. Yeah, they're lightning you know, they'll, fast. They'll look yeah. at an account. They'll see action for three months and they'll say, this is a sharp player. There's the door. I've seen it in days where they kill people. If they, if they seem to be betting on the same thing that all the other winning prop bettors seem to be going for, then they, they know. They, they know, and then they, they shut you down within days. I mean, they're, some of them are incredibly fast nowadays of, uh, of turning off people's prop bets online, and that's, that's definitely a big challenge. And as far as the, for me. Yeah, as, as far as the new sports books that are going to come out, um, you know, we don't even know if props will be offered. In Vegas, it's very limited of the props you can bet on. Uh, now, I do wonder, maybe you have an opinion on this. If somebody is showing, let, let's say, at one of these new uh, casinos or just one of these new licensed and regulated uh, sports books that will come to exist in these other states. If somebody who's a sides and totals better seems to be a winning better, they seem to be beating the uh, beating the juice over some time. Do you think they will be cut off, or do you think that uh, they're not going to be doing things like that? I think the juice is going to be so high at these state facilities that I don't think it's going to be possible well, to have a winning better. Well, okay, yeah, if it's minus one twenty eight or something like that, I agree. But let's 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 just live in this fantasy world where somehow they manage to do this at uh, the same levels Vegas currently does, where the minus the ten cent lines. Uh, do, do you see that they will stop taking action from ones who can beat that, or or they uh, or that they won't do this and they'll just uh, welcome everybody? Well, I, I have to take this question down a different path. And I think it's something that we haven't really touched upon yet. That's the, the idea of taxation, right? So I think that if daily, maybe I get lucky, I walk in and I have some sort of piece of information and I kind of lost my mind and I say, I'm going to bet $50,000 on the Patriots minus three and they win by 300 you know, winning ticket, and, you know, usually what they'll do is, and this is kind of how, like, William Hill operates or any of the other uh, facilities in Vegas, if you bet over a certain amount um, and they write you a ticket over a certain amount, they will take your name and your information, and, you know, it's, it goes back to what I said before. They'll, they'll take one bet, they'll take two bets, they'll look at you funny on the third bet. By the time, you know, the fourth, fifth, and sixth bets come down, they'll, they'll shut you off. Um, and I think... From a state perspective, and again, this is just all a guess, I bet they will shut you off. However, um, you know, you got to look at the reason why there's, you know, 50 cent 
um, trifecta bets at the dog tracks and 10 cent superfectas and, um, you know, you get somebody who plays the, the, you know, the pick four number in a lot of these lotteries. Um, you know, they don't make one tick, ticket for $10. They make 20 tickets for 50 cents um, so that they can keep under the taxation threshold. And uh, along with that comes um, being anonymous. So I think I don't think the states will be able to prevent it so long as you just go from facility to facility and put in a lot of small bets. Yeah. Okay, but I think it's going to be from a from a big standpoint. It might be. It might be. There might be so much juice that it's it's unbeatable. So, uh, there's also talk about perhaps regulation from a federal level, even though these will be operated by the states. This is being introduced by uh, Senator Orrin Hatch. He hasn't actually introduced anything yet, but he wants to. He's actually. Uh, looking to uh, get this done. This is what he said on his uh, own website. This is Orrin Hatch of Utah. And of course, Utah, they're not going to be one to offer sports betting for sure, but here, here's what he had to say. The problems posed by sports betting are much the same as they were 25 years ago, but the rapid rise of the Internet means that sports betting across state lines is now just a click away. What, what, was that? what does that mean? That's, no, it's not. it's not going to be. I mean, it, it currently is with the uh, illegal books, but the, this is going to be within state borders. I don't know what he's talking about here. It's going to be a click away. Uh, we cannot allow this practice to proliferate and uneven enforcement and a patchwork race to the le- regulatory bottom. At, at stake here is the very integrity of sports. That's, what I pl- that's why I plan to introduce legislation in the coming weeks to help protect honesty and principle in the athletic arena. I invite state stakeholders and my colleagues on both sides of the aisle to join me in addressing this important issue. So what he's uh, looking to do is make federal regulations instead of allowing each state to do it individually and perhaps not do it very well. That That's what his concern is. That's why he talked about the race to the regulatory bottom that uh, – He's afraid maybe that states will create very lax regulations to draw business to, uh, as opposed to other states. Come, come over here and gamble, and our, our, our sports betting is better than, than your, this other state. We're still doing that sports betting thing? We are. We're almost done, though. I, I know <laughs> this is not your favorite topic. But uh, anyway, that's, that's what uh, he's concerned about. So what he wants to see is that it it may be offered by the states, but actually regulated by the federal government with strict regulations. Interestingly enough, Adam Silver, who is the NBA commissioner, actually isn't against that. He said that uh, he'd prefer to see a standardized set of regulations rather than each state deciding individually how they're going to do it. He said, today's decision by the Supreme Court opens the door for states to pass laws legalizing sports betting. We remain in favor of a federal framework that would provide a uniform approach to sports gambling in states that choose to permit it, but we remain active in ongoing discussions with state legislatures. Regardless of the particulars of any sports, uh, uh, future sports betting laws, the integrity of our game remains our highest priority. They love to use the term integrity, these, these leagues, the... Yeah. They they love it so, 
because they want you to. Just, Todd, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, go back and read Senator Hatch's original statement and see if there's a word that sticks out yeah. there. <laughs> it, 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 he uses the word integrity as well. Senator Hatch is a paid shill for the major sports leagues in this country. Uh, they're all teaming up along with the players' unions to federalize some of the standards around this so that they can get their 1%. They're trying to get their foot in the door, and they're trying to use Senator Hatch as doing it. I'm sure Senator Hatch is walking around with envelopes filled with money in Washington right now getting people to come on board <laughs> and, hey, maybe this will get shoved down our throat. Uh, it wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Yeah, I, that's that's a good point. It's probably what's going on. So that's uh, that's the. I don't know if this is going to go anywhere. I, it probably won't because it'll probably be run into the same states' rights issues as before. But uh, I, I could see some, maybe an attempt to set some very basic laws in place that the states also have to follow. I, I could see that occurring, possibly. But uh, at the moment. The federal government doesn't seem interested in doing that. At the moment, they seem to be wanting to leave it up to the state. So it'll probably stay that way, but Orrin Hatch is, is, is trying to do otherwise, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. But these are the type of things which are now coming up, which which all have to be kind of fleshed out before uh, you can actually bet in states other than Nevada. There will be various attempts like these. Stay tuned. Yeah. This is going to play out over the next days, weeks, and months and years. We're... we're just at the beginning of the curve on this whole state sports betting thing. It's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah. And so here's here's some other reactions from the other sports leagues. The NFL said, The NFL's longstanding and unwavering commitment to protecting the integrity. There's the word, the word of the day! Ah! Integrity. The integrity of our game remains absolute. This is like, like uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, the word of the day. Congress has long recognized the potential harms posed by sports betting to the integrity of sports sports contests. Uh, there we are again. And the public confidence in these events. Given the history, we intend to call Congress call on Congress again, this time to enact a core regulatory framework. Oh, wow. They, they feel that way, too. For legalized sports betting. We will also work closely with our clubs to ensure that any state efforts that move forward in the meantime protect our fans' integrity of the game. Ah. They, love the, they love the word. So that, that's for the NFL. Let's see what else we have here as far as the reaction. Uh, Major League Baseball. As each state considers whether to allow sports betting, we will continue to seek the proper protections for our sport in partnership with other professional sports. Our most important priority is, what do you think? Uh, it's integrity. It's integrity. <laughs> well, they got to justify that integrity tax somehow, right? Ready to assist you. Morning, Cloggy. What's today's secret word? Integrity. Today's secret word is. 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 Is.
Hey, Pee-wee, here comes... Yeah, we definitely need that here. So, that that was their statement. Uh, integrity of the games will continue to support the legislation that creates airtight coordination and partnerships between the state, the casino operators, and the governing bodies in sports toward that goal. The NHL said, the Supreme Court's decision today paves the way to an entirely different landscape, one in which we have not previously operated. We will review our current practices and policies and decide whether adjustments are needed and, if so, what those adjustments will look like. It's important to emphasize the Supreme Court's decision has no immediate impact on existing league rules relating to sports wagering and particularly wagering on, wagering on NHL games. So while changes may be considered in the future, today's decision does not directly impact the operation of the league or any of our clubs in the short term. And then the NCAA said, Today... The United States Supreme Court issued a clear decision that passed by unconstitutional, reversing the lower courts that held otherwise. While we are still reviewing the decision to understand the overall implication to college sports, we will adjust sports wagering and championship policies to align with the direction from the courts. They don't seem very happy about it. So uh, they're, they're all going to keep fighting for that integrity fee. Now, what about online poker? Cal Watt touched on that at the beginning. Online poker, is this a good sign for online poker? Does this mean legalization of online poker is coming next? That's what I've had a lot of people asking me ever since this came down. A lot of people texting me on May 14th asking me, oh, great, did you see the news? That means online poker is going to be legal soon for you too, right? No. Nope. No. Here's what I said back. I said, this this is the same as online poker. This, this gets sports betting to where online poker already is to where it's not federally illegal to offer it by the states. That's all it did. It just put sports betting on the same level as online poker. Leaves it up to the states. That's all that's happened. So this is not going to do anything different for online poker, except except maybe if this pushes states into the sports betting arena that before didn't really have much as far as gambling. And once they get all that in place, if they decide to say, eh, okay, well, you know, maybe let's add online poker too now that we've got sports betting going and maybe cross market. Maybe that can help, but I wouldn't hold my breath. It's not going to, it's likely not going to have a major impact on the legalization of online poker. In fact, it could even backfire if states that were, if states were going to put some effort into legalizing online poker and now they have a much bigger income source in taxing the much larger income stream from sports betting. Why, why mess with online poker where so far every instance of it has been a fail site of legalized online poker in the U.S.? Why mess with that when you have the much bigger fish to fry with sports betting? So if anything, it could delay it. It could take attention away from online poker. So I I would not say this is going to impact online poker very much, but... Uh, it could impact it negatively as easily as it impact as it could impact it positively. Most likely, it probably won't have any impact at all, or if it does, very little. But do you think it will get the populace and maybe the legislatures kind of used to the idea of gambling being okay? Yes, that well, see, that could be the positive end of it. Is that is that either they'll be used to it, or that uh, the the states will be if the sports betting is working out, say, hey, why not add another product here? 
since we've already got legalized sports betting here, let's let's throw in poker too. That could happen, but as I said, they could also delay it in that they'll put all the effort into sports betting and put poker on the back burner since it's a much smaller return for them. So I don't know which way it's going to happen, but uh, I, I I could really see an argument either way to whether it's going to hasten or delay the legalization of online poker. It does seem, though, that the states have come to realize that single-state online poker rooms are not going to work. Maybe in California they could, maybe in New York they could, but the the only three states that currently offer legalized online poker have all now combined in, in the games they offer. As of May 1st, uh, Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware all share the player pools. So that uh, it will have to go from there, and I wouldn't. I just wouldn't get too excited about. It. If you're not into sports betting, then there's nothing to get excited about regarding what just happened on May 14th with, with the sports betting law. The, as far as the poker implications, it's uh, questionable what that's going to mean. And that's my. Uh, you might you might have to catch up with the times, Druff, and switch over to. Sports betting fraud alert or something. Well, yeah. I, I was thinking of it. I may have to may have to do it. May have to change it to sports fraud alert radio. You know, I may have to. Maybe I'll get a bigger audience that way. Maybe I'll laugh at these days when I had uh, fifteen hundred listeners uh, look and say, "Hey, look, I have one hundred fifty thousand now." So, how big is DFS still? Is it still pretty big? Um, I haven't kept track of of its growth or lack. Of I, I know it was I know it was all the rage for a while, and everyone and their brother was trying to get on board, and you know. But I it just it seems like I mean, at least to me, maybe because I don't do it. Uh, but it seems like it's kind of petered out. You know, at least as far as the marketing, I see they're spending less uh, daily. Do you know anything about this? If it's uh, grown or shrunk in the last year or so. I don't know. I mean, they've obviously tapped the brakes on the advertising, and I know there's been a lot of states that have come in and said that it is bordering on being illegal. Um, so I know that they lost some of their market share just from states dropping off. Yeah. I know that there was some consolidation. Yeah, uh, DraftKings and FanDuel got together. Uh, I know they lost the whole college market, but that's that's a whole nother story. That's a data integrity story uh, because they don't own the likenesses or the names of the players, so they couldn't offer uh, a sum of money to a collegiate. You know, the NCAA doesn't own the players, so they couldn't take a check on their behalf to allow them to uh, have college games. So I can't imagine it's grown much since the apex of about a year and a half ago. By the way, I'm looking at the text messages we got here. This is from the 505. I, I hope this guy is joking here. But this is from the 505. He's a regular listener, too. But he said, by the way, by the way, everyone, we owe the PPA a thank you for getting sports betting legalized. (laughs) I think you owe more to Time Warner and some of those other big companies that have a a piece of DFS. Yeah. Are you talking about this sports betting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think that's highly unlikely. Let's see here. Uh, from 561, I can't believe Florida isn't 
ready to move forward quickly. A lot of gambling here. That's a good point. I, Florida was not on that list earlier. I'm surprised that they are not jumping on it. And, yeah, they have a lot of casinos there. That's another one that I would expect would do it. But so far, that's not – I haven't heard anything about them. But that doesn't mean they won't. I'm just saying that they – A lot of retired people with money that would love to just blow it on some sports betting. Yeah. I do think it's, it's kind of in the culture a lot there, too. There's just uh, – Gambling in Florida. Every county above West Palm Beach is uh, very red and religious. Uh, there's a lot of policies in this state. Uh, I happen to live in Florida. Um, so I'm not the least bit surprised. They actually had a vote two years ago to expand into slot machines in Palm Beach County, and we still haven't received approval from uh, the Capitol yet. So I'm not surprised that Florida will be one of the laggers here. I'm sure we'll probably be in the... Uh, one of the last 10 states to actually implement anything, even though it'd be surprising because of the size of the market here. Oh, so you're saying that the, the northern part of the state is, is holding this back? Yeah, politically. Politically. If you look at a, a political map of Florida, you see a big blue blotches on you know Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm. Uh, there's an expression here in West Palm Beach, you have to go north to go south. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, right. I, I've, I was surprised when I understood this that the northern part of florida the very north really is like you're in the deep south and people don't picture that like it uh a lot of people picture that all florida is like miami and it's not right that's exactly right so yeah that that so yeah that, that makes sense to me that a lot of areas that are more religious and stuff like that they don't want to see any kind of gambling expansion all right, so that's that's pretty much it for the sports topic. Uh, I know not everybody here is all that interested in sports betting, and if that's the case, you didn't find that segment too interesting probably. But uh, there's a lot of people who listen to the show that at least have some interest in it, and I personally do. And, of course, uh, Daly here, we're happy to have you contributing here. I know you're you're very, very knowledgeable in, in uh, sports betting. And uh, uh, now... I have a question unrelated to all this, but uh, have this is my first season attempting to seriously uh, bet on uh, Major League Baseball through means of actually analyzing a lot of factors and uh, you know really putting an effort to get winning picks down, not rather than recreational. How many? Uh, Winning and winning Major League Baseball betters have you known in your time? Overall, are, win, are winning Major League uh, Baseball? I've known absolutely none on the run line. Uh, I know a few moderate winners when it comes to sides, um, and these people put down bets on the overnight line generally, and uh, just kind of hope to beat the market. But the, you know, they, they're not material winners i would say um and then i've seen people go on some pretty impressive runs with totals but you know that usually doesn't last an entire season so i would say baseball is probably of the four major sports probably the hardest one to win um well, i'd say five because of college football um yeah i'd say it's probably the, the hardest one to beat over the long term Maybe pro football, but it's definitely a tie between one of the two. Yeah, well, we'll see how it plays out for me here. That uh, I'm off to a 
very good start so far. Uh, as you've probably seen, I've been betting on primarily uh, unders and on uh, either underdogs or, or, or small favorites. And uh, Well, I'll say this. Anybody who tends to have success, uh, whether it's props or totals, uh, there's an inherent bias uh, in Vegas to set lines so that the unders win and not the overs. Nobody has a bunch of beers and goes and watches a Monday night football game and says, hey, I'm going to bet the under tonight. Right. Um, you know, people like scoring. And I would say, so I would say that about the total. And then as far as, you know, being a winning better on sides, um, I, I don't know anyone who bets heavy chalk and wins. Yeah. I mean, anyway. you're talking about Clayton Kershaw being a minus 375 favorite, you know, getting beat by the Marlins at home. You know, it, in any sport that that can happen, it's just hard to win betting chalk. Yeah, when he's talking about chalk there, he's referring to betting on very large favorites in baseball. So, yeah, that's uh, – and I agree with that, and that's – I stay away from those myself. And so I, I'm going to monitor. You know, it, it, it could be because the uh, – you know, as I noticed in the NBA, a lot of times what's working in the early season can stop working. As, as time passes and, and as the season moves on and things start to play differently. So uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be watching that closely in baseball. And if what I'm doing starts to fail and what, I, what I've noticed and some, something that I, I feel to be the case, no one, no one's told me this and I haven't read this anywhere, but I just feel this to be the case in sports betting is if is you shouldn't just look at your record. You should look at how you're winning. If you're just barely winning a bunch of games, then you're probably just getting lucky. If you're barely losing a lot of them, you're probably getting unlucky. Um, if you're if you're blowing out a lot, if you're getting a lot of blowout wins, then that's I think that's a much better sign that you know what you're doing. And if you're getting a lot of blowout losses, then uh, that it's probably the opposite. And and of course it's going to happen. You're going to get the blowout losses even if you're doing very well. You're going to get the blowout wins even if you're 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 losing your ass overall. But I'm talking about regularly, if you're seeing that uh, you're, you're hitting a lot of them by a large margin, then I think that's the, that's the time to feel the best. And I don't just mean out of five you games. Know, Todd, I, I see it slightly differently. And I, I understand what you're saying, and the concept certainly makes sense. But in my experience, I find people that beat lines are the ones that tend to do well over the long term. So even if you were to say... Um, you know, bet the Patriots when they were, you know, a six and a half point favorite when they opened up uh, the betting market on on a Sunday night and they're, they're playing the Bills or, or whoever, and they close as a seven and a half point favorite. Um, you know, so you beat the market by one point. Obviously, that seven crossing seven, you know, is, is a big deal because seven is a very likely final score differential in the sport of football. So it's a very valuable. Point. Um, you know, people who do that tend to win, even though if you bet them at six and a half, the market closes at seven and a half, and then the Bills win outright. Um, the results, in my experience, doesn't factor that much, and it, 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 it's a results-driven thing. Gambling, but over the long haul, I find people that beat lines tend to do uh, well over the long term. So yeah. So for those of you that don't understand, he's saying as far as getting in when the line is better for you before the, it moves from a lot of bets being placed and, and and then moves the other direction to where you 
you're, you're actually getting a worse line if you bet later. He's saying whoever bets early when it's smart to bet early or bets late when it's smart to bet late, the, the people who, who seem to figure out which way it's going to go are the ones who tend to do the best is what he's saying here. And uh, Right, and to add to that, I mean, I would you'd also want to consider if it's, you know, the same game you bet on Sunday night when the market opened than when it closed the following Sunday. If if Tom Brady breaks his leg on Wednesday, obviously you're going to see a huge move. That doesn't mean you're a, a sharp better. It just means you got lucky as hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it wouldn't be if you bet on Tom Brady, but the other way around. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, of course, factors like that that happen to occur in between that doesn't uh, that, that change everything. That doesn't make you. Uh, smart of course but yeah i I, th- I think both can be true here and uh so but what what i'm I, what i said my point is there that i can i see in, in sports spending there's a lot of people who just get absolutely results oriented and just they look at the, what they've been winning recently so if they, if if they've been winning money recently they think that they're good if they've been losing recently they they, they think that they're bad uh so and i i'm saying you you've got to look not sometimes the 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 record doesn't tell the whole story if if there's a lot of games that were very close if if the line if the line of and football's different because there's uh, there there are those margins that are much more common like if you're saying like the, the margin of 7 points the margin of 10 points things like that but but in other sports where that's not the case if uh i i just feel if if the line that's set by the sports book if the game ends up very, very close to that. Then often, whether you win or lose, that is is just luck, and uh, we're very close to just luck. Where whereas if you've uh, so if you're happening to fall on the right side of those, if you happen to fall on the right side of luck, there seven out of eight times, and you're seven and one in your last eight. Uh, you shouldn't pat yourself on the back because you could have just as easily been one and seven with the same thing with with almost the exact same gameplay. So you you do you didn't really handicap anything smartly it, it just happened to be a game that was that 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 the sports book got right as far as what the line was going to be and it just fell a tiny bit one way or the other and that's that's the way i see it where if you if if you are picking ones which are routinely uh winning by a large margin then it shows that whatever and and i, I don't just mean one or two but i mean see you know, if a, lo- a lot of the ones you're picking seem to be winning by a lot then at least it's indicative that Whatever your reasoning is to bet on the size you did was probably correct, and and that probably shows that you're on the right track. Where, um, so I, I think you should look how you lose rather than just how you lose and how you win, rather than just uh, are you winning, are you losing? But though what Daly said, I, I agree with that as well. That if you can, those that can see the trends of the way the lines are moving and get always seeming to get the best line. Uh, those people are, are likely to be successful as well. So, anyway, uh, Daly, thank you for coming on. It's uh, always wait. Nice. Can, let me ask a question of you and Daly, Jeff, before yeah. Daly goes. Um, hey, so what do you guys think of like inline in-game betting? Because I think, like, do you think we'll see it grow? I mean, obviously, you can bet different lines as the score differentiates during the game. But what about something like, you know, there's a touchback, they have it at the 20-yard line, and now you, can you bet if they'll score on this drive? Or something like that. Just because with people, I think, having, like, these mobile apps that they can use within Nevada, and now it could come to many more states, 
do you think they'll start expanding it into stuff like that? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think, Daly? It already exists. You can go to some offshore books, and it already exists. And um, well, I mean, we're talking about li- li- <laughs> regulated. I, I know you can do it right now with the offshore books, but I mean, like, will they? Will the legalized books? Uh, will this be something that they'll offer, or they? Or they you know, probably stay away from that. Nobody knows for sure, but what would be your guess? Well, I, I'd have to take the conversation in a different direction. I don't want Callowat to hate me because <laughs> we're dominating this with sports uh, betting talk. Um, no, it's good, man. I, I'm taking a nice nap. It's all good. <laughs> there you go. Well, you're an East Coast guy too, right? I am. I'm in uh, New York. Oh, cool. Um, but the direction I think you got to take it there, and you know we've we've had this running joke about uh, you know integrity uh, be, um, and I think where some of these sports are going to have a leg to stand on is not bets that are based upon the final box score, so the final score, the first half bet, the second half bet, the total, etc. What's going to be interesting is what you just mentioned, and it's going to be regulated. Uh, real-time betting via app, you know, apps on your phone. You know, it's your point. Is it going to be uh, you know a good field goal, a missed field goal? Is it going to miss right, left, up, down? Um, and the reason why I say this is because if there is an area where the sports leagues have a a, um, a foot to stand on, a leg to stand on, rather. It's going to be the real-time data of what's happening in the game being supplied to the sports books, which will in turn use that data to make real-time bets. So you can look at it and say, well, you know, you got to pay money or pay the cable company or pay a channel or pay your uh, Internet service provider or, uh, you know, get the NFL app. You know, you have to pay to watch the game, to get the data as far as what is happening in that game at the moment. And you're just doing it for your pleasure. If a business like a sports book wants to offer bets, AKA a service based on that real time data, well then shouldn't they have to pay the sports leagues? And I think if they're, if the, if you know, the sports books are going to have to pay up, it's going to be for the real-time stuff and not stuff that you would be able to get for free, uh, you know, via the newspaper or for 50 cents anyway, uh, the next day. Yeah, I, I can see that point. I can also see where they could claim there's a concern that uh, with with all these bets on individual players and actions, that there's a much it's much more of a danger that there could be some kind of cheating going on than an entire result of a game. Which requires yeah, but I'm sure they I'm sure they could they'd cap it though, like you wouldn't be able to bet ten thousand that the guy's going to run right. Yes, it could, yes, right. it, it could be, it be nominal. Yes, it, it could be nominal, and that would prevent that part. But but yeah, I see. But from Daly's point there, that they that uh, this getting this data, the leagues may say, okay, well we're we're not going to provide this to you unless you start giving us our integrity fee. Whereas if, uh, if if the states refuse any integrity fee, the leagues can't do anything about it because it's not it's not hard for the he's saying you know, it's not it's not hard for the the casinos or sports books to find out the result of the game that anyone can find that out. But real time that has to come from from the teams is what he's saying. 
Right, and, and that's really that's what they should be selling, not the integrity fee, just yeah. access to the data, and sure they can make a ton of money. But the one percent of everything, I think, is a joke. Well, anyway, that's it'll be the uh, that's gonna be the end of this uh, sports betting topic. I I hope some of you enjoyed it. Uh, I know some of you probably enjoyed it. There's some who probably didn't like it, but uh, the good news is, unless I make uh, sports betting fraud alert radio. Which which might come soon, but unless I do that, uh, this won't be a, a regular feature here. We'll be back to talking about uh, poker and general gambling in the in the future. But we will be updating this topic as we now. I'm not going to update like every little state uh, decision, but uh, any major news as far as uh, you know is it coming to a certain state very soon or any anything that's newsworthy will at least update you on. Uh, in the upcoming episodes of Poker Fraud Alert Radio as necessary. So uh, thank you, Daly, for calling in and uh, having this discussion with us. And again, thank you for offering the uh, great prop bets that you have on Poker Fraud Alert. And Daly, he he really has a great record in the prop bets he's posted. So if you see a prop bet he posts and you can get money on it on an offshore book or whatever you're using, I would suggest you place that bet. Now, obviously, he's not 100%. Sometimes they'll post uh, ones that lose. Sometimes they'll post one. The, the lines move very quickly, too. You know, someone made a joke about stale lines where uh, they talked about, you know, daily will post a, a, a bet is, uh, you know, bet this at minus 150, and then you go take a look, and it's minus 195. Uh, the prop bets, the lines move very fast. Like, even one bet can move the line because it's a much uh, shallower market. But um, I'll tell you, if you can get anywhere near the line that he posts – you know, jump on it fast if you see he posts, and then uh, if you can get anywhere near the line, uh, I'm telling you, you'll you'll be happy you did in the long long run with him because he's he's posted a lot of winners, including some just incredibly good streaks. So, uh, hey, you're welcome, Todd. Thanks, thanks for help uh, having me on tonight. And uh, hey, hopefully, I think I'm there in the same. Uh, I'm going to be in the World Series the same time as. Uh, Put it in, so I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to catch up with yeah, you. Yeah, I miss everybody. I get a chance to see you. How's everybody coming that week? I'm going to miss everybody. It's crazy. It's Omaha week. That's why. Well, it must be like PLO because I'm I'm there for the 08, uh, and that's at May 31st in the next few days as well. Like they, uh, Omaha eight is like May 31st. Uh, the bigger ones on on June 3rd. The satellites on June 2nd. So that's 08 is then. I don't know about. The tenth or sixteenth. Uh, Stud eight, the thousand PLO. There's a one at the Venetian for PLO eight, and then there's the fifteen hundred PLO. Okay. Um, and then there's another one at the Win uh, for horse okay. during that week. So it's that's, a pretty popular why. week for the non-traditional card players. Okay. Because I, yeah, I'm not a big PLO person. I couldn't really get that into it. I, I, I like the you know I like O uh, eight. I like. Uh, I like PLO eight. I even like Big O. The, the uh, PLO. I'm just uh, that's that's the one form of Omaha. I'm just not that into. So I'm it's not, a hell of a uh, game. It's a fun one. But speaking of non-traditional, I'll, I'll hang up and I'll let you guys carry on. But I am looking forward to hear your take on the uh, shorthanded game uh, oh, that short- took place last night. I, I that actually kept me up till four in the morning yesterday watching it. So. Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk about that. There's those high stakes, the very super high stakes poker games have been going on recently. And uh, uh, thank you for calling in, Daily. All right, have a good one, guys. Okay. Good night. 
Daily? Uh, Druff, I realize I wasn't here in the beginning when you talked about your WSOP package. Yes. I fuck, I completely forgot to buy a PCU. I was actually kind of wondering about that. I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask you about it because I didn't want you to feel like pressured if you didn't want to do it this year. So I just, I didn't say anything. I figured you, you kept always asking me, when are you going to put it up there? I, 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 I thought maybe you are, then, then you didn't. Now it's fine because I, it sold out very fast. And, uh, once it, was, it didn't sell out fast until I mentioned it on this show. Once I mentioned it right. on the show, then just like this, Flood of people start. In fact, a lot of them use tasty steaks, like you suggested. A lot of them, uh, a lot of them listen to you, and uh, so there was just a flood of people signing up. And then within a few days, it was gone. So yeah. That's and incidentally, that. for anyone who's worried about it, the your you'll be able to see your na- your own name and that you have a piece, but nobody else sees it. Right. Uh, just in case anyone's worried about it, your name isn't going to be up there because you, you've got the package set not to show uh, the, well, the backers that's publicly. Well, that's actually not completely true because uh, you changed I, it. I, no, I, I, I've been I copy the list over to Poker Fraud Alert and anyone who signed up under their real name, unless they've asked me not to. I've been so you took something good and you made it fucking. Yeah, terrible. I posted the real name. <laughs> okay, all right. No, but but you know, you're, you're, you bring up a good point. So what I think I'm going to do is on Poker Fraud Alert, I'm going to just change it to initials. So right, that will be yeah. Uh, but that that's what the site does. So the person who lists the package has the option of uh, making the stakers public, uh, and by default, it's not on. Okay. And the idea is that if you're logged in, you can see your own stuff, but you can't see anybody else, which is, you know, kind of nice. But if you copy and paste the whole thing, obviously. Well, yeah, some some people ask me not to. Some, some people ask me not to, so I, I just listed them by their right. screen name. Um, others, uh, I, I, I thought everyone could see it. I, I must have said it at some point this way, but I had just... You can you can always see it, Yeah, right? I know, but and, I, I, thought it was, I thought everyone was seeing it, so... I, I figured it was fine to copy over, but now that I hear this, I'll I'll go change it to initials so uh, people yeah, won't that see might, that. That might be a good idea. But a, a way you can uh, you can do it is if you go to Tasty Steaks, um, you could just open like a uh, an incognito browser and go to your own package page, and you'll see that the the people's their names are not listed there. Okay, okay. Well, I kind of messed up, but I'll 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 fix it. All right. So uh, but anyway, no, the whole thing is like uh, we're doing the radio show and Trader Ruski is like, oh, I just bought my piece. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm just going to buy my piece when we're we're on the radio. And then I just completely fucking forgot. Yeah, maybe this will be the year I, I win big. And then you'll, uh, you'll So because of that, I'm going to have to levy a mandatory Tasty Steaks 5% uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, integrity fee. fee. Uh, on the to ensure the integrity of your package. Okay, right? I'll 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 pay you five percent extra over what I pay to use the site. I agree. No, 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 no. It's five percent of your winning stuff. This is we're trying to maintain integrity. You know, you. <laughs> I'd consider this, but you're just you're not in charge of the World Series. Though you 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 can't assert any integrity. That maybe Seth Polanski and Jack Ethel can charge me, but you can't. I have to turn it you, down. You're not the first one that has told me that I cannot assert any integrity, just so you know. <laughs> All right. So you guys may be wondering, is there an update about the Las Vegas hotel workers strike that may take place on June 1st? Because th- this is a pretty big deal. This is a I'm pretty concerned big... about that orgy, man. And just the think orgy. Of all those, 
spooge rags that are going to be dirty and laying around for weeks if they don't if they strike. That's right. There's a, like a June third orgy there. So, what's going to be the story with this hotel strike? Now they're going to be voting on whether to strike on May twenty second. Today is May twentieth. So how can I have an update? Well, there's been insider talk within the union as to. Number one, which way the vote is likely to go. And number two, what they're likely to do about it. And uh, this is what the insider talk has revealed. First of all, it's almost a certainty that they are going to vote to strike. In fact, they believe the vote to strike over not strike is probably going to win like 95 to 5, which is insane. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a vote on anything win 95% to 5. I've seen some, uh, like, propositions on state ballots that are very, very popular. I've seen win something like 87 to 13. But I, I don't think I've ever seen anything win 95 to 5 because you just, you, you always have a certain, um, a certain percentage of people on the other side of just about everything. And, to get only 5% on one side of something is very unusual. Nevertheless, that is the belief that it will be somewhere like 95 to 5 in favor of striking. So, does that mean we can expect a complete clusterfuck in Vegas starting June 1st at all the hotels? Because this is the culinary union, it encompasses 50,000 employees. And it's not just restaurant-related employees. It's also the maids and uh, many, many other hotel service employees are all part of that union, and they would all be striking. So does this mean at the beginning of the World Series on June 1st, we're going to start seeing that, even if the casino part is not affected, that the hotel will be a disaster? Is that something we can expect now? The answer is no. Why? Because voting to strike... And absolute, and actually stopping work are two very different things. It, it would sound like they're the same. It would sound like, okay, we're taking a vote to strike. Okay, the vote is yes. In fact, it's overwhelmingly yes. Okay, let's strike. That's what it would sound like. But that's not the way it really works. What is expected is that they're going to vote to strike, and then they're going to put the casinos on notice. Okay, we're about to strike. So either you can enter negotiations with us, and take us seriously, or we're going to strike on June 1st. At which point the casinos are going to say, oh crap, we can't have you striking. Okay, fine, we'll negotiate. Now that doesn't mean the casinos will just buckle and give everything that the union's asking for. But what it does mean is that they are going to start entering negotiations, and as an act of good faith, the union will not strike on June 1st. On the other side of the coin, the casinos will agree that any agreement they come to, that if there's any monetary part of the agreement, that it will be retroactive to June 1st, even if they come to the agreement, say, on July 1st. So there, the things that they are pushing for, there are some monetary and some are non-monetary. For example, uh, the maids want a panic button in case uh, a guest either attacks them or aggressively argues with them and mistreats them. They want a panic button where they press it and security comes running up there. Well, obviously, you can't 
make a panic button retroactive. If a, a maid was uh, sexually harassed by a guest on June 3rd and they come to the agreement to give the button on July 1st, they can't go back in time to give the maid the button on June 3rd. But, but, but all the monetary-related agreements will be retroactive to June 1st. So that's, 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 the signif- that's the main significance of that date, is that by agreeing not to strike on June 1st, and to enter negotiations that basically the hotel will be agreeing that anything that's decided upon in favor of the workers monetarily, no matter when it's decided, will go retroactive to June 1st. And so, so the decision to strike, the vote to strike, doesn't mean they're going to strike. It just means we're telling the casino we're about to if you don't negotiate with us, at which point the, the, the negotiations will start and then it'll be some time until the negotiations are complete. So that is the reason, by the way, that most will support this strike, because it's been framed to the union workers who are going to vote for this, that, hey, you're you're not really going to be entering a work stoppage. What you're really going to be doing is just scaring the casino into giving us uh, better pay, better conditions, and, and other concessions that we want. And if we don't do that, we're going to get nothing. So that's that's the message being given to all members of the union. That's why just about every one of them is going to strike, or not according to – everyone's going to vote to strike because they know that's not actually uh, translating to striking, at least not yet, and in fact it's not likely. And it's expected that the casinos probably will come to some agreement with them. That's That's the expectation here. So as uh, dramatic as it is to talk about this June 1st strike – at this point, it looks very unlikely that there will be a strike, even though it's almost certain that they're going to vote for a strike, as strange as that seems. So that that's the update right now. Uh, now, what, All I care about is that the orgy is going to be safe. Is it going to be safe? Well, I don't know, because JSTAT said, just said in chat, I just opened the chat room, and JSTAT said, the culinary union has warned us on Facebook not to make reservations at the affected casinos and hotels. Yeah, good luck. It's like is like like pretty much every strip hotel is going to be affected by this. So, mm. uh, but th- th- again, this is you know this is just a scare tactic. It's the same thing. It's 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 where the union is trying to make everything look very unpleasant for the casinos, so the casinos end up with a message of, oh crap, you know they, they get the message of this is going to be a disaster for you. This is just the beginning. You better play ball now. So that's what this is. And this is a tactic used by unions in general, where they they start doing small things to irritate the company with the message that play ball with us or it's going to get a lot worse. So this is why they're posting this type of stuff on Facebook. But I'm telling you, the chance of an actual work stoppage is pretty low. Not not impossible. So if, if this happens, don't tell me that I told you it's not going to happen. But it's unlikely to happen at this point. The only way it happens is if the casinos decide to dig their heels in and say no to enough things that are very, very important to the culinary union. So if there's certain things that the culinary union won't take no for an answer and the casino will not say yes on those points, then we could have an actual strike. But it's unlikely to be June 1st because it's May 20th now. They're not even going to vote on this until May 22nd, and there's got to be some time for negotiation. So the June 1st date is really more just 
to establish a date that they could have started the strike. So this way they could make changes retroactive to that date when it occurs later than that. So I wouldn't worry about the early World Series of Poker being affected by this. In fact, it's, it is a good chance that the entire World Series of Poker will be over before an agreement has been reached anyway. So that's the story there. And uh, it probably would make better radio if I just said that 95% is gonna, they're going to vote to strike. Tune in next week to hear what happens. That that would be yeah. Just go with the sensationalist headline, man. That's what I should have done. I should have said there's going to be a strike. It's I've just heard from inside sources, inside sources that only I have, that have told me that they're they're going to vote about ninety five percent to five to strike. That's how much support there is to this. So be prepared, June first. There's probably going to be a work stoppage. Tune in next week on May 27th at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time to find out more. I could have said that, but I'm just being honest with you guys. It's probably not going to be a work stoppage, even though they're voting to strike in all likelihood. Okay, so I have a question for both of you. Uh, When you guys park your car at a major hotel casino, uh, do you ever... Worry about the car while it's there. And I don't mean if you leave something on the seat that's valuable. I don't mean like if you leave an iPad on the seat or something. I mean just just park your car, nothing in sight that's in in the car that's valuable. Do you worry about the car in there or do you just take it for granted and think it a, a, a nice strip property, the chance of something happening is just about zero? I generally don't worry about it at all. But if you remember that show when I was in New York City – and I had that terrible audio, and I was going out looking for my car. They had it in New York City. They had it in a parking garage where they had all the windows rolled down. And I I think the idea was, (laughs) rather than having someone smash your window to steal something, just let them take it. (laughs) I didn't feel too good about it there, but at a major casino, I've never worried about it. Trader Ruski, I know you've gone to a lot of casinos, uh, and and we know you're in your car a lot. So uh, have you ever worried about this, parking in a strip casino? I have not. I haven't either. I have not either, uh, especially in the parking garages. I, I've, I've had the occasional thought about this like in, in an open-air lot like the Rio has by the, by the World Series. But uh, parking in a place like the Wynn, the Venetian, Caesars, Bellagio, these upper-end strip hotels, I've never even had one thought, oh, I'm going to come back and found, find something happened to my car. Unless Don't you, you park in the handicapped spots like Daniel Negreanu? Uh, we're at the World Series. Just kind of zoom up there. No, but I see. I don't. I don't have employees there that'll kiss my ass and, and not report me for it. If I did it, they'd have like a they'd, they'd have someone there within five minutes to write me a ticket. <laughs> I know that. So I mean, honestly, at most of these places, I just valet it, and I assume that it's well taken care of. You know. Yeah. Well, I I actually don't like valet, but the story- we know because you got to tip them. I know. You know what? I, I, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a true story about uh, about Hawaii on the Big Island of Hawaii from uh, 18 years ago. I went to the Mauna Kea, which was a very nice resort. It's gone downhill since then. It's not terrible, but it was it was a very very nice resort in the year 2000. Uh, I went there and I pulled up and I said, "What about the self parking?" 
And keep in mind, I was in a rental car, of course, in Hawaii. And uh, at the Mauna Kea, they were instructed not to accept tips. If you try to give them a tip, they will refuse it. So there's there's no tipping. It's, it's, it was considered uh, the tip was included in what you're paying for the hotel, and they were all told not to take tips. Despite that, I asked, okay, still, where can I self-park? And they seemed very perplexed by this. And they said, well, you understand, this is all included, and you know, we, we can't even take tips, and like, you know, we just give it to us, we just park it. I go, no, but what if I want to park it myself? Where do I do it? They said, oh, okay, I guess you can go just park it, you park it the same place we park here. And they pointed me to the lot, so I, I went to the, I drove into the lot and parked it myself every time. Why? I just like control of it. I just like, I walked, I, I like just being able to walk to my car, get in, drive away, park, get out, walk away. Like, I, I, I especially the, so much, like dropping it off isn't that bad. It's, 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 I like just being able to walk to my car and drive away. And I also like the power to, if I forgot something in my car, I just go right there and get it. I don't have to ask them to bring me to it or bring the car to me. It's a pain in the ass. I don't like any of that. I feel like there's a complete lack of control, even if it's not my own car. Now, if it's my own car, there's additional factors involved to where I don't like valet, but uh, just other people driving my car, uh, especially strangers. But even if you take that factor out, you take, you take, you put me in a rental car and even take the tip factor out, I still want to self-park. So it's not just about the tip. I, I don't like the tipping either. I just feel it's an unnecessary expense, to be honest. Like I, it's something I don't really want to do anyway. I don't want to, I don't want to do valet parking. So I have to do something I don't want to do and tip someone to do it. So it's just the tip, Drew. But I, but I don't want, I, I don't want the service in the first place. That's the problem. I, I yeah, just, I, I don't like valet. I mean, some of the hotels, you can't avoid it, but still, it's just like, did you see the David Goldstein report a couple weeks ago, uh, Jeff? No. He's like an investigative reporter, Cal Watt, here on the local news. And he, so they, they did all this parking at LAX and they just caught all, like five out of the six places or something. You know, they'd, they'd leave the five spot there or leave a bunch of money. They'd take half of it. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Well, I had the situation, I think I've talked about it before on the show, so I won't go into the whole story, but where I parked at one of these LAX lots, not, it wasn't one of the official LAX lots, it was one of the, privately owned lots, one of the bigger ones, and the, someone leaned my seat all the way back as if they were lying down and changed my radio station to like a hip-hop station. And, and so when I got into the car, I found my seat like way, way back, like someone was sleeping in there, and, and it was turned to Power 106, which is a hip-hop station. So I, that really pissed me off because it made it, obviously they didn't just park my car. Obviously they must have had a little party in there. So I, I was really angry about it, and they I, all I was asking for was they just give me back my money. Now I was there for about over a week, and it was over a hundred bucks. They it was one hundred twenty bucks I wanted back, but but my argument was they they didn't they did not live up to their end of the bargain. That they're supposed to just park my car and leave it alone. They're not supposed to tamper with things. They're not supposed to. And I, and I showed them how many steps it is to to change the station in there. It's not like just twisting a radio. This is a, one of those. Uh, iDrive system, so I was, I was showing them like, a, th- this this to me was a big deal if they were tampering with things in my car and, and lying down in there, whatever else they were doing. So I said, at the very least, I shouldn't have to pay to park here. I don't I don't need a settlement, but I, I don't want to have to pay you either. And I actually had to uh, then they wanted to give it to risk management, and I said, no, I'm not I'm not doing it through risk management, because I, nothing happened to my car. There's nothing was damaged. I just don't want to pay for a service that was not provided to me properly. And uh, so 
they at first refused. I, I took it up higher to the district manager, and the district manager called me. And the, anyway, the agreement was that uh, as long as I sign a release that I'm not going to sue them, that they'll give me the 120 bucks back. So I did, and they sent me the 120 bucks back. But I was pay- in principle, I wasn't going to pay for that crap. I, I had to pay it first to get the car out of the lot, but I demanded it back. Anyway, uh, so that doesn't surprise me at all. And I, I've read all these horror stories on Yelp and stuff that happens in these lots, even under, under valet. But uh, anyway, I, I self-park, and Trader Ruska, he seems to self-park more. But I will tell you, when I self-park at these major casinos, I don't mean sleazy casinos in a bad area. I mean these major strip casinos, the nice ones. I never even give it a second thought that I was going to happen to my car. So imagine that uh, you go to the Venetian and you go play a poker tournament and then you bust out of the tournament and all you want to do is come back to your car and drive home or drive, I don't know if this guy lived in Vegas or not, but drive to wherever you came from. You get in, You go up to your car and you find your car is up on blocks and all four wheels have been stolen. Well, that happened. I'd be like, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I can't even imagine my reaction. I mean, talk about something you don't expect. It's actually up on cinder blocks. It's almost block. like a prank. You'd think like yeah. somebody was pranking you, wouldn't you? Before you'd think somebody like stole your tires. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, the whole wheels were stolen. There were no wheels left on the car. The, the, all four actual wheels were stolen. So this is from Dave Larson on the Real Grinders group. And he posted a picture of it, by the way. So he, he didn't make this up. It's, I can see the picture. Uh, and you can see the car up, up on the blocks and the, wheel, the wheels are gone. It says this. Last Sunday while playing the tournament, all the tires and wheels were stolen off my car with the car left on cinder blocks. And he posted a picture and it looks exactly like that. <laughs> it's, it, it's a, if you go to the casinos in Las Vegas forum at Poker Fraud Alert, you'll see the thread about this. And then you'll see the picture of the car. And uh, just to see this picture and know this is at the Venetian is insane. So he says, uh, Today I spoke with Venetian Risk Management. Venetian claimed no responsibility and confirmed that there are no security cameras in the parking lot. I didn't know that. Nice. When One I of these guys felt okay with jacking up a car. Yeah, <laughs> putting it on cinder blocks. Yeah. When I asked how poker players should feel safe walking to their cars if they win a lot of cash, they replied, you should get a security escort. Oh, dear God. Come on. So uh, then he writes, it's more or less the reaction I expected but would have gone down better with a bit of compassion and empathy rather than a blunt refusal of responsibility or restitution. In other news, I got the car towed and the tires replaced. Insurance moved pretty quickly. Insurance said they were not planning to go after the Venetian to recover my deductible. I filed a police report, but since Venetian just confirmed there is no surveillance footage, the best I can hope for is that they catch them trying to do the same stunt on another car. So uh, the Venetian completely washed their hands of it. And the sad thing is they actually can. Uh, they, if you notice when you park in any lot and you take one of those tickets. Now, by the way, people have asked, is the Venetian one of these properties that charges for parking in Vegas? The answer is no, it's free. It, it is free to park in the Venetian. 
but yeah, it's free. It's a fucking free for all. Man. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. <laughs> now you see where they're saving the money. They're, they they don't uh, they don't install cameras or have uh, any kind of security there. But if you've taken tickets in parking lots, even ones where you do have to pay, it tends to say on the ticket, "This contract limits our liability. Read it." And then you read it, and it basically states that anything that happens to your car, tough luck. That's that's what the contract states. Now, I want to divert from this a little bit and repeat a story I've told before about something that happened to my car in the Rio parking lot nine years ago. Nine years ago during the World Series of Poker, I was playing an event. I had my car in the outdoor parking lot at the Rio, and a storm blew in that was not expected. It was a quick thunderstorm that brought a lot of wind and heavy rain. Moved in, moved out pretty quickly, and it was not expected. So I remember walking out of the Rio, and I found the ground is very wet. I was surprised to see that. I saw some clouds out in the distance. It looked like there had been a storm that had just recently passed through. I got to my car, and I saw a bunch of construction debris right up against my car. So... I moved the stuff away, and I saw the front of my car had some damage. Not major damage, but some damage. I walked around, and I determined that the reason that construction debris blew into my car was because they didn't tie it up. There was actually a rope, but they didn't bother to tie it. So they just left it there, and then... The storm came through. It was it was windy. It blew the debris. It blew the construction equipment into my car, and there you have it. So, the question was: Was the real responsible? Was the real responsible? It was their construction stuff. But uh, does this fall under the "we're not liable for anything that happens to your car," especially since it was nature that caused this stuff to blow into my car? Well, I was of the opinion, and it turned out I was correct, my opinion at the time, even though at first the idiots at security told me there's nothing I could do and that they're not responsible, and called it an act of God, my opinion was because it was their failure to secure their equipment that blew into my car, then they were responsible. Whereas if something blew in from elsewhere, like let's say the place next door didn't secure their equipment, or let's even just say a tree branch from across the street broke off and blew into my car, then they would not be responsible. That's an act of God. But since it was their own equipment that they should have tied down and didn't, then that would make them responsible. Similarly, if a real employee came up with a hammer and smashed my car with it, he couldn't say, well, this is your own risk. No, their own employee caused it. But... If someone who wasn't a Rio employee just came by and vandalized my car and got away, I could not force the Rio to pay for it. That's where their liability is limited. That was uh, the way I felt at the time when it happened. And upon researching it and even talking to a friend of mine who was an attorney, uh, that was correct. So... uh, they ended up handing it off to risk management. Risk management uh, backed down very quickly and, and uh, paid me to repair the car. 
So back to this story, though. This was equivalent to what I was talking about. Like, had someone just vandalized my car who had no association with the Rio, then there'd be nothing I could have done. And that's basically what happened here. Now, they could probably tr- he could probably try to make a claim that they didn't provide adequate security. And because there is no ticket you get as you drive in, he could also claim that he was never informed that they don't have any liability there. Because there is no contract that limits their liability, but they probably have something posted somewhere that they claim you're supposed to read. They probably have signed they're you know, not responsible for valuables left in car. Not, but this isn't even valuables left in car. This isn't like you leave an iPad on your passenger seat and someone smashes your window and grabs it. This is someone steals the, the wheels off your car. There's nothing you can do about it to prevent that. So the question is, uh, does the Venetian have a legal responsibility to provide good enough security to prevent something like this? Or do they not have that responsibility? Is the security they provide uh, pretty much whatever they want to provide, and, and you're taking the risk? Are they are they providing security basically voluntarily, but they're not obligated to prevent crime like this from happening? And I, I believe they're not obligated. I believe that uh, if crime occurs in their lot, that they're not responsible for it unless it's uh, through some sort of major negligence. Like, let's say... And again, I, I'm not an attorney here. But, but this doesn't seem like major negligence. I mean, unless it's like the Daytona 500 team. <laughs> well, this must have taken right 15 minutes, I mean, at least. Well, so that's, I was wondering that. So I was wondering how quick can this be done? And this is what someone on the forum posted. I posted this in the forum, as I mentioned. Uh, so one of our users on the forum said, uh, let me get to this post here. Here. Uh, I know they do it in teams, but it blows me away how quickly they can do that to a car without being seen. That's like some ninja pit skills type of shit. So he he's saying that uh, he's familiar with there's teams that do this and they're super fast to where you'd be shocked how quickly they can get this done from just the experience in doing this. And they they must practice in doing this super quickly. So that's the question of how long does it actually take if it's something that takes 15 minutes to do then i think it could be argued that security should be good enough to catch them if it's something they could do in five minutes then you know then maybe you, you couldn't argue that i don't know it's a subjective thing well, as far well, and it would be loud and then the people are driving out of the complex with four extra tires you know which could be in the back of a truck or whatever but still yeah, I think negligence could be certainly an argument. It, it could be an argument, but I, I really think that, especially in in Vegas, they tend the law tends to protect the casinos in a lot of ways. So I bet legally there'd be little you could do about it. I think the only way you could prove like real negligence, like if they designed a lot, for example, in a place that was uh, totally out of visibility, like around a corner, and then someone someone goes there to. Uh, get in their car and gets mugged and then they they prove that this is a stupid design of the lot because it's a tiny corner there where it's no way, you know it's 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 very easy to mug people there they should have thought of this when they designed the lot i think that could be alleged much more successfully than just in an open lot if some very efficient criminals can get the four wheels off a car and 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 uh you know in, in a few minutes 
then that kind of falls under the same heading as if someone just walks by and vandalizes your car. You can't make the casino pay. But I admit it's it's crappy, and I think the, the, the thing with the no security cameras, that surprises me. I always knew in hallways they don't have security cameras. In fact, if you remember when Greg Raymer got mugged in the hallway of the Bellagio, there were no security cameras of it. They don't have cameras in casino hotels, in the hotel portion, for two reasons. Reason number one is that a lot of the guests feel uncomfortable with that because they, you know, if they're going to bring hookers back up to their room, they don't want uh, uh, they don't want it on camera. They they don't want to feel like uh, they're, they're recorded coming back to their room with people they're not supposed to be with. Uh, number you want two, your hookers or you want your tires? You can want both, <laughs> but. The, the 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 other reason is that it's a, they feel it's a waste of their resources. They want to s- concentrate on the casino itself, where all the chips and money is, not the hotel, where if crime happens there, it doesn't directly cost the doesn't really direct them cost them any, directly cost them anything. Whereas if you uh, you know run in the casino and grab chips and run out, or uh, or hold up the cage, then it does cost them money. So they they tend to focus the security on where the money is, which is the casino, and then the hotel. Uh, think about any other hotel. You think they have uh, cameras in the hallway? Usually not. So that I expected. That I expected that there's no cameras in the hallway of the of the hotel. But the, the parking lot, I had always assumed there were cameras there. And I don't know if this is standard in Vegas or not to have no cameras at all in the parking lot. And if they don't have cameras in the parking lot, I have to wonder why not. And you could say, well, it could be that same hooker argument. It could be that uh, maybe people don't want to pull up in their car with a hooker and then get out and be seen doing that. But how do they get to their hotel room? You have to walk through the casino. There's no way to avoid a camera in most properties. If you know, let's, let's say you pull into the garage and there's no camera there. I think it would be very hard to get up to your room without ever being on camera with that hooker. So why not have it in the parking lot? I just, it would seem like the parking lot would be a very important place to have cameras because I think that's where a lot of the crime would occur because that's where people are most likely to be alone without any witnesses would be in a parking lot. It's a lot harder to commit a crime against someone on a crowded casino floor than in a parking lot. So... That's uh, it, that surprises me that crime can occur in parking lots and there's no surveillance cameras of it. I just I'm trying to think about why there wouldn't be surveillance cameras there, even if they're not actively monitored. There could be they could just have surveillance cameras running that they'll only refer to if there's a problem, and then every five days they they loop over and erase themselves. I'm surprised they don't have at least have placebo cameras, you know. Well, they might. <laughs> After this happens, they can't say, we'll check the placebo camera. So right. who, who knows? I, I, I haven't really looked for them. Now I'm going to want to look for them. Now I'm going to want to look up when I'm at a casino and see if I could, when I park and see if I can find a camera around there. Maybe, maybe none of them have cameras, but that, that's crappy. That is crappy. And that's going to, I think. Well, this, they're, they're saving all of their camera technology for the cage, right? Right. Remember those uh, yeah. wonderful images yes. that we saw at a, what was it, Bellagio? Yeah, Bellagio. Their their uh, <laughs> their nineteen eighty nine security camera they had there. 
My God. Yeah, I guess if that's what they have in the casino, we really can't expect them to have anything in the parking lot. Yeah, that's no. true. That's true. They they could have had the security camera, and then then uh, he says, oh, "Well, the good news we we actually we have security cameras, and we got these people on security. <laughs> they show them the camera, and they go, what? But this is yeah, just it's going to look like a, a 1980s Nintendo video game. Right? Yeah, this guy looks completely like, pixelated. Yeah, this guy looks like a, an old picture of Bigfoot. Well, okay, we'll put that out. We'll put an APB out on Bigfoot for uh, stealing your wheels. So, does this guy have some kind of special rims or something on these wheels? Why the fuck did they? Yeah, steal I was going to say they must have been worth a fortune. Because if they're like criminals that do this type of thing, are you going to go into the Bellagio? I mean, to the Venetian and. Steal somebody's wheels. Well, so someone, so the same guy who goes by Avon Barksdale, the, the same guy who posted the, about the team said, "I wonder if they were just stock Honda rims. I feel like the aftermarket on those is pretty good." And it's true. There's there's certain very common makes of cars where the parts and maybe even the wheels are very valuable because there's a um, a big black market for them. The more common your car is, the more interchangeable the parts are, uh, the the more likely it is that your car will be stolen and that parts will be stripped from it. So that's uh, it, it's funny because you'd expect, oh, I have an expensive car. I bet it's more likely to get stolen. It's actually not true. They they actually want to steal the the lower to mid end cars because the parts are worth. That's what they're really after is the parts. So this is probably they probably did just steal something pretty standard that they could resell, and if they're good at it and fast at it, they could probably hit a lot of these cars every day and, and yes. make a fair amount of money. That's probably what's going on there. But of all the things to steal in Vegas, there's got to be something more lucrative than that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you though. Is, there, is it just some meth tweaker who's just like fuck it? Just need enough for my next fix or something? No, these are usually pretty organized. That's probably how they got yeah. it off so fast. And there is a lot of crime, uh, property crime against cars in Vegas. In fact, uh, I don't know if it's still this way, but when I lived there, my insurance rates were higher because Vegas had the highest car theft and vandalization rate of any small or uh, any medium or large city in the United States. Uh, that's a sign of a healthy community there. So that that was just a, a big thing in Vegas was stealing cars and stealing parts from cars, and that uh, that's probably that what a, happened here. Drift, do we have any confirmation at all that Belly Buster is actually listening right now? No. So we have no idea. Like he could be on a plane and couldn't tune in, and yeah, I don't know if Belly Buster is listening or not. <laughs> well, he's the reason for the show, right? No, no, no! It wasn't Belly Buster. No, uh, uh, no, it was it was somebody else who was who was going to be listening from from a plane. And also, we have. Uh, uh, we, I we, thought it was Belly Buster no, no, that no. was flying, and, and he wanted to listen to it. No, and then and then we also have uh, Mr. Tickle, the, the the British guy who lives in Russia. For some reason, he is in Venice right now and posted a picture from Venice, and he's listening to the show from Venice. Though the one thing I don't understand. Is it's very late in Venice for pretty much the entire program because it's uh, Venice, I believe, is nine hours later than Los Angeles. Yeah. So that would make when the show started, it was like three a.m. there, and even now it's it's seven a.m. So maybe he's just waking up though on vacation. Maybe he's not waking up at this time. So you I know don't what know. I remember most from Venice. What? 
pigeons. Everywhere we went, there were fucking pigeons everywhere, man. Yeah, I'm trying crazy. To think, I'm trying to think if there were... Okay, so I was there 27 years ago. I was there once. It was 27 years ago. And I'll tell you the... Aside from the obvious, remember, remembering the fact that the city is all canals instead of streets, the... Well, they got streets, too. I know, but there's a lot of canals replacing streets. Right. But the, the the most significant thing to me that I remember aside from that are two things. They're not pigeons. One, There might have been, though. I, I just may not remember it. Uh, number one is that the canals were very dirty. I expected them to be, like... You think it's going to be blue water? I didn't think it'd be like the Caribbean, <laughs> where, where it's like like crystal clear, uh, light blue water. But I, I, I expected it to kind of look like, uh, yeah, like the, like, like the Venetian. No, no, I, I, I kind of pictured it to look like the the ocean, the ocean in L.A., except not no waves. You know, <laughs> no. just dude. For the longest time, Venice had this huge mass of garbage that was just kind of like sitting outside of the city. You know what I mean? They had this huge, like, you can go ahead and Google it. They they had this crazy, like, I, I wouldn't swim in that canal, man. No well, yeah, fucking you know, way. It was very, very dirty. So, right. So I, I just saw trash floating in there. It kind of. Uh, oh, yeah. That, of that kind of killed the beauty of the whole thing of, uh, of, of canals in between these buildings, and then they're full of trash. That was the first thing. Like, you think of these romantic scenes of, of uh, a gondolier. Uh, who's uh, rowing the gondola through the canals of Venice and the couples together kissing. But in reality, there's the trash in the canals. It's not, it's not as romantic as it appears. The other thing I remember, the other negative memory I have from Venice, and I'm sorry, Mr. Tickle, I don't want to spoil your trip, but the other negative memory I have from there is that there are a lot of scam pop-up restaurants there. And what I mean by pop-up restaurants, and this is back in 91, maybe it's not like this anymore. But they'd have these little outdoor restaurants that are like under a tent that aren't in a structure, and they're aimed at tourists. In fact, many times it would say on the front, menu turistico, I mean like a tourist menu. And they were expensive, but the food was awful. So they, they were these just awful pop-up restaurants under tents, which uh, are fairly expensive they're made to look really good and appealing, and a lot of people like them because you're sitting outside and you can watch everything. You know, you you can look at Venice while you're eating. But the food would be terrible, the service would be horrible. They'd be very rude to you if you complained about anything because they they're expecting complaints. They know you're coming in expecting one thing and getting crap. So of course they know everyone's going to complain. Of course they're going to be very rude to you once they have your money. You're you're prepaying, so you can't even uh, uh, do anything about it. So we you know, were You know they're actually looking at restricting access to Venice because they they get they get so many tourists that that go there. It's way more than the city can bear and a lot of it are from these big tour boats that pull up. So these tour boats pull up and then just a shitload of people get off and they just leave crap everywhere and then they leave. Oh. <laughs> and they're not even spending that much money in the city. You it, know what I mean? Because they're just there for a few hours and then they're out of there. That must be a newer thing. I didn't see that happening in 91. Uh, newer than that, I should say. I, it may not be new, but compared to when I was there. Uh, but th- yeah, that's, that's, I can understand that. And, but th- th- these menu touristicos, these, these things were everywhere. And so we got duped mm-hmm. by it once 
and then obviously we we didn't eat it again, and we, and we laughed every time we saw one. There were so many around the city, and this, that that was a, something that I remember there as well. But anyway, Mr. Tickle, he claims he li- he's going to be listening from Venice, and he's on vacation there. So, uh, yeah, we have someone listening in an airplane. We have someone who's uh, listening uh, from Venice. So Yeah, this, this article is saying that the beautiful city of Venice is quite literally surrounded by an open-air sewage system. That's what it kind of seemed like. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of trash all over the, the canals. Some worse than others, but uh, I guess it depends which way the water was flowing. Or, But, yeah, I saw a lot of trash just sitting on top of the water. And the water itself looked very dirty. Yeah, and the thing is, man, a lot of it is from tourists that don't give a fuck. They don't live there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it, one of the big arguments, I, there was a woman who was talking about they're trying to pass a, a law, again, restricting the number of people that can go into Venice. Um, so that they don't have this kind of, you know, trampled by thousands of feet kind of deal going on in there. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, okay. Uh, let me just finish this this uh, Venetian topic, though. Um, from Venice, back to the Venetian. I, I would hope that the casino in this type of case would treat it a bit differently. Even if not, you know, even if they asked the person to not make this public or something and uh, something unusual like this. It's one thing if someone says, hey, my window was smashed. And then the casino has to wonder, okay, was this person an idiot and left something out on the on the seat that either was valuable or looked valuable? You know, how much of this was their fault? You know, we can't go paying for everybody whose, whose car gets vandalized. May, may, maybe the the vandalizing happened uh, outside, and they're, they're, they're claiming it happened in here. But when there is a car up on blocks in the Venetian, in their parking lot, uh, you pretty much have to believe the person that they were a victim of this. And th- this is pretty bad. I, I, I would think they would... I would think just it's the right thing to do something if their security failed to this extent. But I, I really think there should be cameras there. That's that's the biggest surprise out of all of this. There should be cameras to where at least if they won't do anything as far as compensating the guy, that they can at least say, here's the surveillance footage and we're going to give it to the police. So it sucks that just there's nothing he can do. So beware. So I'm, I'm, I've been doing a little bit of research on Venice because I knew I, I remembered this. It says about ninety percent of human waste still goes directly into the canals. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, I mean they, it's they weren't being facetious by saying that it's an open air sewage system. That's wow. what it is. I, see, I didn't know that. I thought it was just trash. No, the the city. Well, I mean, there's trash in there too, but the city was built on naturally running waterways. And, you know, they just started using it kind of as a natural sewer. And that's where the majority of the, the human shit and piss just goes right into the fucking canals. Great. So if you're staying in a hotel there, you just, you, you know where it's going to end up? Going right I mean, right in the yeah, canals. I wouldn't, I wouldn't cannonball into the, into one of those things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you definitely, if, if no, you're, if, thank you. If you're in a gondola there, you got to hope that the guy doesn't, rowing it doesn't splash up some of the water on you. I mean, it probably made sense, and it probably wasn't even that smelly until you know, there were too many people there. Yeah, you know. Okay. Oh my 
God. What? <laughs> this is. <laughs> Uh, back in 1982, the city had neglected to clean the canals for some 30 or 40 years. <laughs> and all the accumulated, you know, crap that was in there impeded the tides from naturally flushing things out as they had done centuries before. I mean, the, the reason it doesn't smell at, or it isn't as terrible, um, as you might think is that, you know, it is again, running water, uh, or flowing water and tides and all that kind of stuff that are kind of naturally purging this stuff. But still, man, I mean, that's just, yeah, <laughs> you, you don't go swimming in that, those canals, man. Yep, definitely not. So th- there is a high-stakes poker game, or poker game and uh, tournament that took place. Uh, this is at the Triton Super High Roller at uh, Montenegro. Montenegro, if you don't know, is uh, formerly part of Yugoslavia. And I didn't even know they had poker tournaments there, but apparently they do. And they had very high buy-in poker tournaments. And there was a... So first, Jason Kuhn uh, was the winner of what was known as the Short Deck Poker Tournament. And uh, he won $3.6 million dollars at the uh, million dollar buy, uh, sorry, million. I don't know why it's Hong Kong dollars. This is in Montenegro, but it was the million Hong Kong dollar, which is equivalent to about one hundred twenty-eight thousand U.S. dollar uh, short deck event. And he, I'll tell you what a short deck event is in a second. But uh, he he won about three point six five million U.S. dollars. Which is the, yeah, why was everything, when I Googled and looked this up, everything was denominated in Hong Kong dollars? I, I don't really understand that either. Why would that be the case in Montenegro, or is it just that's where all the the fish are coming from? I mean, Yeah, I, 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 I didn't understand that part either. But anyway, that, that's what he won is $3.6 million U.S. dollars or so for this uh, 103-entry field. The super high roller event, but what's different here than a normal super high roller event, which is you know, always no limit hold'em and just very high buy-in, what was different here was that it's known as a short deck event, and I had never heard of this before. But a short deck event, have you ever played poker before and you just over and over you go dealt five deuce offsuit, uh, four deuce offsuit, deuce three offsuit, and you go, oh, I wish they just took these cards out of the deck, I'm tired of getting them. Well, then you should play short deck poker because you'll never get any of those hands. They remove the deuces, threes, fours, and fives from the deck. So it's only a 36-card deck ranging from six through ace. Is that that crazy game that Durr was like promoting and that kind of thing a couple of years ago? I don't know if he – I don't know anything about that, but that's that's what this game is. And there's, a, there's, there's a, two other variations. The first one is kind of weird. A flush beats a full house. So the order of hands goes from ace high, pair, two pair, three of a kind, straight. Yeah, uh, this is exactly it. Exactly okay, it. Yep. Uh, Dur, Duan, and the other star were promoting this variant called Six Plus Hold'em in Asia. Okay. And the game, it basically says the main difference is there are only 36 cards in a 6-plus deck, 
Every card between deuce to five gets removed from the deck, and an ace serves as a high card as well as a five. Yeah, so I was about to. Yeah, I was about to say that. So, so they, so it goes. Yeah. So it goes straight, full house, flush, right, and then then uh, quad, straight flush, royal flush. So, so that they they switch flush and full house in the order of how good they are. Then the ace can uh, can what it can do is it can either play as the highest card, or it can be as a five to create a basically a wheel straight. So ace six seven eight nine would be a straight, which seems kind of weird, but that's what it would be here. Kind of the same way ace two three four five would be a straight that you're used to. This would be ace uh, six seven eight nine. So those are the two variations on the rules. Aside from just the deuces through fives are just gone from the deck. So yeah, I, sent, I sent you a YouTube video with Dwan promoting this fucking like no one had seen or heard from him in years, and this is you know when they were saying that he was you know captive uh, slave of the triads and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he pops up promoting the six plus holdem thing. Yeah. Okay, here, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play this. Okay, so this is this video says Paul Fua poker. He was the one. Paul Fua. He's been in some trouble for running that uh, sports betting operation out of Caesars, and he's he's. Close to Dur Dur in some way, and it, it's uh, strongly rumored that he's been the one backing Dur Dur for many years. Tom Duan on short deck poker. This this video is from. Uh, well, this is actually put out. This video is put out uh, in January. Hey guys, this is a full deck of fifty-two cards. <laughs> People use it. Yeah, this is a newer one. There's a bunch of different games. No Limit Hold'em is a very popular one. Sometimes in China lately, people take out the twos, the threes, the fours, and the fives. I think it's actually showing him like physically taking these out. You end up with the 36 card deck. Gameplay is very different. The, an ace can make a straight if its board is six, seven, eight, nine. So an ace can be a five. Oh man, and there's a lot to explain. You can get rid of these twos, threes, fours, and fives. He just throw. He just. <laughs> this, is so, this is so strange it, to watch. George this isn't this. even the one I was thinking of. This, this is, is a newer this one. This is yeah. funny though. He's, you can get rid of these two, three, fours, and fives. He takes them, just tosses them, and on the floor. One, it's harder to hit flushes. Now, when you have a flush draw, you only have five outs left instead of having nine outs. So that, that's why the flush is more valuable here. That's why they put it up above a full house. Two. Jack-10 and Ace-King are basically a coin flip. If you have a set against a straight, you didn't get it in behind. If you're on the flop, you're actually a small favorite. Remember the Ace can be a 5, though. So again, Ace-6789 is a straight, but you'd still lose to any 10. Straights and straight draws. Straights happen a lot, and straight draws are worth a lot more. If you have a straight draw on the flop, let's say it comes King-7-8, and you have 9-10, and the other guy is Ace-King, uh, my math's a little rusty, but it's something right around 50-50. Um, and if the guy had, say, King Jack, for example, he's actually a little bit more of a favorite because he blocks her straight a little bit, and if you hit two pair, he makes a straight. So there's all that math stuff to figure out later, but it makes for a pretty good poker game. And they've been playing it in China a lot lately, and they play some funny variations. I've played it, I believe, twice when there were blinds, like normal No Limit Hold'em. I like the, the background music. It's kind of distracting, actually. 
But I, th- I think it, it's kind of weird watching an instructional video from Durr, even though it's just, it's just explaining the rules. But it, I think it would be kind of weird watching him just talking without this music. I think they just need something to accompany him. But a lot of the time we play where everyone anties. And then sometimes there will be an, a straddle on the button. Sometimes there will be blinds somewhere else. There's actually two types of short deck. What happened to the music? The type we were playing for a oh, long here we time. Go. A full house pizza flush, just like always. Just recently we've started playing a flush pizza full house. That's because someone went and did the math, and apparently flushes actually happen less commonly than full house. I haven't verified this, so don't don't yell at me if I'm wrong. But uh, the last few days, we've been playing a flush pizza full house, and I think this might carry on longer. Last few days, I've been playing a flush pizza full house, and um, I'm, I'm required to play whatever Paul tells me to play. It's been that way for the last uh, last six, seven years. But uh, I'm required to make these dumb videos, too. I'm required to play whatever dumb music Paul wants me to have in the background. But I get to play high-stakes poker, and he doesn't kill me, so it's a good deal. I, I think there was some jurisdiction where they needed to have it that way because the less likely hand needs to beat the hand that's more likely than it. So I think some casinos are going to be like this where flush beats a full house. There might be two different variations. Maybe some people play flush beats a full house, some play it doesn't. But it changes the game a lot. When you're playing normal short deck, I call it normal, because that's the one I'm used to, where a full house beats a flush. Flush draws usually aren't that good. You don't have that many outs. Even if you hit, someone might make a full house on you. And when you're playing this new variation, all of a sudden two suited cards looks pretty good. Then you can have someone make a full house, think they got the hand all wrapped up, and you just sneak it in there and win a big pot off them. But it's a pretty cool game. So this is a you know, it's a new variation of poker, and uh, you know they're trying to come up with things like this to make the game more fresh. You know, No Limit Hold'em's been around so much; uh, people have uh, perfected it. He was promoting this back in 2015 oh, okay. when it was called just Six Plus Hold'em, and it, unfortunately they removed the video from YouTube completely. But there was a super super awkward video with him and Phil Ivey in there promoting it. It's just bizarre. It, it's funny to hear Dwan act like. You know, he's not really sure and doesn't really know the odds. I mean, dude's been playing this thing for three fucking years at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, give me, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and um, it's, it seems like uh, for whatever reason, uh, Paul Fua likes this game. And uh, probably, yeah, I'm not kidding that he probably had him promoted. And well, if you look at the, the second link that I just put in there, it's got the video with the uh, the Chinese translation on it. Yeah, I mean, this was all geared towards the the Chinese market originally. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I see they're saying that uh, I am Greek is saying in the chat that this tournament was actually at a hotel that was owned by Paul Fua. That might explain why it was in Hong Kong dollars. Makes sense. And then he says, uh, uh, "I think Richard Young." Actually, he's saying something different. Uh, Gamble, Gamblebot Chafe Penis is saying, I think Richard Yang, one of those loaded Chinese businessmen, runs that company. So he invites all his rich Chinese friends, and they do everything in Hong Kong dollars. I don't know. Okay, well, so it's makes, something like makes that. Makes complete sense it, to one me. Of these, one of these two owns it, and then that, that's why it's in Hong Kong dollars. Okay, so anyway. Uh, 
getting back, getting back to, I'm not going to play more of that video for enough here, but so that that's a short deck poker. They're trying to come up with something that's, uh, yeah, kind of a new variation, a new fun thing to do, something that's not the same all, same all, something that has new strategy elements. And whenever you have something new like this, then you'll always have the people who are making mistakes because they're playing what they're used to. They're, they're playing it as if it's regular, no limit hold them. They don't think about things like it's harder to hit a flush draw. Or, uh, or they're not playing it in the way that, uh, a straight draw is super powerful. So there's a lot of changes to the game that occur that you wouldn't really think of at first. And, and that's what they like. They like how this is, uh, um, on the surface it works the same as regular No Limit Hold'em, but the odds of hitting things are so much different. So, and if, especially if they hadn't swapped the full house and flush, then that gives you an additional edge if you realize that the, that the full house is actually easier to hit than a flush. So, so they played that there's this tournament, this, uh, high stakes tournament that was about 128,000 US dollars to enter. And Jason Kuhn won 3.6 million. So you, you would think he's riding high. You think that he's, uh, he's gotta be feeling real good. Jason Kuhn for winning that type of money. I don't know if he was backed. He probably was, but, uh, that, that was the biggest cash he's ever had. But still, he cashed 3.6 million. So that that was the good news for Jason Kuhn. The bad news was that he was on the losing end of an insane televised poker hand. Is it a cash game poker hand? Yeah, cash game poker hand, which is the biggest cash game pot in uh, televised poker history. Now, this was regular No Limit Hold'em. This is not short deck. So this is regular No Limit Hold'em, and this was actually televised. And uh, it was a 2,000, 4,000 euro cash game. You were not allowed in the game unless you had uh, a, a very large sum of money to buy in. You had to bring... One million dollars. No, more like one million euros. You had to bring one million euros to buy into this game. If you did not have... You can't, you can't short buy this game. No short stack in this game. You had to... You had to show up with 1 million euro buy-in, which means everybody has uh, 250 big blinds, minimum. At least to start. So there were actually uh, two very large pots which took place in this game. Yeah, I'm watching the $2 million pot right now. Yeah, and and there so there was a uh, the the big one everybody's talking about was uh, I expected it to be something like set over set, but it wasn't. This is the strangest thing about the hand because uh, I you know you hear about the very the biggest televised pot in poker history, so I was going to think it's going to be like pocket tens against pocket eights, and the board comes uh, ten eight four. That, that's what I would expect. Maybe something with, 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 uh, you know, 10, 8, 4, 2 diamonds or something. So the person, so no one could even, you know, someone could worry. It's, there, but it's a big draw. So that, you know, they, a lot of money gets in and both are super deep. That's what you'd expect. Uh, you would not expect this for ace queen against tens, especially where the ace queen 
didn't make anything and didn't have a draw. So, so I'm going to play you the. Uh, I'm going to play you part of this here. Uh, let me get this here. That played the wrong video. Yesterday, we witnessed two uh, of the biggest pots. I just want to find. I don't want to hear Joey Ingram. Try. I, I let me find this video. I should. I should have had it ready. But uh, I'm going to play just the pure video of it. But basically, I'm, I'm watching the uh, seriously serious produced Doug Polk video on it. Yeah, it's actually I, pretty I, good. He, he he talks some strategy. Yeah, about, yeah, I, uh, I watched that. It was that, that was a good video. I watched that. But let me let me see if I can just find the uh, the video itself. I should have done this before the show, but you know how it works here. So let me see if I can find it on YouTube. Um. Now I see if Joey Ingram. I just want a version without the commentary. Can I find that? Can I find that? Or is I just got to describe it? Um, here, this is actually from Triton Poker's website, and I think this is, will be good for it. So, so this anyway, this is a very. Uh, this was a game full of. Uh, Cash game, all stars, and super rich guys, including Paul. Fleur so wait a minute, himself. give me the uh, the order of this thing in terms of time. Did he bink the tournament and then dunk it off in a cash game? Essentially, uh, I think so. I think that happened first. <laughs> oh, oh, this happened first? No, no, no. I think the tournament happened first. And then the, okay, and then so the, he did. He yeah. did the stereotypical won a tournament, binking off the money in cash. I think. I think. I'm not sure about that, but I think. I, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a good question. It's a good question, but uh, that's so brutal. Anyway, th- this was <laughs> this was a uh, this this game before this pot even happened, even got a lot of attention because of how big it was. It had Phil Ivey. It had Patrick Antonius. It had Durr. It had Jason I found Kuhn. I found the Joe Ingram video if you want it. Yeah, I actually found the original, just the regular video. I, I had the Joe Ingram. I didn't feel like playing. I wanted you to got play that some, one too. Yeah, I just wanted to play the pure video. But uh, Jason Kuhn, it even, it even had uh, Paul Foy in it, and then it had some various uh, uh, businessmen who had a lot of money. So who is Kane Callis? Is I, that some pro that I don't know? I'm not sure who he is. Yeah, he he's the one who got involved in this big pot with uh, Jason Kuhn, but uh, he's he's from the U.S., so I guess I'm assuming he probably is a pro. So anyway, Kane Callis, whoever that is, and Jason Kuhn played this insane pot. I'm going to play part of it. Can, can you can you hear that? Where I just played? Of course not. Okay, let me fix that there. I'll start playing it again. In surrender. Yep. <laughs> okay, let me fast forward to the part we need here. So, 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 so here's so Paul Fua. This is, they had a straddle in this game. So remember, it's two thousand, four thousand euro with a straddle to eight thousand. So Fua, uh, he straddled. He had a straddle to eight thousand with Queen Four offsuit. Kuhn picked up Ace Queen, so he three bet the straddle to be to eleven thousand euro. So he made eleven thousand. All right, so Jason Kuhn opened 11,000. This is not a straddle pot, just 2,000, 4,000, 4,000. You're actually listening to the announcing of of the actual televised hand here. Nancy. 
Kane Callas is going to squeeze with pocket tens right now. So, so what happened? He he didn't announce this part. A player named uh, Badzakusi or something, I, I, Badzakowski, whatever. I, he's not going to be involved in much of this hand, but he flatted with nine eight suited. So it went. Coon uh, th- made ace queen. Uh, nine eight suited just completely flatted it for 11, another for eleven thousand euro. And then Kane Callis, I think, was in the small blind, and he had tens. And then he four-bet it to 55,000. So he, he bumped it up right there. So it went from straddle 8,000, this is all euros. Kuhn kicking it up to 11,000, a little bit more to, uh, to three-bet with the ace-queen. The cold call with 9-8 suited, and then the pocket tens from one of the blinds popped it up to uh, 55,000. Just obviously hoping to take it down here. Now the... 55,000. It's kind of like the first uh, pot. He's three bet. And he's saying that this guy had not three bet before. So this is not a, a maniac. This is someone you take seriously when he's uh, he pops it up out of the blinds like that. You think he's probably not just squeezing with crap. Jason Kuhn of Ace Queen might feel this is a tighter range, but. Yeah, see, see I, I'll tell you here. When a player like that pops it out of the blinds like that, and I've got Ace Queen, I'm, I'm letting it go because Ace Queen just—it's it's such a hard hand to play in No Limit Hold'em because it's behind so many things. So, uh, if I think someone's squeezing with crap, that's a different story. But yeah, you know, with someone who I think is is only going to be doing that with very solid hands, I'm I'm, I'm tossing the Ace Queen. So that, that's that's my opinion here. But anyway, Coon ended up not tossing it. I still feel a little obligated to see a flop. Yeah, so so the only good thing for Kuhn, though, is if he calls it, he is in position because it's uh, it, the the flat was actually the flat of the nine eight suited was actually in the small blind and the tens are in the big blind. I'm seeing, so the o- the only three remaining are these guys, so Kuhn would be in position on both. Okay, and he's thinking. The chips, by the way, are really weird that they're using. Like they have some r- regular traditional poker chips. So he's going to actually four bet here. And then they actually then they have some really big round discs that represent the larger amounts, which is kind of strange. To so one hundred twenty thousand, his read is that Callus is just going to play very straightforward. So yeah, so he's popping it back to one twenty, and he now he's of course hoping that Callus just lays it down. This is Kane's first three bet. He's been four bet. So Callus is thinking about it. So I think Kane's going to try and see a flop, and he and he and he calls. So he calls with the tens. So it sends against Ace Queen. The nine eight bailed out. So you can already see how this pot's going to end up being very large because uh, of how it got four bet. And so just the two of them together put in 240,000 euros, you know, 120 each, because it went, uh, it ended up being a five bet pot. And then there was some other, so, what was that? Jeff, I got some uh, useful information from the, the chat here. Yes. So first of all, uh, Kane Callis is Harry Callis's son, the uh, voice of the Phillies. Oh, that's right. I had heard about that. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, Gamblebot's chief penis was saying that uh, 
he actually uh, played the cash game before the tournament. Okay, okay. So it was the opposite of what okay. We were well, okay, then that's good for him that he gets it, he gets yeah. it back. So, so the, you see how the pot, you see how this can occur to where such a gigantic pot happens because they already pumped it up so much pre-flop that uh, it, it gets a lot harder to fold at that point if if uh, either they both hit in some way or if 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 one is just firing off and the other one's calling down. So. This hand really should have been over on the flop. So, 120,000 euros each in there. So the pot's 263,000 euros. And then the flop comes all low. It comes uh, 3 five, six, rainbow. And Kuhn has ace-queen offsuit. So he is in position. So, uh, you know, at this point, he can try to keep betting and hope that uh, Callus just missed his set and is going to let go of what he has, like a 10-type ten, a t- a ten hand. Or maybe, you know, what if Callus is ace-king, then he'll probably let it go. Uh, or he can hope that, uh, or he could just, uh, you know, give up with a hand and check it down and fold any bet. Or he can try to fire a continuation bet and then just give up at that point if he doesn't hit. Flop is six five three rainbow. So Callus is checking. And, and by the way, what, what they have, what the effective stacks are at this point, Callus has seven ninety something k, seven ninety two k behind him, and Kuhn has him covered. So the the question is, with two sixty three in the pot, uh, will seven ninety two more on each side get in? And these are in euros. This is in euros, right? So it's even more. Do we get all our I mean, I don't even know about this, like, JGU or something. So, but so, Kuhn like, counts out chips. After a check to him and fires, uh, 128,000 euro more into it. So basically, almost refiring the same bet he had pre-flop. 128,000 from Jason Kuhn. Can't imagine Callus doing anything with calling. Philippines. Really big problem. The head of the Supreme Court, they were pushing out, which was like... I remember, we had, I remember we had a Triton there and like... Why can't these guys shut up in the background of the table when the hand like this is going? I mean, this is a pretty big hand. Uh, everyone, they're just all chatting away here. A week after or something, there was some shooting in casino. I remember there's this shooting in the casino. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so he's going to go for calling chips. So he calls with those gigantic chips. So it's, it's a check call. Callus with the pocket 10 over pair, check calls. Then comes the big card on the turn. The pot now 519,000 euros. Kuhn has 24% chance to win this pot. 519,000 euros, and then the uh, he doesn't know it yet, but uh, Kuhn is drawing dead when a 10 hits the turn. So Callus has top set. Kuhn has ace high, no draw. So that's that. He's got a 0% chance to win the hand once that hits. Queen to turns a 10, so top set for Callus. He's got a 100% chance to win here. He should just keep checking, trying to let Kuhn barrel him off of a pair, I suppose. You're making this JG place sound really like someplace I don't want to be. No, it's So yeah, they're suggesting, you know, not to check raise here. Because uh, if Kuhn's got the overpair, he's just going to 
you know, fire it off anyway. And, uh, if Kuhn has, uh, you know, some hand where he could catch up, that you're not going to get him to fold either way. The only way, if he's got an overpair, he's probably, uh, you know, you don't want to run him off that with a check raise. And if you don't run him off, he's probably, you know, betting all the way anyway. So, uh, you might as well just let him, uh, keep firing. The, the only thing you, you, you could end up, uh, screwing yourself with is if he's got something like pocket sevens, then he's probably not betting the river in position. He's probably just, you know, checking it back at that point where, whereas if you put him in at this point, there's a good chance he's calling. He's got fours or sevens, but uh, other than that, uh, um, they're, they're, they're advocating, since you've got top set and, you're probably not going to get sucked out on here because of, by his likely holdings that, uh, you know, maybe you're, maybe he's got two outs on you, but probably not. So just let him fire it away and make it look like that you're playing kind of timid with a, with a pair that you're not sure if beats his pair. So, you know, hope that he's got aces or kings and he's putting you on queens or jacks and, and hoping that, you know, he believes you're going to call off. And, and, and that you don't want to run him off something where he's completely missed like ace king, ace queen. Uh-huh. You think Coon's got to be careful that Kane has like pocket jacks or pocket queens a lot, and I really don't think he's going to fold those hands. Yes, he has top set. So Coon's thinking about what to do. He, he got checked too, so he's he's just he's still firing. He's still firing, and he ended up firing another hundred sixty thousand euros into this fight. Uh, 500, it was 519,000 euro pot. Is it as so, expensive as the one here? Callus is thinking what to do. Uh, he ends up calling. Betting like this to shove the river, that's a blank. So he's, uh, I'm just gonna speed this up a little bit. I don't really think Kuhn expected Kane to fold the turn too much. So I hope Kuhn has a plan. 839,000 euros in there. Yeah, so the pot's now 839 with him check calling. Callus check calling and slow playing the set. And, uh, and they're saying they're not sure what Kuhn is doing here, what, what Kuhn wants to do on the river because, uh, they suspected if he did have a thing like Jax, he probably is just going to check call the turn. So, what is he expecting to do on the river? Is he expecting just to shove with anything? And, uh, Hope that a hand like Jax will decide to give up at that point, or you know, what is this plan? They're wondering. I think people are being a little bit more quiet now. This pot's getting bigger. Yeah, finally everyone shut up. River's an ace. So there is the there is the money card. So the ace hits the river. Now, if you're callous, I mean, you have a little concern that you know, oh, crap. What if this just screwed me? What if he had aces the whole way? But uh, you know, normally. You've, the thing is here, if if he was firing at you with ace king, ace queen, nothing. Now he's hit something, and now he probably will get in the rest of his money. So, um, I won't play the rest of this. But when it, what ended up happening is exactly that. Uh, Coon went all in, and Callus snap called, obviously, and then uh, Coon wasn't very happy <laughs> to hear the snap call. What, what is he getting paid by when he goes all in there? By the way. Um, I think what they believed was that he's, he thinks he's getting paid by Jack's Queens, something like that, that, uh, just didn't want, that just didn't believe that, uh, he had aces there because an ace at the river. So, yeah, I guess. So that, that, that he could value bet this one more time. That's, that's what, uh, 
I, I wouldn't have done that either. if I did get this far. Um, I I would think I'm not getting called by anything that I can beat. So I probably would have just checked behind there. But uh, anyway, he went all in, got snapped, of course. Final pot ended up being 1.8 million euros, which equates to about 2.4 million dollars. So oddly, this hand, which ended up being the biggest in televised poker history as far as the total money in the pot, was ace-high, no-pair-no-draw, firing the whole way. That's what it was. It was not what you'd expect. So someone asked me, what would I expect the circumstances of the largest value poker hand in uh, televised poker history? I would say set over set. I would say set over big draw. I would not expect no pair, no draw. <laughs> and then Kuhn was involved in another $2 million hand. Not too, I, I don't know if it was before or after. Uh, but against this Elton guy, yeah, uh, I, Elton Sang or whatever his name right, is, who's right. obviously one of the you know Chinese businessman fish, um, or at least I think he is. Uh, maybe he's a pro, but he he didn't really seem to play like it. Um, and so apparently he won back most of the money that he lost. Yeah. So did you see that? Do you see that second hand? I didn't too? see the hand, but I saw that there was a second hand like that. Yeah, I saw that description. And that didn't... video that I uh, put in the chat. If you go to thirty-two minutes fifty seconds in, you'll see it. Okay, let's go there. Let's go there. This is crazy money. I mean, like, I don't know how much yeah. these guys have them have themselves, but can you imagine playing uh, a game where every pot is this much money? Can you imagine a single pot? In a poker game being $2.4 million, that just. You'd have to either be really well rolled or really well backed. One yeah, or the other. It just, it just blows my mind because you just, you know, just one hand, it goes the wrong way. Oh, with my luck, yeah. if I played that game, I'd get set over set it in the wrong, you know, and I'd be on the wrong end of it, like right at the beginning. <laughs> That's what would happen to me. So or, I, or you'd win a big pot and you just turn around and eat for the rest of the night, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd win the I'd win the equivalent of level one there. I go okay, two point four million pot. Okay, it's like one point five million profit. Okay, you know what, guys? I'm I'm hungry. I'm going to order some food and I'm going to sit out. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to sit out through the whole rest of the time. I'm, the, I'm that hungry. Okay, nice now, playing you, with you guys. You'd probably be you know you just be folding a ton while you're eating, and then you'd wait until an acceptable amount of time passes and then cash out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, that, that that's a better coverage. You just only play aces then for the rest of the time. Yep. And then and then say, okay, well, guys, uh, I actually kind of have a stomach ache because I ate too much, so I'm taking off here. Okay, let's, let me hit the play button for this one. What is this, VIP Grinders? If you love our content, hit subscribe. What the hell is this thing? I, I don't know who they are, but they put together. There's a really nice compilation of videos okay. of all of the the big hands from that event. Okay. And the 3250 is not the beginning of this hand, but it's where. Elton decides to three bet him with middle pair for some fuck God knows reason. Okay. Let me go here. This intro is kind of stupid. Okay, let's go. Here. Okay, so I see. Yeah, El- a very good hand. Just six. By the way, these guys are the ones who were involved to some degree with the whole negotiations between Aussie Matt and Leon Sukernik when that was all going on. I know Rob Young got involved. I know Elton sang. He was one of the people who was saying that Sukernik had screwed him. So, oh, so right, Elton Sang actually is a pro, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, my bad. Sorry for calling you one of businessman fish, Elton. Ty, but he's got 55% chance to win. I think he's just going to call and see what happens on the turn. Yeah, so this is interesting. This one this one is the big draw hand. So one has a big draw and one has middle pair, bottom pair. It's a Kuhn has, he, he three bet with middle with bottom pair. That's yeah, weird. that is weird. So Kuhn actually, and the funny thing, he actually has the better hand at the moment. But uh, uh, Kuhn has the higher chance to win. Kuhn has a six sixty five six five hearts on a seven eight seven eight heart and then eight diamond board. So he has an open end straight flush draw against right. Elton Sang, a king seven a diamond, which is bottom pair and uh, the backdoor flush draw. He doesn't think Elton will ever fold to a shove. And now he he's got the nut flush draw with the turn queen of diamonds. Well, hold on. I, I, I'm not up to that yet. Uh, so are, are you hearing the sound, by the way, or no? Before, before I no, but it's okay. I got my own version here. Well, I'll, I'll put it on here again for you. All right. So it comes to turn. Elton trying to decide what That's, Kuhn has. So, so, so the turn, yeah, the queen of diamonds on the turn. So that that now makes it to and where... And Anoko, by the way, commentating. Oh, that no, 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 commentating. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Elton has the nut flush draw of his pair of sevens. So now they both have a flush draw. Seven hundred thirty-six thousand in here. Now, Elton was pretty much giving up, but on this card, he actually might shove. Elton's trying to represent a. Set here, Elton saying has a, they, they both have a pretty similar uh, stack, like nine thirty for Elton left and nine sixty-four for Kuhn. Yeah. I'm not sure what he put Coon, what he puts Coon on right now, but he knows Coon lost a million chips. They've never played before with each other, I believe, with such big stakes. What's that now? So no one really has a read on each other. I would love to see Elton ship it all in here. He's thinking, thinking. Let's so, speed this up a little bit. Forty thousand behind. Jason Kuhn's got position, so he technically can call. I would never shove in Jason Kuhn's spot because he has no fold equity, so he should only call. So, so Elton only goes three ninety. So what they're saying here is a uh, no point at that point. If he goes three ninety with only uh, five. 40 behind in a pot that's now over a million in euros. There's no point with six high to shove because there's no chance he folds. You might as well get out. You might as well just call the 390 right. and then and then pitch it if you miss the, the river. So that's what's uh, that's a pretty obvious decision. Jason Kuhn already down like 800k right today. He can get all his All right, so this is after he lost that big pot. <laughs> yeah, this is after he lost the big pot. And, and, and uh, yeah, and that's sometimes, uh, you know, when, when you're playing No Limit Hold'em, that's something you always have to think about both ends. of. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember that at the main event last year on days one and two, I actually got out cheap with some, uh, or sort of cheap, with some missed flesh draws. Uh, thanks to that, where even though I had uh, or big like straight in flush draws, much like he has here. I had some very, very big draws on the turn, but uh, I knew I was getting called if I shoved. Either just I, I, I had the breathe that the guy was very strong or, or just the way the stack sizes were in the pots. I, 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 
I said, I thought to myself, okay, well, no point to shove here because they're going to call me and uh, if I... If uh, I might as well be able to fold if I airball this, and then I'd airball it, and I fold, and then I save a lot of saved a lot of uh, chips. So this is what's going on here. So uh, Elton actually should have shoved here. You can lose a million euros, possibly more, because I think they were deeper. He makes the call, but I, I guess Elton was since he since he didn't. Because Elton didn't want to, you know, he only had a pair of sevens at that point. He probably wanted to check and give up if he missed, is my guess, uh, when he did this here. Not I haven't seen this hand yet. remaining. Elton. Uh, 1.5 million. This pot could be bigger than the last pot we just saw. Yes, yeah, so, so it's 1.5 million uh, euros at this point. And uh, I have to think if, that once you're there... Once you're, you've only got 500k behind, and there's 1.5 euros in the pot. That uh, if you airball this in your Elton and have to ask for act first, I'd have to think that you, you probably just have to to give up at that point. He checks, and uh, and then there was a four. The, the river is the offsuit is four, giving Coon the nuts with the straight. Jason Coon makes the nut straight. Uh, I was more afraid that he was just fucking cheating, but I don't think... <laughs> I think the background conversation... I was more afraid he's fucking cheating. I wonder what he's talking about there now, this other guy. <laughs> Who's fucking cheating? 1.5 million in there. This is euro. 1.516 million euro. So almost as big as the other pot. This one's over $2 million. Jason Kuhn is so relieved to see the four. Elton trying to decide if he can make a bluff. So the only way you can bluff here is if you think the other guy just had a, a flush or straight draw that missed, either nine ten or either nine ten, just a pair of or or hearts. Otherwise, you're getting snapped off with anything. The pot's just too big to to fold at this point. Unless you've, unless you've airballed. Obviously, Kuhn with the nuts, hoping he can get anything further out of this, especially after he lost the lost almost this much uh, on, the, on that other hand. Realizes Kuhn only has a third of the pot remaining. So he just checks. He gives up. Jason Kuhn's going to shove. I wonder if Elton will consider a hero call. No, he wouldn't consider a hero call. Oh, man. If Jason Kuhn can have 6-5 of hearts, then that means he could have 10-9 of hearts as well, right? So, technically, Jason, I mean, Elton does beat a couple hands. I guess king ten of hearts and jack ten of hearts occasionally. But there's so much, so many chips in there. Two million in the middle. Yeah, he actually sits there considering it. Of course, there's a lot of money involved. I like Ivy. Ivy just like. They just showed Ivy just like looking at him. Like, Ivy was oblivious. Ivy just kind of looked at it and just took it, made a double take that he just noticed how big the pot is. <laughs> he was just off in his own world. He what hands he can beat. 
10 iron now, hearts. Now Ivy's yawning. The most likely <laughs> yeah. hand he Ivy's yawning at the whole but thing. But if he has 10 iron hearts, his opponent can also have 6 of Ivy hearts, which is what's, okay. what he's up against. Huh? Very few hands he actually beats uh, here. I wouldn't think that. I, I, I guess didn't play for like 10 nine of hearts and king 10 of hearts. Jack 10 of hearts. If, that's assuming they played the hand this way as well. I mean, he really wants to make a hero call, a pair of sevens. But it won't be, it won't be good. He's thinking, thinking. Because if Jason Kuhn had a hand like king queen of hearts he'd probably just check it back because usually he's up against two hearts himself so nice fold say he ended up folding does he show he won't show it you can't do it man show the bluff can't do it man all right well so that's that's the other so you know that's 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 how it goes for you if you're jason coon you, you you lose a million dollars in a hand more than a million and then you just get it pretty much right back. The uh, you know, almost all of it back, and and, and also you uh, you win the tournament after that. Well, that pot wasn't quite that big because the the, the uh, two million included his shove at the end. Oh, okay, okay. You know, so I mean, he he won a good amount of it back, but yeah, okay, I was listed prob wrong. Probably, probably. Right. I don't know how the rest of his session went, but he probably lost some at the cash game, but not doesn't look like he probably lost a ton. Yeah. And then he binked the 3.6 million tournament. So yeah. good for yeah. him. So he has, so how, how many times can you start off in a cash game losing over a million dollars in one hand and then uh, have a, a trip where you've won like a few million dollars? How, how's that going to happen? But here it did. So I, I do wonder you know, what the actual role of people like Jason Kuhn is. What is his actual bankroll? Is he backed in this? Well, I'm sure, look, it seems like he's quite well-rolled and seems like a pretty disciplined guy, but he's a moron if he's not backed in this game. Yeah, I think you know what I mean? Be, like, yeah. you, you would have to have, like, to legit play this game at these stakes, you'd have to have, you'd have to be a billionaire. That's what I would you think, know? yeah. This is just insane stakes if you're not backed by someone super rich, so. Let, let's say you were a billionaire, right? So, like, uh, one of those pots was like two percent of your net net worth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, come on, he's got it. I'm assuming he's a smart guy, and therefore he's he's backed. Um, I mean, it would be crazy if if he wasn't. Yeah, it's not a you know, no matter how well rolled he is, I don't think he's no billionaire. And even if he is a billionaire, that's over two percent of your net worth. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, for a single pot, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, well, I mean, there's plenty of poker players who, who play pots that are 2% of their net worth many times more, but uh, the, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, like, like would, you, would, would you advise that, though? No, I wouldn't advise <laughs> that, but, uh, but, but that's if he's a billionaire, which he's not, so that's, uh, right. or we're close to that. So they, so yeah, he's, he's, it's, it's probably likely he's backed, uh, and I think everyone but these, uh, rich businessmen in the game are probably backed here. So uh, uh, who knows? I mean, maybe some of the rich businessmen that are in the game are backing some of the guys sitting there. Yeah, they, I was thinking that could be the case too. Yeah, so and they may not care. You know, the other pros may know. They may have, they may all have their own businessman in their pocket that's backing them, and they're just like, we don't care. We know it's no big deal. Some something that's interesting in the past year or so is thanks to the revival of uh, like Poker After Dark and some of these others that appear in Poker Go, and then this. 
which was not on Poker Go, but you know, there, there's been kind of a resurgence to some degree of the televised high stakes poker hands because that that kind of died out for some time, and now. I mean, I'm seeing on Poker Fraud Alert people posting about, uh, oh, watch this game going right now. And these are the people posting about it are not even like big, big, big uh, poker fans. Mm. A lot of these people who are posting this, like, hey, hey, go watch this, are ones who used to be poker fans many years ago, but now kind of just stick around on Poker Fraud Alert to talk to people they got to know over the years. And now they're back to posting, hey, look at this poker game going because it's notable things like this, where the, where the money's so big or the a lot of big names we haven't seen in a while all playing together. So there has been a bit of a resurgence of televised poker, even if it's being televised in a, a, a different medium than it was before. So that's, that's kind of starting to make a comeback. It, it won't come back the way it was, where you're going to turn on TV and flip through channels and find poker being on five of them, but at least this uh, televised poker in general seems to be returning, though the televising seems to be more uh, internet televising than uh, traditional TV. Oh, I fucked up. It's actually 0.2%. If he was a billionaire, $2 million would uh, be see, 0.2%. See, I, I took your word for it. I just I said, Calwad, he seems like a guy who's good at math. I'm just going to not even check it. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not going to check it. Even though it's 2 a.m. there, I'm not going to check it. All right, but let, let, let's say this guy's got like a reasonable bankroll. You know, like what? What do you think would be a reasonable bankroll for Jason Kuhn to have? You mean actually have, or to have to play this game on on backed? Forget about him being backed. Like, what amount of a bankroll would you think would be reasonable to play this game? Oh, uh, well. So right, first, let's give him ten million. Well, just no, for the heck of it. Yeah, see, ten million is still wouldn't be. You're required to buy in for a million euro. Right. So that's, that's, that's over your 10% of your net worth right there in the buy-in, in just one buy-in. Right, let's put it another way then, because I think I phrased that terribly. So do you think Jason Kuhn has a $10 million bankroll? I, I see. I don't know. I haven't followed him that closely, but... Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he very reasonably could have one, right? Yeah. But, you know, a $2 million pot, <laughs> that's a big chunk of your yes. $10 million yes. bankroll. I mean, uh, you know? To me, it just it would seem to play that way just both bankroll-wise and just money-wise, just knowing how much money is going in, how much money that is worth, how much money $2.4 million really is, and it's just on one pot of poker. It, it, it's it's incredibly stressful to play that way. And yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine it unless I just had so much money to where I could say, well, this is still a small percentage of my net worth, but still I'd look at it and say, well, look, it's $2.4 million. A lot could be done with $2.4 million, right. even if you have well, let- a billion. Yeah, let's say he's got a $50 million bankroll, which seems like a lot to me uh, for a guy like Jason, but yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe somehow he does. Uh, then the buy-in is exactly 2% of his bankroll. Yeah. You know, which actually, you know, gets in the territory of being reasonable. Yeah, it is, but, but I don't, I don't, I doubt he has that type of bankroll. I, I, I think that they've got to be backed. All these, all these poker pros you recognize there have to be backed in that game. I think they got some money. I think they're doing all right. Yeah, it's just just such an insanely high game. Yeah. And uh, Beer and Poker says in chat, this kind of game isn't around every day, so a person could have 50 million, lose a couple million, and go back to grind it out playing high-stakes games, just not as high. So I I see what he's saying, that 
if you do this once in a while and you're and you're willing to go back and grind, I always found that to be really annoying. It's a that's actually what has scared me away from playing the. I mean, I say high stakes. I don't mean like this. I mean just uh, you know higher stakes games that like I used to play before. That's what scared me away from doing it now. Is I just don't play that high regularly anymore, and I think if I have a bad session, how much it's going to take to make that money back, and that's uh, so that's that's a big factor to me. Is uh, at least when I play, is if I have a bad session here, is this going to require an insane amount of play to earn this back? And if the answer is yes, I don't want to play it. Whereas uh, if I'm playing that type of stakes regularly then it's a different story so it's uh it's not to me it wasn't even all about bankroll it was also about opportunity to play and get it back if i have a bad night uh so that's why if you have the mentality of well i don't care i'll take the loss and even if it's going to take me a long time to earn this back i'll do it because i I can still afford it then fine i i you know not everybody thinks about me uh things like me but uh i don't know then uh Gamble bot chase penis in chat is saying that's the thing with these high stakes guys. I bet that some of these guys are probably crypto rich, but then again, uh, degenerate enough to have punted it off already. <laughs> I think both are probably fair statements. Yeah, you never know with all these people. I remember the, in my early days in poker, the illusion to me that the oh, people yeah. with, with, with people playing the high stakes games must be super rich. And I don't mean I, that I remember back days. in the day when I. But didn't know shit, and I thought, you know, oh my god, this guy won a million dollars in this tournament. And and meanwhile, that's you know, that's their gross win, and they're all fucking backed. Yes. <laughs> you know? Or I and I remember not understanding how someone could owe money to tens, tons of people and then still be playing, you know, four hundred, right. eight hundred uh, limit like the four hundred, eight hundred limit game. How they could do that and have fifty thousand in front of them on the table, and then be said to owe all these people, and then I, I'm like, well, why can't the people they owe just come up and say, hey, you know, get just get out of the game and pay me? Well, the, the answer right. to that is it wasn't their money. <laughs> was, right. They were backed by somebody else, and they were they they, they had to win with that money, and and then I, yeah, after they give their part back to the backers. So, I feel like we should have Eric Lindgren on as a guest to talk about this. <laughs> You know, the voice of experience. Get him out. We haven't had a guest on yes, here in a long time. That's man. true. Uh, this is Beer and Poker just said, Lee Jones used to call people just to give them access to 100-200 limit on Poker Stars. That's true. When the 100-200 limit hold'em game was introduced on Poker Stars, which at the time was the biggest online poker game there was, the 100-200 limit hold'em, you used to have to get permission from Stars to access it, where they'd call you, they'd make sure you understood how... You could lose the money very fast in that game, and they, they basically wanted you to acknowledge that you understood everything before sitting in it. The weird thing was there was one person in that game who was given access without receiving a phone call. That was one Dan Druff. They never called mm-hmm. me. They never. They called everybody else except me. They just gave me access, and I don't know if it was a mistake or if because I was such a regular on that site and played so many hands of 3060 and was a big winner in the game that they figured, obviously, I know the deal and just put me in. I don't know which one it was, but uh, I was never, I never got that Lee Jones call. It's very sad. I never, I've actually never spoken to Lee Jones in person or on the phone. Uh, I've never done that. When Brandon was more involved with the show, he was actually 
saying he might be able to get Lee Jones on here. Because Brandon is like sort of friendly with him. I, I don't really know. No, Lee Jones knows of me and I know of him. And I think he was kind of irritated with me back in the Poker Stars days. And I'd say side equals joke and all that stuff. But um, other than that, we didn't really have any interaction. He never spoke to me directly about it. I just heard that he was kind of irritated by that. And they were kind of irritated with that stars. I, I heard they used to have like discussions about me sometimes in the background. Like, what should we do about this when when Dan Dreff types G A Y or site equals joke? I'm like, ah, that's just Todd. Just ignore him. He's like, it's not, you know, it's annoying, but it's not really causing that much harm. They actually had discussions about me whether they should ban my chat for that or ask me to stop. But they ended up they 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 decided it was just better to say nothing. So. Uh, Let's uh, let's see what else we got here. I I have a, a complaint that I've voiced before on this show, and I'm sure I'm going to voice again in a different way this year because it, it's 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 going to be bothersome to me. I have a feeling if it's what I'm picturing. Um, one of the years I think it was 2016 where I played the 3K Limit Hold'em, maybe 2015, either 15 or 16. I was playing the 3K Limit Hold'em event in the Amazon room, and they had a final table going on, and it was so noisy, it was hard to concentrate. It, it was ridiculously noisy. And it was especially because one of the people at the table was a European guy and he had a ton of his friends there and every time the guy would win a hand they'd all sing some song for him the whole crowd would sing for him it was it was so loud and disruptive from over there so hard to even hear yourself think and I didn't like this because I paid $3,000 to enter this tournament I want to play in peace now I understand a poker room doesn't have to be whisper quiet but this was really, really loud and annoying, and everybody at the table hated it. People were commenting at the table. It's like I wasn't just being uh, a prima donna here. Everybody was commenting. It was very loud, very obnoxious, very annoying. Everybody was just wishing for this guy to bust, so hopefully uh, this would end. And And what I said, and what I still say, is that they either need to ask the crowds to tone it down when they have other tournaments going in the room, or if they don't want that, if they really want the crowd to get rowdy and loud for TV purposes, I don't even know if it was televised. I think it was just internet televised. But whatever it was, if they really want that, then they can't hold other tournaments in that same room. They need to move the other tournaments away or, or maybe just hold cash games in that room so people have the option to stay or not. But when you're a captive audience there, when you've started an event and then this it gets so loud in there like that and distracting, I don't think that's fair to the people who are playing the current tournament. So I was very unhappy about that, but there's nothing I could do. At least everybody was equally affected by it in the event. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is that I might have the, a similar complaint this year because esports events are going to be taking place in the pavilion room at the World Series, which is uh, one of the two large rooms that they hold tournaments. The two biggest rooms at the World Series are the pavilion room and the Amazon room. So the pavilion room has a stage. And During on, the World Series? Yes. On the stage, hmm. they're going to be holding eSports events 
right there on the stage, which I have to imagine are going to be noisy, while tournaments are going on in the pavilion room. Where Isn't it just going to be a bunch of dudes on the computer? How is that going to be noisy? Because I think it's the tournaments is going to be announcing. I don't know. I'm just assuming it's uh, going to be okay. noisy. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe it'll be fairly quiet, but I just have to think it's going to be distraction and noisy. Now, why are they doing this? Well, because the World Series, one of the income streams they have is partnerships. They, they love making marketing partnerships. So they've established a new marketing partnership with a company called uh, UMG which does eSports. And so they're going to have what they call the UMG eSports stage. Uh, And it was just recently announced. This is something that just got put together recently, even though the World Series is coming up very soon. But they announced that they partnered with the World Series of Poker, UMG, they announced this, and that they're going to be hosting competitive gaming events uh at the Rio itself, and also on the stage at the Pavilion Room during the World Series. So they're going to feature games on the stage such as Hearthstone. Have you heard of Hearthstone? It's, it's some kind of card game that uh, some poker players are interested in. I've never heard of it before. Uh, then also FIFA Soccer, which has been around forever. And Fortnite, which is currently the most popular online multiplayer game in the world. And uh, these will be on the Xbox One and the PC. The schedule of eSports events will be posted on UMG Gaming's website and also on their app sometime soon, if not already. I haven't checked. So uh, there is the concern by some that this will be distracting during the World Series, but, but uh, basically the, the response is, if you don't like it, bring headphones. That wasn't the official response, but that's what uh, that's what's being kind of said uh, to anyone who complains about it, that uh, tough luck, bring headphones if you think it's going to be distracting. So maybe you should. Maybe you should bring headphones. I think I actually will. I'm not even kidding about this. Like, I, I, believe me, if I'm at a, an event, the last thing I want to do is hear like some distracting esports competition up on the stage. It, it's going to grate on my nerves. Like, if I had to hear that for five minutes, fine. I, I don't want to hear this for hours. It, it's going to drive me crazy. So, uh. Anyway, they're they're partnering with the World Series of Poker because they they must believe there's some there's a crossover between interest in poker and interest in esports. And here's a statement from the CEO of UMG. Last year we watched our initiative grow esports in Las Vegas by leaps and bounds. I'll get to that in a second. Bringing UMG esports stage into the World Series of Poker events is a Amazing next step in continuing this initiative into 2018 and beyond. UMG will utilize its groundbreaking event management app to help organize the event and to constantly uh, update participants of upcoming play and special events at the UMG stage. By the way, the UMG app on the uh, App Store gets horrible reviews for whatever reason. So, 
I don't know how many. So, Druff, I, sorry, I had to step away for a second. So, what does the World Series get out of this relationship that they have with UFG? UMG, they they they, they get UMG, sorry, money. That's what they get. They just, I'm sure they're selling the space. So they're basically they're trying to UMG is trying to get poker players involved in esports. Is that their angle here? Yes, I think they're trying to drum up interest in, in that. Yeah, I think they believe there's some kind of crossover and that they'll get more people into it. That's a, I can see that. The World Series is not uh, getting anything out of this directly. I'm sure the World Series is not thinking, oh, you know what would be great? We'll do an even partnership. We'll give them this space, and uh, I'm sure everyone will love having esports events on the stage as they're playing World Series events, distracting them. Like they, there's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no way that the World Series is excited, excited about that. I'm sure they got paid the, the pretty penny for this. Now, right. they already exist in Las Vegas, as that CEO said. Listen to this here. Uh, there's an esports arena at the Luxor. I don't know if UMG owns that too, but uh, is it a cube or? I'm not sure. There's an arena. It's, it's called the Esports Arena at the Luxor, and it, it opened in March. It's thirty thousand square feet and multi-level, and has a fifty-foot video wall. So anything that's happening on the stage of this esports arena can be seen on that 50-foot uh, screen. And uh, and they have all kinds of daily play there, including some like big-time battles. And then uh, they even have some retro gaming setups somewhere there. I, I haven't been there, so I can't describe it. I was just it thinking is, of but... it because I was watching this video called Inside the Cube, Global Poker League revs up for the sportification of poker. <laughs> I was wondering if they ended up selling that fucking cube maybe to a gaming company or something, you know? I don't know. Yeah, this is the I don't think so. This is like a an arena with multi levels and it's it's in the Luxor. I'm actually I may go take a look at it. I'm not that interested in esports, but there's this quote retro gaming setup, so I I do like old video games. I think that's what they mean by that, a retro gaming setup. So, um, where we we got to do a retrospective on Alex Dreyfus and see where he is today. <laughs> there is a, I haven't even been keeping track. Is the Global Poker League actually still functioning? I, I haven't kept track of that either. Yeah, I, 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 I've I, heard nothing about it, so I'm assuming it just kind of, you know, drifted off. I haven't, but at least the Hendon Mob hasn't gone down yet. I've, I'm waiting for the day that's just gone. Right. <laughs> so. The, the global poker index, right? Yeah. So they they also will be hosting the final table of the last WPT tournament of champions in that esports arena. And so they're going to have that tournament at the Aria and then the final table will be at that esports arena. And also they're going to be taping a 100-200 no-limit cash game at that arena. So they really are trying to cross them over. Now, again, I'm not sure if UMG is involved in that, though that CEO did say that, uh, uh, where he talked about how it was already, esports is already in Las Vegas. Let me see what this thing again here said. Incidentally, the the GPL is now... uh, their marketing stuff says that they are poker plus esports now. 
Ah. And actually, if you look on their, their homepage video, there's way more time given to uh, a lot of the uh, the video games than there is poker. So it looks like that's kind of what they're trying to morph themselves into. Yeah, it's much like like the PPA was morphing themselves into like trying to fight for sports betting in DFS. So it says last yeah last year we watched our initiative grow to grow esports in Las Vegas grow by lease and bound. He's the word grow twice, but I, so I guess they probably had something to do with this arena. It's Luxor, and this might be the next step of just bringing themselves to the World Series. So, uh, but this was this was hammered out at the last minute. I also got the press release from Seth Polanski, uh, like about a week ago about this. So, they just got this in time. Like they they just hammered this out at the last minute. And uh, yeah, I'm, they they've the World Series brings money to Caesars in so many different ways. And they've they've been very good at monetizing it. I'll give them that. Very good at monetizing it. They're they're not just making money from you from the rake or from the overpriced food they sell you. They uh they've they've found many other ways to squeeze money out of it. And you look at the poker felt at the World Series of Poker, you see so many different sponsors on there and they have these other partnerships like this. So they they are finding way. They even squeeze money out by by selling spots to those vendors in the hallway, which they don't even get much money for, on you know the grand scheme of things. So and then those vendors harass people. I'll give them credit. At least when I when Brandon told me these vendors were aggressive, and I remembered in previous years they were, and I kind of just dismissed it. And I fired off the email to Seth Polanski saying, "Hey, I was told these vendors are being aggressive." Uh, they actually went to the vendors and said, hey, we've got reports you're being aggressive, stop it. And by the time I came to the World Series, they were no longer aggressive. So clearly, letting them know about this, they actually took action, which was good. They could have told me F you and deal with it, so uh, or pretended like they were going to do something and do nothing. So they, they really did put a stop to it, so I give them credit for that. But they, they really are, they squeeze out every dime they can there. Every dime. So I've been looking at uh, the GPL's Twitter feed. Yeah. And it, it is nothing but esports stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and there, there's some recent tweets too, but it's kind of interesting that, you know, with the World Series literally just around the corner, there's nothing. Well, they absolutely got absolutely nothing having to do with poker. Yeah. Well, they got divorced from the World Series. So the, the World Series divorced them, it looks like. Sure. So. But, and, it, you know, we were kind of joking around, or I was joking around about, them uh, repurposing that cube, um, but it looks like that's actually what has happened. Really, it's the same cube. It's, it's the same fucking cube. Let me let me uh, get you this tweet from Alex Dreyfus. Oh boy, here it is. So it's the same fucking cube, but they. I don't even know if this was there before. They put some like neon uh, lighting around the corners of it, but it looks like they're going to use this fucking cube for their esports stuff. Oh wow. That's funny. So it really is. Oh, it's someone wrote the first reply to this. Is the GPL dead, Alex? <laughs> you got so many people excited about the league and left us completely hanging on the league's future. We deserve to know the truth about the league. You should release some type of, some type of update on season two. Yeah, they never even made it to a second season. They just did the the first season and that's it. 
I, I think we've known the truth about it for a long time when he was scamming people during the World oh, Series. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, apparently the money is still flowing in because they're doing this whole kind of rebrand around gaming. Yeah, well, I, I get he probably jumped to that when when the poker stuff was a fail, and and he got he could only convince investors to give him money for this. So yeah, but look at this—they actually are reusing that fucking cube. The cube is still around. <laughs> All that money that their investors sunk it into, they're probably like pounding on them. Like, you better do something with this goddamn cube. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, if you scroll through their Twitter feed, I'm all the way back. Like, I, there's absolutely nothing having to do with poker. And it's called, as we've noted before, it's now the Global Player League. You know, that's how they've rebranded. And there is nada about poker. Like, I mean, there's just, I think he's just realized that there's no business there. That's funny. Everything. Everything is evolving. All right, so poker players uh, are known to get in trouble for things. Now, part of it is just because there's so many poker players, and when you have a large group of people, you're going to have a certain percentage who get in trouble. So that part's not that surprising. But there, there have been some pretty bad things people have been in trouble for. We've had some poker players who have uh, been arrested for murder. In fact, one who murdered his parents. Because he uh, he had no more poker bankroll and uh, he was hoping to get an inheritance. That was uh, uh, Ernie Shearer who did that. We've had ones who have uh, committed uh, some pretty bad financial crimes. Uh, embezzlement, uh, some kind of uh, massive scamming or Ponzi scheme. We've had a lot of that. So there, there's been various crimes committed by poker players over the years. Uh, the, this is the first one of this type I've heard of, and that is a, uh, a hit-and-run accident where someone actually died, and the poker player left the scene. So let me tell you about this. This is a, a Florida poker pro who is uh, known to some people. I, didn't, I hadn't really heard of him before. But we're talking about uh, poker player Bradley Rubin. And in 2017, he was at the final table of the $1,500 buy-in Raz tournament. He finished third. He's 32 years old, and he is currently being held on $100,000 bail. And what happened was that uh, he got into an accident... Uh, and someone died. And instead of staying around, uh, he just uh, took off. I don't... He said he fled. I think he ran away because he was apprehended a quarter of mile down the... a quarter mile down the road. But what happened was that uh, Ruben was driving a Volkswagen GTI and he crashed into the back of a car that had already been in an accident. So uh, there was a car that was in a kind of a regular accident where no major injuries had occurred. And I guess this guy is uh, the, the guy who got killed 
his wife was there too and was pulled over as well. So Reuben ran into the the wife, the vehicle of the wife who was there with you know the person who had gotten in the previous accident. Uh, and that car then slammed into you know, the one who had just been in the, ac- the first accident, uh, Juan Pedro Garcia, and killed him. So I know it sounds confusing. Basically, Juan Pedro Garcia was in an accident that wasn't that major. They were loading his car into a tow truck, and his wife was there in a different car. And then Ruben drove up, accidentally slammed into the wife's car, which then ran into Juan Pedro Garcia, probably from being knocked away you know, by Ruben's car, and it killed him. So, okay, we had a tragic accident. But then instead of uh, Ruben checking out what happened and staying on the scene, he stayed on the scene, quote, for a few moments before either running or driving down the street. It, it doesn't say here. Uh, but he was apprehended a quarter of a mile down the road. And he had an excuse. He had an excuse for why he did this. Why did he run away from the scene a few moments after a fatal accident? Why did he do that? He claimed it was the fault of edible marijuana he had just just consumed. (laughs) It's, It's the edible's fault, he said. He said it affected him. He just had some edibles he was driving and uh, he wasn't thinking straight. So Bradley Rubin, I don't think we'll be seeing him at this year's World Series. I don't think he'll make a return to the Raz tournament. He's He was being held on $100,000 bail. He is charged with uh, leaving the scene of an accident causing death. So it looks like, I, I don't know if he's also going to face charges of driving under the influence, because he admitted he, was, he, he had eaten an edible, and that caused him to want to flee the scene. So he may be facing like a manslaughter charge too, or even worse, if that accident occurred because he was under the influence of, of edible marijuana. So I, I, they're not going to be letting him go to the World Series this year. Even out on bail, they're going to definitely have a requirement that he can't leave the state. So, Raz players rejoice. You will have uh, the one skilled player out of the field thanks to this. What a stupid thing to do, to run off like that. I, I don't know why people think that they... I don't know if... Yeah, maybe he didn't realize he killed someone. Maybe he thought he just hit a car and wanted to just take off and felt that they wouldn't pursue him. But do you really think you're going to get away with it at that point? When you've uh, hit someone and killed or severely injured them? There's going to be a pretty serious investigation to figure out who you are. Especially if you run away on foot. Then I don't, I don't know if he did or not. I'm going, I'm going to click on... I think there's a link to this TV station reporting, which I hadn't clicked on before. Let's see, I'm clicking on. Okay, it says this is uh, NBC Six in Miami. 
their website. Uh, poker player charged in fatal I-95 crash in, in uh, eight marijuana edible, it says. Uh, let me see here. Um, as her car is being loaded by the tow truck, a Volkswagen driven by Ruben crashed into the back of her car and Garcia. According to the report, the tow truck driver said Ruben stayed at the scene for a few moments before he ran away. So he did run away. That's even dumber. So if you're drive, if your car is still drivable and you drive away, I'm not saying you should, but at least you could be thinking, okay, maybe if I get away fast enough, no one will see my plate. Maybe there's no cameras around and they'll never know who did this. Maybe I'm afraid I'm going to get in big trouble for driving under the influence and could spend you know decades in prison if I killed someone. Maybe I better just get away and hope they don't ever know who did it. But when you get out of your car and run off, they know who you are. So what did he expect? He's going to be running away on foot for the rest of his life? What an idiot. And this wasn't just morally wrong. It was idiotic. It, it had no chance of success. He runs away on foot. Here's a tip. If you ever flee the scene of an accident and your car is sitting there and you run away, they're going to find you. You, you can't just run away on foot to get away from an accident that you've caused. Hey, Drew, I, uh, I got a question for you. Yeah. So if you were someone like Alex Dreyfus and you had started up, you know, a number of things that kind of flopped, like you got into the whole poker thing and that didn't really work out and you tried to sportify poker and that didn't work. And then you moved uh, over into the esports uh, business and who knows how that is or isn't working. What, what would you do next if you were looking for some way to, to get funding from people? And what would be your next move? Um, that's a good question. That is a good question. What's like the new hotness that everyone and their brother is trying to get into, even though it's probably too late to get into it? Oh, crypto. Boom. <laughs> Boom. So, so he's into crypto now? That's exactly what he's doing. So he's, he's started up a, a venture called Chili's. <laughs> and it's some, I'm not even kidding. It's what it is. Um, it's a blockchain-based platform that allows enthusiasts to crowd manage sports and esports teams and organizations. The inspiration finds its roots in traditional sports, specifically football's La Liga, with their democratic socio system of club management. Interesting. By the way, so, I, 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 hang on, I have to interrupt you here, though. We, we have yeah. a, sp- a special guest on right now. You wanted me to put a guest on this show, so I listen to you. Nice. A guest, you can say hello. I don't know you do a goddamn radio show on Sunday night. I thought it was like Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. Yeah, you just learned. Here I am. Surprise. Why are you doing a show tonight? 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 Well, there's a few reasons, but uh, a lot of things are out of whack because of my cold and because I'm going to the World Series of Poker soon. So this this Sunday and next Sunday. And and you know what? I, I cannot believe you're doing a goddamn radio but you know, show. You know what? I, I cannot. I, guess I, what? Hold on. Hold on. Guess what I called last week's show, which is on Friday. I called it Friday Night Live. 
Oh God, that's bad. That's bad, 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 bad memory. Why is it so bad? Let me tell you guys. I don't think you guys know this story. I've told a lot of Ken stories, a lot of stories about me and Ken. I don't think I've ever talked about Friday Night Live before. So now that we have Ken on the phone, Friday Night Live was. It still is. I just don't go anymore. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't know still there. Okay. Well, going way back many years, Ken used to always go. Every Friday to what was the name of the temple? Oh, Sinai Temple in yeah, that's West right. LA, that's Wilshire right. and Beverly Glen. Right, right. On Wilshire and Beverly Glen in, in West LA, Sinai Temple. It was Temple. the second Friday of every month, which like it was like a young crowd, young mostly single right. crowd. So it was like it was like a, a, a Jewish social gathering, which was free, and um, which was good for Jews. And uh, so a lot of it's, it's, a lot of young Jews showed up to this thing. And uh, so there was a service before, but a lot just came for the socializing. Right, it was a combination of of service and and socializing. But as Ken said, a lot of people just showed up for the social part. And uh, Ken was obsessed with going there every single week. In fact, how many did you go to straight without missing one? There was okay, like, first of all, not it was not every week. It was once a month. That's it right, once a month. Friday, right, the second Friday of every month. Yeah, so I how, went about nine years. In, I went about nine years in a row. Until, until, I can't say what made me stop, but, um, I went about eight, basically eight or nine years in a row, every second Friday of the month. Oh, I know what made you stop. I realize that now. It doesn't, it doesn't matter why, <laughs> but go on. A certain individual made him stop, but anyway. Restraining order? No, no. He, he wasn't actually forced to stop, but he, he stopped. So, but yeah, I, I went, I went with him once in a while. Uh, and I, I will say, and also one time I met Todd's sister. I met Todd's sister at a Friday Night Live, just with one of her girlfriends. Yeah, that's right. My sister was there, and uh, and I, I I was hoping Ken wasn't going to say anything perverted. And he actually didn't. I was I, I gave him credit for that. I, I was very behaved. I was very behaved. Why would I say something to your sister? That I, I don't know. I've said my stupidity. sister. Yeah, you know, my sister was young then. I was I was worried. So uh, anyway, uh, but it's your sister. I know. I, I'm I'm glad you you were respectful there. But anyway, who was your friend, by the way? I, I don't even remember, but I, I so oh, okay. I remember. I, I don't know if you remember this, Ken. So I didn't usually. I just kind of went there to watch the antics of Ken and some of the other. A lot of weird characters went to this thing. It was mostly like mainstream. The porn star. But it was mostly mainstream young Jewish people. It wasn't like a bunch of weirdos there. But there, there were a, a fair share of weirdos that came there too. And so and Ken knew them all. So it, it was <laughs> it was an interesting thing to to watch. And uh, what, what's so noisy there? What, what? Is so, what is so noisy there? No, I don't know. You faded out for a second. I'm on a bus right now. Uh, I don't drive. Okay. okay. So I don't know if you even remember this, Ken, but I didn't usually try to meet girls at this thing. I would just kind of go there and hang out, even though it's it's kind of like a singles party, but I, I didn't treat it that way, uh, even when I was single. You just wanted to, like, watch me, basically. Yeah, even when I was single myself. Like, I somehow just went there with – even when I wasn't single, I'd go there just to hang out with Ken. But even when I was single, I didn't treat it as a singles thing. Or make any effort to, to meet girls there. Like if I had it, great, but I, I didn't make any effort to do it. So <clears throat> anyway, one of the times I was there, uh, I think Ken started talking to some, or no, I started talking to some girl there and she seemed very nice and she was pretty and she was kind of around my age. I was in like, I was like late twenties at the time. Uh, maybe she was a few years younger, but she was in the neighborhood of my age, and, and she was pretty, and she seemed very nice, and uh, we were getting along well, and everything seemed really good, and this was going to be the first time ever I was going to ask a girl for a phone number at Friday Night Live. I was I was moments away from doing it, and then Ken walked up, 
And Ken started talking. And, and Ken actually wasn't, you know, he wasn't acting that weird. That wasn't the problem. Ken didn't embarrass me or anything. So Ken started talking too. Now, what Ken does sometimes is he'll, and he's actually pretty good at this, he'll get like a read on someone's personality. He'll just like bluntly make a statement about them, even if it's kind of unflattering. But he'll, he'll make some statement like, you're kind of the type of person that would do such and such. So he did this to her after we'd been talking a while. What did I, what did I say to her? So we, we were, so I had been talking to her first alone. Like I was walking around by myself. I, I don't know where you were there, but we got separated. I, I was talking to her by myself. We were getting along very well. I'd been, probably been talking to her about, 10, 15 minutes, and, and I was just about to ask her for a phone number. Very, very close. And, and and I think she would have said yes to it. It seemed like she had interest in me. But then you came you up. her name? No. Then you came up, and, and you started talking also. And she got along with you too. But, you know, she – anyway, you blurted out to her, you know what? You seem like the type of girl with, like, really, really high standards. Like, like, like every guy is not good enough for you. Like, even guys you kind of like at first, like, you, you just decide they're not good enough for you and you lose interest. And then – she paused for a second. She goes, oh, my God, how did you know that? That is so me. That is exactly me. That is such a problem for me. You don't know how many times that I get to I get to like a guy and I get to go out with him. And just like abruptly, I just lose interest. I don't want to talk to him anymore. It's crazy. It's just so tough for me. And, and I go, oh, my God, I, now, I can, now I can't do this. Now, now I can't. Now I don't want to ask for her number anymore. So I guess, I guess you kind of. Saved I didn't me. mean to block. I didn't mean to block. No, you didn't block. You, you actually caught. You actually. The truth is, you actually did me a favor because it allowed me to avoid her. But I, like, once I heard that, I, I couldn't go through with it anymore. I just, at that point, I just quickly said, "Okay, well, nice meeting you. Bye." <laughs> I, I'm telling you, if you hadn't walked up there, I was seconds away from asking for her phone number, and I probably would have. But maybe you would have been the right one. No, you know? no, it would have been the same crap. I'm sure. Really? Yeah. Did she have long hair? Yeah, yeah. She was very pretty. I just, uh, I'm, I, I'm sure I would have liked her I, too. No, you you did, but but I think I even mentioned to you that I was getting along. I was about to ask your phone number, and you asked me like, why didn't you? I said, well, because of the conversation we just had. I don't want to be that guy either that she loses interest in abruptly when I start to get into her. So screw it. So and she she wow. didn't and she didn't seem like the type. It's not like you, know, you may be wondering, well, why didn't I just go have sex with her that night and then just not attach myself? She didn't seem like that type that's just gonna like put out that night. It seemed like like a hook, like a hookup culture girl. Yeah, it didn't seem like that type. It seemed like the type that you know it would. And and she seemed like really nice and someone like fun fun to be around. But uh, but you know she seemed respectable. Like everything, she seemed like the type I would want like as a girlfriend. So I could just have pictured myself getting all into it, and then just abruptly one day she'd stop calling me and stop responding to my phone. Call. Like I could totally have pictured that happening. Don't you ghosting you yeah the, the, yeah the, like the year 2000 version of ghosting or whatever it was then so so i i, I was actually happy that ken uh, brought the, he blurted that out and he was right so that so oh, i didn't mean to ruin anything no but it was good you ruined that one so so friday night live that was the name of that event and I mean, I guess, at least i didn't take a it wasn't at least i didn't know jesse kohler's shower that was another yeah. girl <laughs> hey Druff, i feel obligated to ask ken about another event that's coming up Okay. So, Ken, are you uh, considering participating in the – they're trying to set a world record in Las Vegas on June 2nd for the world's largest orgy. Most people in orgies you don't want to see naked. I want no part of that. <laughs> That's actually probably you, true. That, I'm, yeah, that that very well might be true. Is you're not interested in, in being in the Guinness Book of I, World I, Records? I, I'm, I, I'm not looking to have random sex. I'm looking to have a not-so-random relationship. Well, you have to show up with someone else, right? So you can't just go on your okay. own anyway. So you got to bring well, a partner to this thing. Many, otherwise, there'll be too many guys, of course. But um, of course. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not an orgy person, you know. You've never no, participated in an orgy? 
No, no orgies, no orgy porgy pumpkin pie, none of that. <laughs> have you have you ever participated no in an orgy? Three men in a tub. That's so gay. Three men in a tub. Why would they do that? But I never thought you know, of that Ken, before. But you're Ken, right. Ken, have you ever participated in an orgy? I was very interesting because I scared Tom Hayden there. Ken, focus. Have you ever yeah. participated in an orgy? No. Uh, and asking me more than once is going to change my answer. The definition of insanity is, is asking the same question every time, expecting a different answer. I didn't hear you answer. Exactly you, you know what? what? Uh, Ken actually brought up another memory, though, just now about Friday Night Live. There was a, a, yeah. a, a, a guy named Tom Hayden. You may have heard of him. Uh, he was one of the... Uh, very noisy on that bus. He, he was one of these uh, Chicago 7, the Vietnam protesters that was arrested. Oh, yeah, Tom Hayden, you know, one of the anti-war activists in the late 60s, later became yeah. a politician. Right, so he was a politician. He was someone who... The, and he was married uh, to Jane Fonda. Yeah, he was married to Jane Fonda at one point. He was, he was a very, you know, he was a big-time anti-war activist, got arrested. He said, this is someone who, who doesn't get rattled very easily. This is someone who's, who's his whole life was involved in, in controversy that, that he thrust himself into. So you think this is not a guy who's easy to scare or intimidate. So he, for whatever reason, he was at the Friday Night Live. I don't know, it was like some kind of guest. Even though he's not Jewish. He, but he was there. And so Ken saw this and got so excited. And, and you know, so I was with Ken there. So he says, that Tom Hayden over, let's go up to him. So we went up to him. And Ken started just going on and on like he was an obsessed fan of Tom Hayden, which, you know, Ken loved Tom Hayden, so he was going on and on. I've been following your whole career. I think you're like the coolest guy ever. He just went on and on and on about how he knows everything about him and he's been following him so closely, everything he's been doing. So Tom Hayden, this is probably the first time in his life he got scared. He was really afraid that Ken was going to, like, wait for him outside and uh, kidnap him or something and uh, tie him up. Whatever it was, you could see that Tom Hayden started getting noticeably worried about Ken's obsession with him. So then Ken started talking about me. He says, oh, my friend here, you probably don't want to talk to him. He's a Republican. You are not going to like him. So, well, no, Tom Hayden started talking to me because he knew as, as a Republican I wasn't going to be obsessed with him. He knew that. So, so he kept trying to, like, ignore Ken and make conversation with me just just to distract uh, Ken from talking to him. So I thought that was so funny that uh, the, the, the left-wing liberal... Most like, Republicans think he's like the worst person ever. He's a right. communist and, you know, right, right. So, so, you know so, went so, to North so, Vietnam. And, yeah, I know. So the left-wing liberal went up to Tom Hayden with a Republican friend, and even though Tom Hayden hates Republicans and Republicans hate him, he wanted to talk to the Republican because he was afraid the the, the liberal was, was obsessed with him and was going to do something was going to do something bad if he encouraged him too much. It was very clear from that situation. Now, in Ken's defense, he was not, third, in Ken's yeah, defense, he was, not, he was you were not going to hurt Tom Hayden at all, and, and you weren't considering that. Oh but no, just, I don't want to hurt anybody. I, he, he was a great man. I was very sad when he died a little over a year ago. Yeah. But uh, I, I said that you know Ken, we died by the way. Yeah, I, I, I said at the time I said you may be the first guy to ever scare Tom Hayden. I know I, I didn't mean to, <laughs> but I think the, a bigger memory, well maybe an equal memory, is the porn star. Remember the porn star Friday Night Live, which tried to get you going on a game show and yeah, that was remember, that remember was that another that, that was like another weird star? thing. Yes, that's another weird thing that came out of that. Uh, it didn't really directly a different have, event. Different well, it, time. it didn't have to directly do with that, but. There was a, a girl that Ken described there, and there, there were tons of people at this thing. Many hundreds of people would go to this thing, uh, maybe more than a thousand. It was a, a lot of people at this event. It was a big thing. But there was a girl we saw every week there, very, very short. Uh, every month. Probably around our age. I'm sorry, every month. I, I, I keep saying week. 
very short, probably around our age, uh, and, and uh, she was like probably under five feet. She wore really high heels and still looked short. And Ken said that she looked like a porn star. And when he said that, I actually understood what he meant. Now, she didn't look like a slut. She wasn't dressed in a provocative way. It was just like her face kind of looked like what you'd expect a porn star's face to look like. It was kind of it, – it's hard to explain, but I totally got it when he said that she looked like a porn star. So we started calling her the porn star, not to her face but to each other. You know, we, we said, oh, there, there's the porn star. She's here again. That, that's how we referred to her. Now, nobody else knew that we called her that, so it didn't get back to her or anything. Um, and, and, but uh, that's how we knew but her. But we ended up talking to her. Well, so so what happened was we went to an audition for some game show. Do you remember which one it was? I honestly do not remember at all. Yeah, so what, we, what the hell was it? Do you remember what we auditioned for? Um, it wasn't a dating show. No, it wasn't a dating show. Was it, was some, it, it was some, was some like trivia type of show. I don't know if yeah, it was it, just it, a pilot and never got picked up, but it, it, yeah, it, we did audition. It, it was something for like some kind of 70s game show revival. And we, we, we auditioned yeah. for it, and it was it was an open tryout. Ken told me about it and asked if I wanted to come. So I actually went with Ken, and we both tried out for it. Um, and we were both – The coordinator. We were both – so the coordinator of that tryout event was the porn star. She was, That was her job. She was a casting agent. And and that was what she was doing at the time was, was casting for that game show. So – and, and we was, didn't know she was going to be there. We didn't get referred at the, at the event. We just met her totally separately there, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so what they really... And I, what, I think I said to her, you go to Friday Night Live, and I got really excited or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Ken mentioned that we knew her from that event. But that that wasn't what really impressed her. The thing is, both Ken and I both got selected to be on this show. Uh, what And they were only selecting a, a relatively small percentage of all the people that were coming down there. But the, the, they were looking for people who they thought were unique or good personalities for the show. So I knew this coming in that I can't just blend in with the crowd and, and Ken never blends in anyway. Ken is, as you guys know that from hearing him on this show that he's different. So Ken got on basically just by being himself. Uh, I got on because they were like showing you these videos and then asking you to make comments about, like, they were asking you to describe what you saw in the video. This is for like the group. They, there's, a, there's a group of you in the room and then they go around and ask you what you saw. So, most of the other people are just giving serious answers, you know. So, so what do you think of this uh, uh, of the girl we just saw in this video? And someone say, "Oh, you know, she seems like she's concerned about the well-being of this guy." Like they, she, they just matter-of-factly stating just generic act, yeah, answers. right. Just matter-of-factly stating what they saw. I was like insulting the people who were in the videos, and I was trying to make like uh, uh, funny or, 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 or critical responses to you know, to, to everything I was seeing there, just to stand out, and it worked. They 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 actually contacted both of us until separately, and and told us that we were selected to be on the show. Uh, but but the show didn't. It got canceled very quickly. So neither of us actually were. We never ever, got on, though. We got accepted, but we never got right. on. Right? They, they never. They never actually. That's why I don't remember the show. Right. So we never actually appeared on the show because the, they got canceled before uh, it would have been time for our episode to tape. So, and uh, we would have been on separately, not together. The, the interesting thing that came from that, though, was that even though I never got on that show, I was in the database at that point of that casting agency. And they had some description of me. I don't know how I was described. And I was, you know, this was many years ago. I was younger then. I was kind of like, I think I was probably early 30s at that point. At that point. I think I was 30 or 31, something like that. Uh, but uh, I got into their database, and that's, 
I learned then that this is the way a lot of these casting agencies work. Is sometimes they'll have opening casting calls, and sometimes they will draw from what they already have, and often they will just draw from what they already have. If they've seen someone that they remembered or from their note shows that they remembered would be right for whatever they're trying to cast, whether it's a game show or, or a reality show or, or, or you know, some kind of part in a, in a TV show, whatever, you know, they, they often will just refer to what they already have. And that gives you a big edge if they have described you in some way in their, in their notes that will match you up with, with projects they have, uh, that they have casting for. So anyway, I hit on that somehow. I, I, again, I wasn't, I was just trying for the moment on that show, but whatever it was about me, they had me in the system as someone that they started calling a lot of being pre-selected. They didn't use, they didn't use me. They only used you. Well, for some of them, we actually were both called again to one called the, remember a, a thing called the, uh, um, there were, there were two shows at the same time. They were very similar. One was called the chamber. One was called the chair. You remember that? I remember there was the chamber and there was the chair, and I tried out for, I think, the one of John McEnroe. And I would have, they said I did very, very well on the trivia stuff, but I failed the psychological yeah, right. exam. So, so, so the, the, I think it was the chair that we were, or no, no, it was the, I forget, one of the two week. They're the about t- the same concept. There's the chamber and the chair, and neither one lasted very Yeah, they were both shows. answer trivial questions under major pressure, like heat or cold or, right. or being squeezed or while answering, like, they both had the same cr- the chamber and the chair, and one right. was hosted by John McEnroe. I don't remember about right. the other so, one. So I also forget. Yeah. I forget which of the two that we were trying out for. But this was a closed tryout, and both of us were separately called. Again, they didn't even know we know each other, like in the notes there. But they separately called each of us to go try out for, for, for whatever the show was. And and was, so when I went out to the tryout, and I went to this by myself. I didn't go with Ken. He went by himself. I went by myself. Uh, again, we both got selected separately, and. At my tryout, I don't know what Ken experienced there, but they had you take first a general knowledge trivia test, uh, which I guess I did well enough on. But uh, then they also had the producer of the show come out and, and, and talk to everybody out there and, and get a feel for everybody's personality. Uh, something it said on the questionnaire I had to answer at the beginning was, what is my non-industry job? And at first I thought, what do they mean by non-industry and then I, I understood what they meant. I mean, you don't work in the show business. Right. What's your non-showbiz industry job? So if we put you on this show, we don't say you're an actor. Because the truth was, and I found out from being there, just about every single person invited to this closed audition for this show was an actor. Almost every single one of them. Because they all talk to each other. They're like, well, what are you going to put down for your job? You know, I don't know. I'm just an actor. <laughs> They're trying to figure out what to put down for themselves. And I was one of the, I was like, Away I was like one of two people there that weren't, that was not an actor. So, Anyway, they, um, the, the guy who came out, the, the producer who came out to talk to everybody, um, again, I decided I've got to stand out in some way. So I noticed he was being kind of obnoxious and insulting everybody. So everybody else was afraid to say anything back to him because they thought, well, this is the producer. I can't piss him off. Well, I insulted him back. I made some, I made some insults about him being bald and his head glowing and stuff like that. Wow. And, and he actually liked that. And so at the end of the, at the end of the whole thing, he said, do I have any questions? He said, does anybody have any questions here? And I said, and remember this, this whole thing was arranged now by the girl we called the porn star that she was the one who called both of us to get on there to, to this closed audition. So he, I asked him at the end, what are, what are our realistic chances of being on, uh, of, of making it to the show from here? And he said, well, I'll tell you the truth, uh, in your case specifically. He says, I actually really liked you. You're the only one here who would talk back to me. 
and uh, I, I actually really liked you. And, and uh, uh, if you were a, t- a hot twenty-five-year-old girl, uh, you'd be on the show for sure. Unfortunately, you being around a thirty-year-old white guy, uh, there's 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 not uh, you know we have tons of you. So I'm not sure where that's going to go. But as you know, as far as thirty-year-old white guys go, I'm very high on you. Is what he told me. Well, he was right because I was. And, selected. Was, and what was it? The, what, what show was this going to be? The chamber, the chair, or well, something? Yeah, else? one of the, one of those two. The chamber, the chair, whatever it was. I okay. forget which. Of the two. So so yeah. so uh, so I was selected. Well, to be on the show, you had to have a psychological exam. A psychological evaluation to make sure that you could uh, take being in, the, in these Handle situations. Pressure. So, so they had Ken come down there, and so they called Ken and told him, "You know, we've selected you. We'd like you to be on one of the first six episodes." And as long as I pass the psychological yeah, exam, you just got to pass a psychological exam. So, Ken came down for the psychological exam, and he failed. <laughs> So Ken, Ken was not allowed on the show for whatever reason. They they said he failed the psychological exam. Uh, and they wouldn't tell me why. They wouldn't they would tell. tell they me wouldn't why. tell him why. Now, I was so they had uh, not called me yet, but they they it turned out they called me like the next day to also be in the first six, six episodes. Maybe even could have even been the same one as Ken. Again, they didn't know I knew Ken though. Uh, so they called me up and tried to ask me to come down the next day for the psychological exam. The problem was I was at Commerce playing in a very good uh, poker game. I think uh, uh, 5100 or something like that, 6120, something like that. It was some very, very good game, and I was there for a very, very long time. And my phone didn't get reception in there, so I didn't even hear it ring. And I played a super long session, so long that by the time I checked my message... Uh, the psychological exam I was supposed to show up to had already taken place. So, oh, so I So I missed it. So I, by the time I reached them and told them this, that I didn't get their message in time, they said, okay, we understand that. We'd still like you to be on. The problem is uh, when we couldn't reach you, we had to go with an alternate. So we already have all the slots filled for the first six shows, and we only have six shows ordered by the network. So what we will do is we're going to put you down for show number seven, but we're not going to even bother to have oh, you down. Wow. We're not going to ha- bother to have you down for the psychological exam yet until we get more episodes ordered. Because if 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 we don't get more episodes ordered, then there's no point to, to even have you down here because we you know we won't do the You're show. You're so lucky not to do the psychological exam, and I did. That's so unfair. <laughs> yeah, I, so I'm looking this up here. Uh, this the, the it was the chair. The chair was was presented by John McEnroe. It premiered in January 2002. So I guess we were. Uh, I guess this was in, in 2001 when this was all going on. And uh, yeah. And so I, so I was 29 at the time. And uh, <coughs> they so they so they they uh, for for episode number seven, I was going to be the one on it or one of the people on it, provided I passed the psychological exam, but it got canceled after those first six episodes. So that was that. I remember that. That sucked. I would have been great if you were on the chair. You could have met John McEnroe. You already knew Pete Sampras. <laughs> so so that was that. And 
Let's see. Is, is it th- oh, oh, this is this is interesting. It's, it claims a Wikipedia. You were talking about the Married by America thing. I thought that was the whole point. Is Married oh, by on, America? You so, didn't bring up that up. This is what's weird. I don't know if, if Wikipedia is wrong or if they if they told me wrong here because they t- it said thirteen episodes were taped, but only nine were broadcast. Um, you talking I, about the chair? Yes, I don't understand. Maybe it was. The, maybe it was. The, maybe, maybe it was the maybe, chamber. Maybe it was the maybe chamber. Maybe it was the chamber. Maybe it was the chamber. Let me go back and look. Maybe it was the chamber. They're so similar because they're almost they're almost the same show. If you remember that that era, it's like the chamber and the chair. It's right when reality TV really started to first pick up after Survivor and okay. You know what? It, it, it was the chamber. It says number of episodes six, and you know what? Only three were aired. So I could have been on one of the episodes that didn't air. I would have won the money, but I wouldn't have been on TV. So they they only aired so three. So was the chamber. So, so the, the chair was with John McEnroe. It was the chamber we tried out yeah. for. And this is run. But this is presented by Rick Schwartz. I don't even know who that is. But yeah, they were both in January. Two, they were both in January two thousand two. And so yeah, there, I see six episodes. I was supposed to be on episode seven. So anyway, that was that was another near miss. Then I and then another one. Okay, then they called me, uh, and, and uh, sometime in the same year. They called me up and told me that there's a show that they want to fast track me to be on. That they've already selected me, provided that I agree. And they said wow. it, they said it's a show that's uh, they said it's a, it's kind of a dating show, but it's not really just dating. It's for someone who's really looking to settle down. And then they described Uh-oh. it without directly saying what it was. You know, they described as much as they could tell me at the time. And uh, they asked me if I was interested. And I said, no, I'm afraid I'm not. And for two reasons. First of all, I was already in a relationship then. And, and second, Who were you with at that time? I, I was with Miri. Okay. And then second, I also was not going to go on some kind of show where the – you know, I get hooked up with some girl that's voted, uh, voted on by the audience or something. It seemed stupid to me. I didn't want to – I don't want to have like a relationship on TV for everyone to scrutinize. It just you know, it's one thing to be on a game show; it's another thing to do this. So, so I, I said I wasn't interested, but I was actually I was actually already chosen based on whatever notes they had about me in their system or, or whatever. Maybe they got to know more about me from the you know the the chamber audition, but whatever. By this point, they decided that they wanted me to be on this show. It wasn't a tryout; they had already selected me. I just had to say yes, I'll do it, and then I was going to be on the show. The show turned out to be Married by America. They didn't tell me at the time, but from everything they told me about it, I figured I figured out that that's what it was. And Married by America is exactly as it sounds. That uh, they actually you'd actually appear on there, and then uh, they would vote on on uh, you know, who was going to get married. How long did that show last? Very short. It was also a failure. Uh, the sh- I want to sh- know if the marriages on that. I want to know if the marriages on that show were failures. Also, the, the sh- I can't imagine a mar- marriage lasting from that show. The, the like sh- you know, sixteen years later, especially. The show aired in the spring of two thousand three, and uh, I believe it was re- it would have been recorded in late two thousand two. Had I been on it, uh, now this is uh, this is the description on Wikipedia. Five single people agreed to be paired up sight unseen with strangers chosen by America. It doesn't say how America chooses them, but uh, the, the newly minted couples oh, the newly minted couples met and got engaged on the spot. So you immediately had to get engaged. 
This is accomplished through. Fam- oh my God! This is this was accomplished through family members and phone-in votes by TV viewers. The five couples were were, were Matt and Cortez, a friendly if awkward man, and an attractive slash uninterested woman who later claimed she was attracted to quote the abusers. I don't know what that means. Jennifer and Xavier, a uh, cold, unfriendly blonde woman and 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 low-key Frenchman model. Uh, Stephen and Denise, uncomfortable average guy and low self-esteem woman who liked him much more than he liked her. Uh, oh God! And, and uh, like Colleen, Jill. Go on. No, 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 but it was that it was that she actually liked him more than he liked her. It was reversed. Oh, uh, okay. I wish yeah. I could experience that. Go on. Jill, Except for Stephanie. Ew. Go on. Jill and Kevin, NHL team hostess and and Catholic daddy's girl, and a former pro baseball player seeking a new career. And, uh, and Joe and Kevin are guys? And then Billy Jean and Tony, party girl and general bro. So I, I wonder which of, I, I wonder which of the, I mean, I know I wasn't, I wouldn't have been the baseball player or the general bro, but I, I wonder which of the other three, uh, I guess I wouldn't have been the Frenchman model either. So I guess I would have been the friendly if awkward man or the uncomfortable average guy. <laughs> I would have been one of the two here. I wish, I wish, I wish you would have been on the chamber. So I would I would have been you one of those I would have been one money. of those. That, that, you would have won that, more money on the chamber. You would have won more money on the chamber than in a casino at Commerce. Think about it. More money. Yeah, well, I didn't know they were trying to call me though. Oh, and I see. So what would happen oh, is then they, then they would eliminate people. So there were only two couples left at the end, and, and neither ended up getting married. So I guess you don't commit to get married. But see, they didn't give me this many details. But I wouldn't have done it anyway because I was I already had I had a girlfriend. But and the whole thing seems kind of stupid. But uh, yeah, I was. Well, the I was, show didn't last. Yeah, it didn't last. So I, I was anyway. I was fast tracked to be on that show. Now you may wonder how come that was the last thing. But that was the last thing. How come? Or no, sorry. There was there was one other thing. I think uh, a revival of uh, there was pre- another thing. There was another thing, like a revival of Press Your Luck or something. I was involved to to. Why be- the hell did you go on that? That's just a game show. Th- that one is the only one I wasn't uh, especially. Sl- I- it was a closed audition, but for whatever reason, uh, they didn't like me on that one. I didn't get on that one. So. Oh man, I used to love that. No big bucks, big bucks, no whammies, no whammies, and stop. Four hundred and a spin. Yeah, you know why I didn't do as well in the Press Your Luck audition? It was a very, very big room full of people, and it's it's harder to stand out there. Yeah. I had much less time. I just didn't have a chance to really stand out. Anyway, why why did this all why did this all end at the end? This is pretty much for the years of two thousand one and two thousand two. How, how come how come I, I didn't get any opportunities after this? Because this was you know if you want to appear in this type of stuff, uh, I, I really had. Uh, the inn at this point. They were I, I they were calling me. Even though I never actually ended up appearing I, on anything. I, I wish I was on more of these game shows instead of trying to win stupid dates. I'd rather win money, you know? Yeah, so so why didn't I get on anything beyond that? And what happened was I didn't realize <laughs> this would be one of the side effects of it, but uh, someone I was still working a regular job at this point. Someone my boss then brought this woman into work who was pitching T Mobile and telling me how great T-Mobile is and, and offering some great deal to switch to T-Mobile. And I accepted it. And I go, what about my current phone number? They go, oh, no, you got to change your number. So I go, oh, okay, I guess I have to. So I changed my number. So they couldn't call me anymore. 
And I you shouldn't have done that, Todd. You could have been on a game show again. And I didn't. I, I didn't. And the thing was, I didn't know how to contact them. I didn't know the porn star's name. I think I knew her first name, but I didn't know how. To, I didn't know the name of the casting agency. I didn't know her last name. Or I the couldn't. Company. I, I couldn't contact anybody by that point. I think I even like even went to Friday Night Live once to look to see if she was there to like get my like my new number back in their system, and I, she was no longer going by that point. Uh, so that was that, and. Uh, God, you shouldn't have had T-Mobile. I know. So who knows what I could have been on? Because they, they really liked me. They, what, kept, why, they kept calling me for so you, many why things. Did you, why did you stop doing the T-Mobile? I mean, why did you switch to T-Mobile? I didn't think of And the thing was, this is just before you could port your number. Like, shortly after that, you were able to port your number and keep the same number. But back then, you couldn't do that. Oh, God. You couldn't just give them the SIM card. Oh, no. So this this was it was very unfortunate that this happened because I was I mean, it was cool I was I was in that system and that you know if I, if I had uh, wanted to even branch out and say, say hey you know if you get bit parts in acting I probably could have gotten those I mean they really liked me they really whatever it was they had down about me they uh, I was someone they thought of a lot when they when it came to casting for these shows. So I mean, a lot of the, a lot of these actors there would have killed for this opportunity, and I wasn't even an actor. Oh my god! Yeah. Why didn't Why didn't you like start trying out for shows later on? Just like you know, find about game shows and just not uh, dating shows, but just game shows. I, I, I kind of felt just, like just being circus. I kind of felt huh? like I, I blew my chance. I kind of felt like that was my one opportunity that I got. I, I stood out somehow and, and got in their in their system, and they they uh, they it made them think of me. I felt like repeating that so was going like to be hard. M- so it's like Eminem, like M- you only got one shot as that song goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, f- I felt that I kind of got lucky with it and that it wasn't going to happen like this again. Uh, you try out again. It's like, it's like, oh, my God, you would have tried out again. It would have been so great, you know. And There's just so many people I, that I come down. I, I just managed to you know, stand out with them. But I, I think it actually was the porn star herself who, who probably recommended me like that. But she was she was the one who personally called me most of the time. I miss the porn star. I want to know if she's like a... I want to know if she's a big false now. But I, I thought it was so funny. Of all the people that were there, you happened to point her out. We kept talking about her. And of all things, she's the one who's uh, conducting these... Uh, yeah, that that first casting call, and, and I then, didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't find out about the game show for I Live. I tried out totally separately. Yeah, and, and she just and, happened to be there, and then she's the one who must have chosen me to be the one that they wanted to keep calling. So, oh God, you really shouldn't have changed your number, and you should have answered your call at Commerce. I know. So all these different situations came together where, after all this, I was never on anything. <laughs> I was selected over and over, and I never made it on anything for different reasons. That's crazy. You're like the like the number one almost. Yep. All right. So, uh, Cal, are you still there? Oh, you guys lost your co-host. No, I mean he's he's there, but he's not. I'm like, vaguely oh, here. Oh, that's right. It's late for him. It's three a.m. I didn't listen to the three a.m. It must be lonely. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's another song. Well, you can go to sleep, Calwat, if you're tired. It, it got late here again. So it's, it was it's, Matchbox Twenty. I know. It's three so By the way, I'm taking medicine for that that condition I have now, Todd. I think I'm getting a little better, but I don't want to talk about it on the air. Really? I, I, I do want to talk about that. On the air? No, no. I, just I don't want to talk about that. No, wherever you. I don't want the. I don't. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want the poker listeners to know what I'm going through yet. So, but it's not cancer or heart disease. So, no. That's all I'm going to say. Ken has a well. You know, it's uh, Ken has a, a certain uh, malady at the moment, but uh, he'll. he'll probably be better soon enough 
All things must pass, like the George Harrison song. Boy, so, I keep quoting lyrics tonight. So, so you're assuring the listeners it's not AIDS, right? I do not have. I'm not. I don't have an anal injected death sentence. <laughs> okay. So, so Ken, where are you taking the bus back from? Where, where were you this late? Oh, I was at the Cyber Cafe doing some computer stuff, and well, now what? I'm walking home. I live in Sherman Oaks, California, what, what's, and I'm walking on, on, on a, a green leaf to, to Sepulveda and. Uh, what, what, yeah. computer, what computer stuff do you do? You're not still going on MySpace, I, I'm are you? I'm taking a few online I a few online classes, so I had some homework that was due by 11:59 tonight. So, what 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 class Turned was this? In. What class? It was for a humanities class, and I did one for a criminal justice class. Now, in these classes, there do, do the uh, young girls in these classes wonder why an old guy like you is there? These are online classes. I don't meet the oh, other they're, students. Oh, they're online. Well, that, that takes away some of the fun for you, right? Yeah, I, I take some classes in person. There's some cute girls. Some goyles, some goyles, you know? The problem is you're, you're like the age of their father at this point. Okay, that doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> it's just in Vegas it doesn't matter. You even told me about the subculture of Vegas. Yeah, but this isn't Vegas. I know. It is true. Maybe, I know. Maybe you should. Ken, maybe it's you should. Crazy. Maybe you should move to Vegas. The the, the younger girls are like older guys, and it's hot there. That's all the stuff you like. I, I, I they don't have rent controlled apartments. No, thank you. <laughs> you have no rights there. No, thank you. Oh, that's true. They're very fast with evictions in Vegas. They were they're very very fast. You know, I once I couldn't believe it. One time, I I was gone for like four days. And I come back to my apartment, and I've got a I've got an eviction notice on there that they've uh, that like I was about a day you mean a three day notice. No, a, a notice that they're uh, uh, that they're they're starting the process of eviction. It wasn't a three day to pay or quit. It was actually an, a notice that they're going to be evicting me because I didn't pay for what? What are they evicting? For for non okay, why didn't you pay? You thought you had, you thought you had three or four days, and you didn't. You didn't no, have no, one day. No, or what? I, I did pay, and they made a mistake, and I proved it to them, so they canceled it. But they actually were in the process of evicting me, and then they canceled it because I proved it was their mistake, and they agreed. But, oh wow! But the process was so fast, I couldn't believe it. It's way faster than California. So if he yelled the word enough in Spanish, it wouldn't help. <laughs> yeah. So that you. You're, you're, you're right. The tenants have fewer rights in Vegas. I experienced that myself. That uh, I mean, boy, were they they were so fast. I'm gone for four days, and they're already uh, they've already got the whole eviction going. So. Boy, that's crazy. I don't like those conservative laws. Yeah, I believe I was able to prove it because I think they cashed the check or so. There was something where they was a hundred percent proof I was right. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't a trick. I, I, they just, they I, just made I, a mistake. Like, I like L.A. rent control, and I, I support the repeal of Costa Hawkins, which will be on the ballot in November, and, I'm, and I hope you'll vote for it, even though landlords are going to spend tens of millions to lie in commercials to say to vote no. But you'll find out about it very soon. So anyway, okay. So this is just the California thing. So, <laughs> so, so Ken, yeah. uh, what, are there any other uh, concerts coming up that you go to? Uh... I'm not to see my bloody Valentine in July. I'm not sure yet. Uh, they canceled FYF, so I'm not going to that this year. Huh. So FYF, the sister concert at Coachella, put on by Golden Voice AEG, they canceled because okay. they didn't have enough ticket sales according to Billboard. But well, I'm sure I'll go to some smaller things, you know. And Ken, here's something else I'm sure the listeners want to know about. Uh, first of all, I don't want to talk about dating. No, not about dating. 
How did you feel about that controversy where those black people wanted to use the bathroom at Starbucks and they wouldn't let them without buying anything? Did you think of yourself when that controversy broke? I, I felt like I was a, a, a Caucasian a martyr in arms. Like I, I can only say I had sympathy, but I really did have empathy as well. I mean, I actually know what it feels like, the difference between sympathy and empathy. No, but, and, uh, but the question I is, the question is you, know, you have a corporate-owned stores, you can hang out there and you don't have to buy anything. But do you think this, you think this cool affects you? But a, lot, but a lot of Starbucks are franchises. So does this affect the franchises or just the corporate But Starbucks? here's the question. Remember, do you think it'll a lot make of them it, are franchises. Do you think it'll make it easier for you huh? to jerk? Will this make it easier for you to jerk off in Starbucks bathrooms now because they made this policy? Uh, I, I, I have my own apartment. I don't need, I don't need a public bathroom. And I'm getting older. I can, I don't have to go as many times as I used to. Really? So, so that's de- that's decreased over time for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's decreased. Okay. It's okay. an age thing. I, maybe in a few years you'll have no sex drive. You'll be over fifty. You know. It's a... Oh no no no! I'll have a I'll have a sex drive. Just like you say, you have one. I'll have one. No, but you know, some some people you know? their, their sex drive. Uh, some some guys their sex drive uh, basically disappears after fifty. I don't think I'm going to have that problem. Not not magically at 50 advantages, but we're, we're rapidly declines, and by the time you're, you know, uh, further into your 50s, it, it's pretty much gone. I've I've heard that has happened to some guys. So, I plan to be fabulous and frisky at 50. Fa- fabulous. That sounds like a gay. Are you saying you're going to be, no, gay, be gay at 50? How is that gay? I mean, okay, being being being. Uh, uh, I plan to be virile and active at age 50 with. With beautiful young women. Okay, but not not beautiful fifty year olds. Uh, no, thank you. I don't go on cruises at the horses. Okay. You never see me at a kid. You never see me at a at a kid rock concert. Uh. Yep. I know. I'm totally stereotyping audiences, but yeah. All right. Well. <sighs> all right, Ken. Well, thank thank you for calling up and, and checking in. I get listeners requesting your appearances on the show. So I'm always happy when I see you're calling to, to my personal phone. I, I, know, I, I literally had no idea you were doing a show on a Sunday. I know. Well, that's, that's what I, I, I patch you in here when I see you're calling and then just here you are. Okay. Well, you can, uh, I, 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 I seem, I seem to abhor your, uh, I seem to abhor your co-host. No, they, they, no the co-host is just very tired. He's just tired because it's after 3 a.m. That's all. Uh, I'm still it's here. Tired. I'm enjoying it. Oh, we have another he's one. That's that, right. He's, he's not he that should, tired. That's right. So we, we have, he should move. He's, they're both. They're both still here. Okay. Well, well Master Scaler. Oh, two co-hosts. Yeah, I had no two. idea. I thought there was one. Yeah. So okay, Master Scaler. Let's. Uh, let, let, we'll end this call here. Got to move. Got to move on and finish the show. But uh, you're welcome to call me up at. Uh, the show's actually going to be done fairly soon because we started earlier tonight. So, I don't. Know, if you're still up in about an hour, you can try to call me back or an hour. I, I doubt it. I got. I got. I got to do stuff early in the morning tomorrow. Okay, so well, then you can call me tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. So that was Ken Scaler. God damn, Druff. <laughs> oh, my God. Which part are you talking? Which part are you referring to? I mean, the, the last hour was just like blah, 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 blah. I can't. I can't. I, I can't. I know some people love listening to him, but Jesus fucking Christ. Okay. He's <laughs> he's all over the place. People, people are always uh, begging for Ken Scaler segments. I had to give the people what they Oh, they, they got it. <laughs> it wasn't an hour that call. I, I I don't have the timing here anymore, but it wasn't an hour. Uh, it felt like it. <laughs> Trader Ruski, did you nap during that? I didn't. Well, you know what? I, 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 
I, actually, I did listen back to the last show where I said, I'm up, I'm up. I hadn't heard like the, <laughs> an hour and a half before yeah, I said that. I, I had a feeling about it. Actually, I, I thought this brought out, uh, I, I don't know if I ever told the story in full. I know I probably made reference to it before, but about these, these various shows I almost appeared on. And I, I do have some regret about changing that phone number. I just didn't think about it at the time when they pitched T-Mobile. It was the Jew and me just wanted to switch to something cheaper. And uh, and I did. But so, sometimes sometimes you pay by getting something cheaper. You should call it now, Jeff, see if they've still been getting those calls. Get that. I mean, not, not, not now now, but, you know. I'll call that number and say, hey, have you been getting calls for the last 15 years uh, to <laughs> appear on TV shows? That's yeah, I've won a house, three cars, you know. Yeah, I've, yeah I've, I've ended up calling like some famous actor by that point who who broke out in 2003. Some guy who looks like me. Oh, crap. It could have been me. Let's get to the last topic. We have one more topic here. The Horseshoe Southern Indiana, we covered them in February because they had uh, – a situation where they had to close because the Ohio River, where they're located on, was flooded. And they had to close for, I think, like two weeks or something until the flooding subsided. Now, Horseshoe Southern Indiana is technically a riverboat casino. It's on the Ohio River. It's actually, when I say on, I mean it physically is on the river. It's not a boat that goes anywhere. In fact, it's stationary. It can't go anywhere. But it actually is on top of the river. And the reason it's there is because of the way gambling was legalized in states other than Nevada. And that is, states other than Nevada and venues other than Atlantic City had very restrictive laws regarding where a casino can be and what a casino could be. So in some states they were allowing Indian gaming, but of course it has to be an Indian tribe that owns the the casino. And in other cases, they were allowing riverboat casinos. The thought being that uh, it was just a boat and that uh, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't as detrimental to the community as, as, a, as a land-based casino, that it was just you know, basically getting on a boat and gambling. And this was kind of an extension of gambling being legal on boats that are a certain distance offshore. Once they're considered in international waters, I believe it's three miles, then it's legal to have a casino on those boats. So this is this was an extension where uh, you don't have to be on the ocean. You actually can you know you can be on a river, but it actually has to be a boat on the river. Then it got changed a little bit to where okay, as long as it's any kind of structure physically sitting on the river, that counts as a boat. So that's what the Horseshoe Southern Indiana is, but it is actually on the river, and it does have those flooding issues. Uh, but but the thing was, this started to become impractical. And that's the problem. That's the problem with these gambling laws, which are restricted to certain requirements, is that there's always ways around it, and the spirit of the law never ends up being followed. So it goes from, well, sure, you know, 
yeah, you could have gambling if you're far enough offshore to, okay, well, why do you have to be that far offshore? Have it closer to shore. Well, why does it have to even be on the ocean? Why couldn't it be on a river? Well, well why do you have to be on the river on a boat? Why, why can't it just be anything that's sitting on the river physically? Isn't that the same as a boat that's just docked? So does it have to really be moving on the river? And then it goes to, well, if it's a structure, if it's a stationary structure on the river, wouldn't it just be better to have it near the river? To, well, if, if you're going to have a structure on land near the river, uh, why make them be so close to the river? Why can't it be like within a mile of the river? To, well, if it's a mile away from the river, why can't it be you know, anywhere in the county? So you see how it goes. So the, the, the moral of the story is if, if you want to allow gambling in your area, then either allow it or don't allow it. These, these restrictions are stupid. So for many years, the, the Horseshoe, Indiana, Southern Indiana, which is owned by Caesars, I've never been there before, but I've heard it's very run down and depressing. Uh, and they, they've been also been dealing with flooding issues, including February 2018. So finally, they're going to get to put this behind them because they've gotten permission to move. They're, uh, they're going to finally get off the boat. So it's been around for about 20 years, Horseshoe Southern Indiana, and they actually have to technically board a boat that's on the, the Ohio River. Again, the boat doesn't go anywhere. It's stationary, but it actually is on the river. The parking structure and stuff, that's on land, but the actual casino is on the river. And they have to deal with the flooding and other things that come with it when the river gets high. So, in 2015, there was a change in Indiana state law, which is finally allowing gambling on land. Prior to that, gambling had to either be on the river or nowhere at all. So, in 2015, it had it allowed casinos to be on land. However... The Indiana Gaming Commission has to give permission. So finally, Caesars decided, okay, we're, we're going to go for permission here. I don't know why it took them so long, but maybe – I don't know if this was motivated by all the flooding they dealt with in February, but they, they decided, screw this. We don't want to be on this river anymore. We want to do away with this stupid fake river boat and build a real structure on land and not deal with this flooding crap anymore and actually have it be nicer as well. So Caesars went to the Indiana Gaming Commission, and it was granted. They were told in April, late April, that uh, a, a unanimous decision that Horseshoe Southern Indiana could move off the river. And uh, furthermore, they, Caesar said that there'd be very little demolition involved. I don't know. <laughs> what are they going to do? They're going to float the, bo- the boat down the river now? Like, uh, How are they going to take a big structure like that and not have to destroy it? But that's what they're claiming. Very little demolition involved. May- maybe that just means they can dismantle it easily. But it's very little de- demolition involved, and the new facility they're going to build on land will be high enough to avoid flooding. So that's what they were pitching, that uh, it's not going to cause the impact of the community to remove the old one, and the new one's not going to be flooded again, which will be good for everyone. So they're actually going to jump Highway 111 
which is next to the river. And uh, and that's where the casino would move. So it's going to be very close, walking distance from before, but, but now it's going to be high enough to where it's not going to be uh, in danger of being flooded by the river, which I guess doesn't flood badly enough to get structures nearby, just the ones right on the river, get uh, have the problem. I've never been there, so I'm just guessing this. I've never been in the state of Indiana in my life. Uh, Trader Ruski, have you ever been to Indiana? Um, nope. I have not been there. What about you, Cal? Watch. You're, you're, I know you're not near it, but you're closer than we are. Have you ever been to, to I've Indiana? Been, yeah, I've been to Indiana. Okay. I've never been there. And not, I, I mean, nothing against people living in Indiana, but you, you're not missing a ton. That that area of the country is the one area I have not been to very much. I've I've never been to Indiana. I have been to the Chicago area only twice and fairly briefly. I've never. I been... I dated a girl that lived in Indiana for a little bit. Really? Yeah. I've I've never been to Wisconsin. I have been to Michigan only once, and that was recently. I have never been to Minnesota. I've never been to Kentucky. So, I've never been to Ohio. I'm pretty sure I've been to every single state. Really? So you, yeah, for sure. Okay, so, so you've been to, to North Dakota? Yeah. What was the reason for that? Uh, when I was younger, we did uh, one of those trips across the U.S. Okay. Yeah, I've never been to North Dakota. I've been to South Dakota, but not North Dakota. Um, I've been to Sioux most Falls. states. No, I was at uh, where Mount Rushmore was. Mm. Uh, and then I also, that general area, I was in a few other towns. But um, I've also never been to Kansas. Or I was in the airport in Kansas, but I was never in, uh, never left the airport there. I don't really count it if I don't step out, step out of the airport. Um, and I think there's there may be a few states in the south I haven't been to. Yeah, like I haven't been to West Virginia. I definitely have been there. And I'm thinking what else I haven't been. I haven't been to uh, South Carolina. And I'm trying to think what else I may not have been to. I think I haven't been to Arkansas either. Yeah, I haven't. I think you never I've, even driven through it? Never. Hmm. Yeah, I think every other state I've been to except the ones I just named there. Like like everything in the western part of the country, even including like the Dakotas, the I think the only ones that oh, in Missouri I haven't been to either. So there you go. Anyway, uh, so uh, notice these are all states without like a lot of tourist attractions. <laughs> these are places that just people don't typically go to on vacation. So. They, they're going to build a 85,000 square foot building and it's going to be adjacent to the existing parking garage. That shows you, shows you how close it's going to be. They're going to keep the same parking garage, just go the other direction. And they claim it's going to cost uh, 80 to $85 million, but they'll get it done pretty quickly. That's sometime in 2019. It is expected to be completed, even though it was just approved in late April 2018. For casinos, it's fast. So, 
Horseshoe, Southern Indiana is is finally going to be somewhere decent, maybe, because people who have gone there have complained about it. They said it's it's depressing, it's run down. They just don't like the whole boat thing. So finally, things are changing. This is a someone posted it on the forum here. Uh, Spike, I don't even know who that is, but he's from Cincinnati. He said. Uh, uh, Horseshoe Southern Indiana was the largest gambling boat in the world when it was built in 1998, but it's now a depressing piece of shit. <laughs> uh, they renovated the hotel rooms last year, which now makes sense why they would do this. So I guess the hotel must have been separate from this. The hotel didn't have to be on the river. So this is hopefully this will make the casino a fun place to go again. And then Alpha1243, he's an interesting poster on the forum because he's a chip collector. And he also has a lot of just interesting stories about uh, various gambling venues. He says, uh, Sounds familiar to Biloxi's story after Hurricane Katrina. All the barges that were docked in the Gulf were allowed to move onto land, but still had to be like 800 yards from water to keep them all in the general vicinity. Those that didn't sink stayed on the water. Yeah. So, uh, in Indian gaming, that's also a thing that's backfired. I've mentioned this before where they... It was done initially to help impoverished Indian tribes have an income source, but all that ended up happening is a very small percentage of the Native Americans got rich, and then the rest didn't, including in the tribe a lot of times, like the few tribal elders would get rich and everybody else would stay poor. And then also they'd end up selling out, or not selling, but they'd, end up being, quote, managed by companies like MGM or Caesars, so they were they basically just become another chain casino property that's technically owned by the Indians and wouldn't even necessarily employ that many Indians. So the, the, the whole thing didn't go as intended. It, it's just another case of if you're going to allow something, allow it. If you're not going to allow it, don't allow it. But you put these weird restrictions in there, it never works. There's always w- loopholes and ways around it if there's money to be made. So... And sometimes, sometimes these restrictions just end up causing a burden for everybody, like like the requirement to be on the river, to be physically on the river, and then it gets flooded. Like, why? Why? If you're going to have a casino, who cares if it's a barge that's docked right on you know on the river, or if it's something walking distance from there, a few feet across the highway? It's the same thing. Why, why require it sits on the river? It's stupid. So I'm glad that there's finally some common sense here regarding that. So that's maybe a better place to gamble finally for those that are in that area. I I don't know the area, of course, never having been there. But from what I remember when I looked this up in February, was that it was kind of on the border of... A few states here. Yeah, it's on the border of Indiana and Kentucky. So directly across the river is Kentucky. It's in the greater Louisville area. So even though it's in Indiana and called Horseshoe Southern Indiana, it's actually... It's it's Louisville that's feeding it. Because the portion of Indiana that it's in is not very populous. Oh, that's right. I have been to Indiana. 
Okay, I guess I'm the only one. Because I was in Cincinnati, and I went over to Kentucky, and then I think I drove through Indiana to ex-girlfriend's family live there. Yeah, and then this, this Spike guy who posted about it, he's from Cincinnati. So it's not... Let me see how far Cincinnati is from there. Yeah, it's not... I mean, Louisville's a lot closer. It really is the greater Louisville area, but the the Cincinnati and Louisville aren't that far from each other. So I guess... Uh, I, I don't know how many miles they are, but it, it's no, not it's that far. it's very close. Yes, it, it doesn't look that yeah. far. So, so since... It, it, yeah, so it makes sense that Cincinnati people would drive down to it. And if you're in Louisville, it's really close. So, you know, from... People from California, this is hard for them to really picture without seeing it on the map because um, the lar- most of the population in, in California is not near a state border. Anywhere near the state border in California is in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, I guess I guess the the only large population that's near a border isn't near a state border; it's near the country border. It's San Diego. But uh, every, as far as state borders, there's there's no large populations in California near the state border. For any states near Nevada, near uh, near Oregon, near Arizona, everything it's pretty much nothingness, desert. So, if just about everybody who lives in California is a good deal away from the state border, so people from California don't think about something in their area being in another state. That always just kind of seems strange to me. And say, and the truth is, same with Las Vegas. If you live in Las Vegas, it's, a, it's the same situation. And that's why, you know, I lived a number of years in Las Vegas. It was the same story. There was nothing that uh, was close to Las Vegas that was in an, another state of any consequence. I mean, yes, it's it's physically close somewhat to other states, you know, physically close to the California border, physically close to the Arizona border, and, and, and uh, you know, even somewhat to the Utah border, but, but, but there's not much there in any of those. So, uh, it's, but in the eastern part of the country, a lot of times you're crossing the border to, to do things, and it's, it's fairly close to you. So this is the case. And until I looked on the map, I had always pictured Horseshoe, Southern Indiana. Even it's called Southern Indiana. I just didn't really think of that. I kind of just pictured it in, in the Indianapolis area, but it's not. It's uh, it's really Louisville. It's not super far from Indianapolis, but it's actually closer to Cincinnati than Indianapolis and much closer to Louisville. All righty. So that, that's all we got tonight. It, it feels weird ending the show at, at uh, 1239, but, but it started so much earlier tonight. Any chance you want to play that Chili's video? Which Chili's video? Uh, that I put in the uh, in the Skype chat. Let me see here. Well, let's, I don't know what this is, but, but sure. Let me fix the sound. Oh. Uh, no, I haven't started playing it yet. I'm just going to make sure you can hear it. I have no idea what this is. Do you expect me to know what this is, or you just you just? Uh, Play it. I want to get your quick take on it after. I think I clicked on the wrong one. You, there's two of them, right? The Not the latest one. The one before that is a YouTube link. Okay, okay. Let's leave that one here. Can you hear that? Yep. Chili Z spice, Chili or Chili Z spice up your game. Mm-hmm. 
This is Max. Max is an esports fan. He just got his hands on 50 Chili's tokens and wants to put them to good use on the. Okay, first of all, this is animated since I, I, I gotta describe this for the audience since we're playing this for them. This is Max, who, who has a goatee, he has glasses, he kind of looks like a. kind of a, a young douchebag. Looks like Shaggy. He does kind of look like Shaggy, okay. Shaggy with the glasses, Chili's yeah. Platform. After all, the London Royals, his favorite esports crew, used the platform to crowdsource some of their management decisions from their fans. Hang on a second. The London Royals sounds a whole lot like a, a GPL team. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. He goes into the Chili's Voice Marketplace and exchanges 50 of his Chili's tokens for 50 voices in the London Royals. What? 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 50 voices? <laughs> What does he mean by voices? So you actually get a say. He ex- explains it. You'll see. You get to manage the team. I thought maybe people on the team to come talk to you or something. No, no. Like a phone sex thing. Okay. It's time for Max to put his manager's hat on now. He's a decision now. maker for... Oh, great. It's, it's all working so well. Okay, it's time for him to put his manager hat on, it says. For his favorite esports squad with direct, tokenized voting rights oh. that give him the power to help guide the London Royals as one of the team's many active fan voices. Together, fans vote to decide on things like who the Royals put on their substitute squad, what skins their characters use in-game, and much more. If Max decides to monetize his voices, he can instantly trade them in to the highest bidder in the Chili's voice marketplace. Getting That sounds like gambling in a way. <laughs> How does he get these? Not tokens? only that, does it does it sound like it might be an exchange? Yeah, it does. Like something the FTC might want to regulate. I would think so. Yeah. Chili's tokens in return. From there, Max is free to acquire voices in another team, league, event, or game title, or uses Chili's to enjoy the platform's many gamer service features, including P2P game battles. Leaderboard leagues across various game titles, digital asset trading, social connection tools to meet other like-minded gamers, and more. This is the Chili's Experience, backed by blockchain technology and realized with a passion of fans like you. Oh, backed by blockchain technology. you got to say that these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a feeling I know who's behind this one. So, would you invest? I have to pass on that one. I mean, you know, it does sound kind of interesting. It's hitting all the the right uh, notes on the cryptocurrency and the esports and all that stuff. What makes you not want to get involved? I don't know. Maybe because the the guy behind it is scamming people at the World Series for small amounts of cash. <laughs> Trader Risky, what do you think? What do you think of this as a video sales pitch? Yeah, I mean, you know, it sounds good, but I agree with Ruff. You gotta look at the people who you're doing business with. Well, not only that, you've gotta, even if something sounds cool on the surface, you have to, like, just step back and say, do I really see this taking off, or is this just like a, an idea that's cool on the surface that probably won't work? And that's kind of what this strikes me as, to be honest. Yeah, so this is one of many of the Ethereum-based, uh, coins that they're gonna be trying to be offering, but the, I mean, so essentially this is, and as you probably figured out by the name Chili's, it's the same guy who did Chili Poker, uh, who then did the GPL. 
And yeah, they've got a uh, a roadmap. If you look at the uh, the the link below it that I sent you in there, they've got a roadmap in terms of how all this is going to work out. Um, and on their roadmap is they're going to be uh, funding the GPL, the Global Player League, via these Chili's coins. Oh, great! <laughs> this is the the other problem. This is also why I wouldn't invest. When I hear the name of this new company, this is all I can think of. Barbecue sauce. Yeah, that's that's what I think of. Now they're claiming that they already have gotten twenty-seven million in investment tokens. Oh, no, I thought you were saying funding. I was going, who's, who's putting $27 million into this? So, well, I mean, I think there is some real money involved, too. Um, but, you know, essentially what that – I mean, <laughs> they're on the Ethereum platform, right? So it's actually not that difficult to create your own coin and do an ICO of it on top of an Ethereum platform. Uh, it's not all that difficult. There's some stuff that you need to do if you actually want – the website to then be able to exchange them in one way or another. But I think the basic idea is that the fan goes in and deposits money, just like, you know, back in the 80s, you might go to an arcade, right, and you give them some money and they'd give you tokens back for them, right? And then the fun thing about tokens is that you can only spend them there, right? Um, and the idea is that you, you buy these tokens and then you can buy a voice in these teams. So let's say you are really into the London Royals poker team. God knows who the hell they have on there. Um, you're really into it and you want to have a voice in there. So you can exchange these tokens for kind of being like a, a crowdsourced manager of that team where you would then vote on decisions to be made. Right. And that, that's sort of the whole shtick that behind this. Um, they're also planning to do, like they said, leaderboards. It looks like they're also getting into funding so that if you want to fund uh, poker players or uh, I think their focus is going to be more on esports than anything else, um, then you're going to be able to uh, fund various esports players and presumably you know, take a piece of uh, their prize pool if they end up winning. What do you think about kind of the business model in general? Well, I, I, th- I think the – Tokens that are giving you a voice to vote on things. I, I, I'm, it kind of sounds to me like that's a sham. Like, e- even if it's technically that, that that's not the reason people would be getting these and they would be, it's more of just an excuse to get them and trade them. Right. And then you've, you basically have your own little micro market yeah. where you can buy and sell these things. And that's what yeah. I think the point is that you just, uh, you're buying and selling them and, and the, utilitarian function of them is not that important. That, that's what I'm, it's kind of like these multi-level marketing schemes where you're, there, there's some kind of overpriced product involved, but the real point is to buy and sell the, you're not, not buying, to, to recruit other people and sell the opportunity to sell. This isn't exactly like that, but it's again where, where the actual product itself is kind of secondary. That's kind of what I was getting from this. Right. Uh, Trader Risky, what's your take on this? I mean, forget about the person behind it, but what's your kind of take on the concept of spinning up your own cryptocurrency for a niche market like this? I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't, I don't know about like this. I do know there's a lot of these big stadiums going around 
go, I mean, going up for esports is right. right near me, Santa Monica. So, and I do know some people that do like ICOs for like the health industry and stuff like that. They're working on things like that. So there's there's an ICO for everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. And I didn't know they. So I guess most of those are built on this Ethereum coin. Is that what it is, uh, Kawa? Yeah, I mean, there are basically different platforms that you can build this stuff on. Because everyone that's doing an ICO, believe me, they're not creating their own blockchain, right? They're not, uh, you know, designing their own cryptocurrency. They're using one of these platforms. Um, and, and that's the case for the vast, vast majority of the cryptocurrencies that are out there. Um, right, so then you're just renaming the coin your coin, but the whole blockchain and platform underneath it is the same? Essentially, yeah. Uh, and there's then, a little for bit Bitcoin, you can't do that with Bitcoin, though, right? Or can you? Um, I I don't purport myself to be an expert on any of this stuff, and ironically, it might be useful to have Druff's former co-host on <laughs> to no, talk no, about no. this. Um, but no, I mean, I I, I do think that um, a number of the coins are based on existing technology. I mean, all this stuff is open source, right? And but they built Ethereum in, in such a way that there is actually a um, a programming language that you use to interact with Ethereum, um, their own kind of custom language. And using this platform, yeah, I mean that's where a lot of these uh, various coins that are coming out for various ICOs that's where they're coming from, and that's why so many companies are able to do it and are able to do it quickly is they're leveraging an existing platform to do it on. I mean, if you think That's about crazy. it, it doesn't. Well, if you think about it, it makes complete sense, right? Um, you know, like you you mentioned in the healthcare industry, there were some ICOs going on. You know, your average company in the healthcare industry, they're not going to design their own blockchain technology. Why would they? Oh no, you know? no, no. I I agree that whole model works yeah. for sure. But but just as far as then anybody can do one, you'd think there'd be a certain amount of due diligence. No, there are articles that you can find them on Medium and all over about listing your own shitcoin in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's why there's thousands that's of them. Amazing. There's thousands. I of mean, them. that's, yeah, that's why there's so many of them. It doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work out, but I mean, okay, so let, let's talk about kind of the fundamental model of it. And I think it is actually kind of interesting to talk about it from the perspective of, um, you know, did you, either of you guys ever go to those arcades where you give them money and you get these tokens back? Yes. Oh yeah, and obviously the reason they do that is it it simplifies things from their perspective, but also a certain amount of these are never going to be spent, so it's free money, right? Um, and it's sort of like also uh, what is done with with gift cards, and I think we've talked about that before, where every company under the sun they want to issue their own gift cards because a certain percentage of those are never going to be used, um, and if that money is spent, it's guaranteed to be spent with that company in particular. Um, and this is kind of a, a model that you can think of all of these uh, various ICOs that are coming out. That's really what they're doing. Um, they're doing something very similar to what companies already do with gift cards or, you know, what 80s arcades did with uh, the tokens that go into the games there. Um, it's all very similar in terms of a lock-in um, and obviously very successful in a number of ways. I'm not uh, denigrating the whole thing. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, would it interest either of you guys to be able to own a voice and be able to determine, like, 
who the second stringers would be on the the London Royals? No, and I don't think. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I don't think many people would at all. That's what's. I, I if they if they really are meaning for that to be the drawing factor, it's not going to work. If that's just kind of an excuse to be uh, trading these coins back and forth, then I, I guess fine. But uh, I, I think like yeah, I didn't get that piece out of it. Well, and we should think of this in the context of esports, right? Um, from the Global Poker League. It's now been renamed the Global Player League. And all of the literature on the site involves esports. So, I mean, I think the idea is, in addition to buying a say in in, uh, some of these uh, leagues that apparently they're planning to run, um, you then also would potentially be able to essentially stake some of these players and, uh, and get a piece of their prize money and all that kind of stuff. So sort of like uh, a weird mix of uh, an ICO and crowdfund, you know, like GoFundMe type stuff. Yeah. Well, I have so much that going back to who's behind it, so much that Alex Dreyfus does. <laughs> Dreyfus. Is, yeah. I mean, so much that he does is, is it's just all hype with no substance, and right, and that's what just seems to be the pattern over and over. If somebody asked me what the chances are that this actually succeeds, I would say tiny. <laughs> well, and that's the fun thing about the Ethereum platform is that. A lot of people will spin up their own currency just so they have enough of something that they can, you know, uh, tell investors that they've got this, they've got this ICO ready to go. They've got it all proportioned out and, uh, that they've got a little website that they can kind of demo it off. And that's really the only goal of some of these cryptocurrencies is that they, they got a business plan in a PDF form and they've got their, their ICO ready to go. And they're hoping that that's going to be enough to draw investors in, and then they can actually try to execute whatever their business plan is. Um, and that that really is a template that tons and tons of these companies are attempting to do. Um, and it's you know it's kind of the the new rage, and it's interesting because a lot of people who are investing don't necessarily understand what all these things are, but they know that it's really hot, you know, and they and they want to get involved even though they don't necessarily understand it. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that when we revisit this in a few months or maybe a year, that we will be laughing at how this never got off the ground. That's, that's what I Yeah, think. and whenever you see someone saying that they're issuing an ICO, like don't think that, holy crap, these guys are really technologically advanced or anything like that. No, I mean, literally... If you wanted to, you could set up a PFA coin. I could walk you through it, and you would have your own PFA coin tomorrow. Yeah, now I'm now I'm getting tempted. I, I want to do a PFA coin. It would be easy to do the PFA coin. I really would. Uh, to build the infrastructure where people can uh, they can use existing Ethereum infrastructure to buy, sell, and trade this stuff. But if you wanted people to be able to like trade it on your own site or something, obviously there's some work uh, involved in 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 doing that. But that's why you're seeing so many of these companies out of left field doing an ICO because it's so – like you can get one up and running super quick, like even quicker than you can draw up a business plan, you know? Yeah. Well, we will see where this goes. I, I, yeah, it's really interesting. But I, I, you want to get think a trade a Ruski coin? You want to get one up? <laughs> I, I think under the PFA name, I think it's good. <laughs> 
You guys are kidding, but I'm I'm gonna come back and by by next show I'm gonna have a PFA coin. I'll show hey, you guys where and, you can buy I've the got some I, Yeah, I think there could be some ideas with that, Calwat. Maybe we can. It's interesting. That? What was that? God damn! Someone just like scratched the microphone badly. No, my no, my my, my dog's paw. Yeah, your your dog did. Wow. Okay, that's even worse. Dog. Right, dog doesn't like the idea of the ICO. Okay. Well, I think she said I'm in. I, th- I think we have our answer. All who's, right. who's the other guy? God, I forget the guy's name. The other dude that that also was trying to get into crypto and was also like a, a fail bust out from poker. Not Dreyfus. Who who the fuck was the other guy that we've talked about before? Uh, I'm not sure. There's some. There've been so many. There have been. That's the problem. <laughs> you lose track. All right. So we're going to be b- back a week from today. Be uh, actually, I guess now technically six days because it's now May 21st. It's after midnight. But we're on May 27th at 8:30 Pacific time PM. That is, will be the next show. There will be a free roll again. Probably not as big as this one, but you, know, you never know what you get. We still have some money to give away at that point. And that'll be the show right before the World Series. And I'll spend some time on that show talking about the upcoming World Series and uh, giving my yearly advice for those that are going to attend. If you do see me around the World Series, uh, don't be afraid to come up to me. I'm not going to find you're bothering me. Well, that's not true. I may find you're bothering me at certain times. Like if I'm uh yeah if i'm actually at the table playing or if i'm like rushing through the hallways on a short break to get back you can still say hi but i may have to just keep running by you there actually is a uh, a listener to the show who saw me as i was actually sprinting back to my seat to get back in time and not miss any hands he met me for two seconds literally but, uh, you know, if you're just seeing me around, uh, don't be afraid to come up and say hi. I'm not going to say, you know, who are you? Why are you bothering me here? I don't care if you listen to my show. Like, I'm always happy to meet listeners of the show that I didn't know before. And, yeah, if you're in my event especially, or if you're at my table. I've had people say before, oh, I, you know, I played with you two years ago at the World Series, but I didn't want to say anything because, you know, I thought I'd be bothering you. No, if, you, if you're at my table, just say something. Say, hey, I listen to your show or whatever. I'll be happy to hear it. And and Mason can come up and personally apologize to you, Jeff. Uh, he can, yeah. He's always welcome. That would be okay, right? He's as always, long as you're not on the hand. He's, he's always welcome to do that. And, uh, you know, the truth is, even if I'm not in it, if, if I'm just kind of sitting at the table waiting for hands to finish, like at a no-limit event where each hand takes 15 minutes, you know, if you, if you want to say hello from the rail i probably can't talk to you very long but you know i'll I'll say hello i'm always happy to meet new listeners i i i thought it was funny when you're in the main event that a guy like two tables across told me he's listening to me right now that was what he's listening to was the show while he's playing the main event that that was weird he wasn't at my table but uh i always uh, enjoy hearing if in fact if you deal cards to me if you're a dealer we have some dealers listen to the show if you deal cards to me uh, you know, go ahead and say something that you listen to the show. In fact, uh, I, I always win when someone who listens to the show deals to me or anyone I know deals to me. I mean, every single time. And it, it's, I'm glad it's that way rather than the opposite. Now, it's true when they leave, I usually start losing again, but 
as long as they're dealing to me at the World Series, I'm always just kicking ass. So if, if you've dealt to me before and it just seems like I always win and you wonder why am I not winning like every bracelet and every event I play, that's, that's because I only win if, if poker fraud alert associated people are, are uh, associated or listening, you know, people are dealing to me. Then I do great. Then I, I would probably win, you know, 15 bracelets a year if that's all who dealt to me. Because I'm, I'm telling you, like, every time I think, okay, this is going to be the time I don't just, like, kill the table when someone who listens to the show deals to me. Nope. Still do very well. Every time I run well, somehow. But it's much better than the opposite, because uh, otherwise I'd be embarrassing myself. I'd look like a fish. I'd look like I'm just losing every single time. But instead, I, it's the opposite. But, but seriously, say something if you see me and... Uh, if I do know you already, either from the forum or if I've met you before and you're going to be in town during the World Series, tell me when you'll be there. There's a good chance I'll be there with you, too, unless it's during that week of the 10th to the 16th where I probably won't be there. Uh, but uh, but for most of the time, uh, I'll, I'll probably be there and be able to see you. There's, there's only uh, a few periods where I won't be there this year. Uh, that's just the way the events are spread out. So I'm actually going to be there more days this year than in recent years. And I'm sure there will be things to talk about at the World Series itself. I wish I could squeeze in more shows. It's just the, the way my schedule is. I can't squeeze in that many. But, uh, yeah, there's always fail at the World Series, all these weird things going on. And who knows? Like, I, I may just bust out early one day and we'll turn on the show. So, like, let's say, let's say I play a no limit event and I'm out on on level three. Well, then it's one p.m. or two p.m. or so, whatever, and I've got the whole rest of the day. I may just decide to come back and turn on the show, but it's something I can't schedule. I'm not hoping that happens, but you never know. There, there's always uh, unpredictable things at the World Series of Poker, and I will be honestly reporting on everything that I encounter, good or bad. And as I say every year, uh, we're not anti-Caesars, we're not anti-World Series of Poker, but we're also not shills. So if there's something good to say, I'll say it. If there's something bad to say, I'll say it. If it's mixed, I'll say it. Because there are people that are out there just always are looking for something bad to say about the World Series. They just they go there and they're just looking for something to criticize, looking for something to jump on, looking for something to get nasty about. And if it's something justified, then I'll be right along with them. But sometimes I've seen where people just, they jump to the conclusion that it's the World Series fault. And then, you know, I think about it critically and say, you know what? I actually don't think it is. I'm actually on the World Series side on this one. And I'll say that too. So, uh, I, I think you, you have to do that. You can't just, uh, state something because a, a company that bothers you or irritates you will look bad if you, if you spin it the way that you hope it could be spun. I just I just want the truth out there, the good and bad about the World Series. And, you know, some things over the years they've really improved and, and become pretty efficient with and, and done well, and, and other things they repeatedly fail with and I don't understand. For example, the, the food situation is still a fail. They, they've announced that there's new food options, but they're, overwhel- they're underwhelming, and, and again... They don't really address the late night problem. The the only new thing really for for people who finish tournaments late at night, which is pretty much everybody who makes a day two, 
the only option for you is either that awful sports deli or some nights in one of these Asian places, but I think even they close at like one, or Smashburger. Smashburger is like the new thing. <laughs> and I'm glad it's there. You know, I'll get Smashburger if I have to, but I don't want to have that every night. And it just, I don't know why. I even emailed them and said, hey, you guys have a lot of notice now. As I emailed them many months ago. You know, why don't you staff the American Bar and Grill to stay open until 4 a.m., 3 a.m.? You'll, you'll make extra money. Why don't you extend room service at the Rio? I know normally the Rio is not busy enough to justify room service after 11 p.m. During the World Series, it should be. During the World Series, they should be able to, given enough notice to staff the thing. So uh, they, they just aren't fixing that, and there's a lot of other things that logistically they're doing wrong. And, uh, and they keep repeating every year. The playing card situation, like how many years in a row have we had issues with the cards being of poor quality? How, how, how come they can't get that right? So maybe they will this year. But they, these are simple things that they should be able to fix. So it's funny where sometimes I'll see these gigantic events where there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And then they actually do it pretty efficiently. And then I've seen other things which which should be relatively simple, and they blow it year after year after year. But that that is uh, Caesar's for you. So we will see this year. Maybe uh, maybe it will be worthy of praise. Maybe it will be worthy of criticism. I'm guessing it'll be a mixture of the two. Uh, you can, if you play in any World Series events, I know a number of you listening will be playing World Series events. You can put a hashtag on your tweets and it will automatically post to the associated thread on Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, if you do hashtag PFA, you know, like Poker Fraud Alert, hashtag PFA and then the two-digit number of the event. If it's an event with a number that's a single digit, you have to put a zero before it. So like if it's event number eight, you do hashtag PFA08. If it's event number 18, hashtag PFA18, like that. And that will automatically post to the forum your update, even if you're not a member of the forum. So that's a feature we've had for years. The only thing I ask is that you contact me first. You can just text me if you want, 775-372-8355, or you can PM me on the forum. You can email me, dandruff at, co- at, 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 at com, And I just need to add the thread for you, because I do have to create the thread myself. Uh, I'm not going to create a thread for every single event. There's like 70-something of them, and it's tedious. I know Calwatt had to do it for his site, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in the tedium. So I, I will add the events that either I'm playing or that people I know are playing. But uh, if you don't see it up there in the World Series 2018 forum, I'm going to create these threads pretty soon. Then you'll need to let me know to create a thread for you to tweet your chipped updates. But I, I definitely... Uh, Encourage that so people can follow along on how you're doing. And and people will root for you, even if they don't know you very well. If you're just a PFA listener or a a forum poster, whatever, just if you're someone who's posting that you're in the event and, and looks like you're doing well, people on the forum actually will root for you and post encouraging messages. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. As always, every year I post very frequent updates on everything going on. I, I not only 
tweet what my stack situation is and pots I win, pots I lose, but uh, I'll also post observations such as who's at the table with me that's of note or you know whether the table is good or bad or anything else funny or interesting that happens. I, I try to tweet out a lot to where people almost get to feel like they're there. And I do so much of this that I have to make a separate account that I now use for World Series updates, which is at Dandruff Poker. So go follow that because it's going to become active again very soon. I only use it during the World Series at Dandruff Poker, exactly as it sounds. And that will be the chip update Twitter. I will not be updating events under that account. I may... Under my main Todd Wattellis account, I may update at the end of the day what I have. Like, okay, I'm going to day two with uh, 68,000 chips. Like, that I'll probably put. But as far as the updates throughout the day, it'll always be on at Dandruff Poker. So follow that if you are interested in seeing those updates. So, uh, Calwatt, thank you for being here and uh, staying up late again. Even though we started early, we're still finishing at 4 o'clock your time. You still awake, Calwatt? I think Calwatt has left the building. Oh, damn. I thought he made it to the end. Oh, he did. I didn't even see. He just he did one of his famous drop-offs. He just fell off. 4 a.m. turning into a pumpkin. No, he just did that eight minutes ago. I was too busy talking about the World Series. He just vanished. Oh, yeah. No, he was on. Once he said it was over and then went on and then went, you know, went a little longer than just being over. Yeah. I, right. I think I can feel him fading. Okay. Well... He, he made it pretty far, and uh, and Trader Risky, thank you for being here for for this whole show, and uh, yeah, so we, we'll be back a week from today, another Sunday show. Next show after that will be on Wednesday, June sixth. So we will have a little bit of extra time in between the May twenty seventh show and the following show, about a week and a half. Hopefully, I have good news to report at that point regarding my first few World Series of Poker events. I can't hear any more drafts, so shalom. Okay, shalom, Traders. There you go. Were you playing it? Okay. Yeah, I'm playing it, yeah. I'm playing it. Okay. Just, uh, you're not hearing anything? No, but I found out my cousin's... Uh, my cousin had, is te- uses your 60-minute uh, spot to teach her statistics class. Really? Hold on, I gotta, I gotta stop this here. <laughs> now I gotta stop this music and ask you here. So, so wait a minute. The 60 minutes spot I was on about the absolute poker cheating your cousin uses to teach the 60 minutes class? I, she, I, she uses, no, just, she uses to teach her high school uh, statistics class. Oh, really? Class. So about the, yeah, yeah. about how they figured out from the win rates that right. uh, it was statistically significant that uh, it was impossible to uh, be occurring at that rate. Yeah, interesting. Right. So she built like a lot, of, I guess, you know, things around it, I guess, to show them how they could use it practically. That's funny. But uh, anyway, because I told her I was doing the radio, and she, then she mentioned that, and I said, oh, well, you must know Todd Dandruff would tell us. <laughs> She's like, oh, wow, so that's that guy in that video, wow. Right. So, you know, maybe I can get you to lecture by, via Skype video to class or something. You know, you know what's funny about that. You know, so that sixty minutes, uh, when I appeared on there, so I had just started growing a beard in two thousand eight. I just decided to start growing a beard, and it was just it was it, it had grown in, and then the sixty minutes was taping, and they they taped during the summer of two thousand eight. In fact, they 
they actually taped my segment during the dinner break of the 10K Limit Hold'em event, which was kind of weird. But uh, that, that's when I did it. And I remember making a last-minute decision the night before to shave my beard because I thought that uh, it would... Uh, I thought I would be like the stereotypical poker player who looked like he was a slob and didn't shave. So, And because the beard was right. growing in, like I, I decided to shave it. But then afterwards, when I appeared on the 60 Minutes, I said, you know what, I actually wish it was there because the way the lighting was on me... Uh, I, I didn't look like the way I looked on there, uh, the, the, the way the bright lighting was, and I thought that it would have not reflected as much if, 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 if I had the beard, so I kind of regretted that decision. So then I said, okay, if I'm appearing on TV again, I'm not shaving the beard. So then when I appeared on CNBC over the same topic in 2009, I actually came on with a beard. But uh, that's that's why anybody who's seen... Other pictures of me playing poker in 08, I had a beard, but not in that uh, in that episode. And uh, I was also wearing a Neverwin poker shirt, but it didn't show up on camera because they cut the camera off like right above it. And uh, uh, if only that extra marketing. Well, it's, it's not my site <laughs> anymore. Anyway, it was never my site, but I wasn't even involved anymore much in that. You know, because they dropped the forum and radio show off it a year later. But so I, that that part didn't matter much. But the the other thing with that was uh, they took me out of context at the end, kind of out of context. They actually cut off the end, so I didn't get to explain the context. It wasn't really out of context, but I didn't get to explain it because they cut it. And the portion where I the the controversial statement I made at the end about how cheating could still be going on on larger sites because the ones that did this were very reckless and very brazen, is what I said. And it could be going on on bigger sites or happening elsewhere. I forgot my exact words, but this really got people angry who worked for Full Tilt and Poker Stars. And, you know, it turned out I was right about Poker Stars. Uh, not Poker but uh, Full Tilt because they, were, they ended up stealing the money. They, I don't think they were at the time, but, you know, we all saw what happened. But what frustrated me was what I said right after that, which got cut and didn't appear on TV, was, so that's why we need licensing and regulation of online poker, so this way we're always sure we're playing a fair game. So you add that sentence to it, and all of a sudden uh, the statement looks a lot better, and it's like a pro-legalization of online poker message, and people would have been happy with it. Instead, I had all these 2 plus 2 nerds attacking me that I was going to ruin online poker, that I had just ruined it by scaring all the fish away, that saying everything's rigged, which wasn't what I said, but you know that was the way they took it, and they got really, really mad and nasty with me about that. So when I appeared on CNBC a year later, I told them that this is very important to me that they include me talking about something with licensing and regulating it. And they kept to their word. They did. But I actually made sure to uh, talk to them about that beforehand because I was a little irritated that 60 Minutes cut it like that. And even though, like, I, even what they showed me saying, I still stand behind, and I st- even stood behind at the time, even though uh, I got a lot of criticism, and I was proven right later. But uh, still, it wasn't the whole statement. And the statement I was trying to make was a pro-legalization 
and regulation of online poker method rather message rather than let's just trust all the sites to treat us fairly. I, I don't think you can ever trust a large company to be the uh, to, to act in your interest. They're always acting in their own interests, regardless of whatever is right or wrong. So anyway, Trader Risky, that's, that's a very interesting uh, story. That I didn't know that. Now, when are you going to be at the World Series? I'll be there. I think I get in on the 14th in the afternoon, and then I'll be there for a week or okay. Well, at least probably longer. At, Ten at, days. At, le- at least we'll uh, be there mostly the same time. You say the 14th, like oh, not that week again. But the truth is, I'm going to be coming back the next day on the 15th. So okay, yeah. No, I'm there 14th through you know 28th. Okay, I don't know. All I might right, go okay. home once, come back. Okay, so I, I can probably see a lot of you there. Okay, very good. So, I'm sure I will see you at that point. And uh, awesome. And thank thank you, by the way, to the anonymous donor for the three hundred dollars for tonight's free roll. And thank you, Eric Benzamokin, for the one fifty. And uh, Eric has, you know, he's given away so much to Poker Fraud Alerts free rolls in the year 2018. I thank him very much for that. I still haven't met him in person, and we're actually playing an event together. It wasn't planned this way, but he told me he's going to be playing an event I'm playing, so I'm sure I'll see him there. But I, I may actually meet him in person this week for the first time. I've never met the guy in person. We don't even, we're not even that far from each other, but uh, just haven't uh, met yet. So maybe I'll meet him in person. But I, th- I thank him a lot for all his generosity uh, for these free rolls, and that's why we've had so many large free rolls recently on this show. You know, think of. Most of the time prior to this, the free rolls were mostly, the, the prize pool was around $50, $60, and occasionally we'd have a big one, like C-Money would donate something big or whatever, but usually it'd be like you know between $50 and $100. Now we've been having these big prize pools week after week after week, and that's mostly been thanks to Eric Benzamokin, so I want to thank him for that, and uh, you, if you ever need an attorney, especially one for arbitration and mediation for anything, uh you can email him. That's uh, Eric at eblawfirm.us. So, I, I really appreciate all the generosity that he has uh, given to this show, and uh, also thank you to the anonymous donor, three hundred dollars, a lot of money for this uh, free roll. So combined with Eric's thing, this way we have four hundred fifty bucks to give away tonight. And just think about that. Like this is not a, it's not a large field. You know, you can. There's a real chance to win the money to over 200 bucks for the first prize, 100 for second. I don't even know who won, but I'm sure I'll be hearing from them shortly to collect the money. So that's all. Thank you, thank you, Trader Risky, for coming on. And all right, thanks, Jeff. Hey, I'm signing off because I can't hear you in the okay. music, please. Good night. Have, all right, have a good night. I don't know. It still feels weird to end the show. It's been over seven hours. It feels like it feels like it's been short because I'm ending earlier than we usually end. I'm just not accustomed to starting at this time. I'm just not accustomed to it. But honestly, I've been on for over seven hours. It's a long time. These are long shows. Probably takes you two or three listening sessions to get through if you listen in the archives I put in my time here just about every week well 
One more show before the World Series, and it's starting. It's so strange. So strange. It doesn't feel like it's starting soon, but it is. And I will be there, and I'm looking forward to it. Every year I'm looking forward to it. By the end, I'm kind of sick of it, but every year I'm looking forward to it. And I hope to meet some new people there this year, or see some old people that I've gotten to know over the years. It's a time I enjoy every summer. Good night. Shalom.